Monday, December the 6th, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said podcast. Happy holidays. Starting to get uh, that Christmas feel as we're getting deeper into December. We have an early episode coming out this week. We actually uh, recorded episode 3 recap of Hawkeye, so figured why not get this thing out early. We'll throw on a little old wrestling rewatch. We've got Halloween Havoc 93, WCW Halloween Havoc, Darren Zocali joins for that. Then we've got some early week racing to discuss for Tuesday and for Wednesday. Tuesday, Parks Best Bets, Remington Best Bets, Wednesday, Gulfstream and Tampa, and some quick hits in sports early on. Going to talk about a couple things going on in baseball, college football, and uh, NFL. Real quick look at what went on in week 13. On this episode, that is presented by BetterThan.Vegas at BTV Bets on Twitter. And if you have not heard the recent news, get ready for it. Oh yeah, Kurt Angle, WWF, WWE, Hall of Famer, Kurt Angle, Olympic gold medalist. He has joined the crew over at Better Than Vegas. Kurt will be along for some of the live streams that we have, and he's going to be posting some picks. He actually went 3-0 and with his NFL picks on Sunday with his first video. So shout out to Kurt. And over at Better Than Vegas, you will get free analysis, free videos, free handicapping information from gamblers and handicappers all around the world that just want to help you. They want to share the information that they have. They want to help you become a better, better. They want to learn from some of you because you can also go and post some of your selections. You can post videos there. You can create an account for free and get involved in the weekly showdown. All you have to do is you know, create an account, post your videos, and if you have the highest ROI each week, you win 250 bucks for nothing. doesn't cost you anything to enter. We have the NFL game previews for every Monday night game, every Thursday night football game, and every Sunday. You get fantasy previews there, pitches and pints on Saturday morning to help you going, uh, everything going on in the world of soccer, football, and BTV Bets just wants to help you out, giving away money all the time. Poker tournaments over at Nitro Betting. Check them out better than Dot Vegas. We're going to get into some quick hits in sports, but whenever I'm getting ready to handicap sports now, I go to drf.com slash sports because you can get incredible information that's going to help your preparation, that's going to help your handicapping, and it's all free. Every game, every sport, everything you could possibly imagine. They're going to give you all the injury news. They're going to give you all the betting insights, they, which are the specific angles that they've formulated. They're going to give you you know, trends. They're going to show you all the normal statistics. You can get everything that you want, team stats. You can look at the local results. And then they're going to give you game simulators and their previews and their some of their predictions for scores and for what they're, they have their line uh, as what it it should be based on their numbers. DRF.com slash sports. Incredible stuff. If you've used daily racing form for some of your horse racing handicapping through the years, you know how great all those past performances are. You know about the articles you've read there for years. It is a trusted source in the world of racing, and that great style information is going to be now 
in all of your sports handicapping at drf.com slash sports. Let's get to some of the quick hits that I was mentioning. Uh, we we kind of briefly touched on this last week. There is a, a baseball lockout going on. So I'm going to read a little bit through this Jeff Passan article from ESPN. And then this was from December the 2nd. It was updated. Major League Baseball locked out its players early Thursday morning, certifying the game's first work stoppage in more than a quarter century after months of talks yielded little progress towards a new labor contract. So the agreement... The collective bargaining agreement expired after 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time Wednesday. Manfred, MLB commissioner, expressed disappointment in the lockout, said he believes it's the best mechanism to protect the 2022 season. So the major league portion of the baseball winter meetings have been canceled. They continue on the minor league side. The MLB Players Association issued a statement Thursday morning calling the lockout a dramatic measure regardless of the timing. It was the owner's choice. Plain and simple, specifically calculated to pressure players into relinquishing rights and benefits and abandoning good faith bargaining proposals that will not uh, that will benefit not just players but the game and industry as a whole. We remain determined to remain to return to the field under the terms of the negotiated collective bargaining agreement that's fair to all parties and provides fans with the best version of the game we all love. So, players on strike, lot that they've got to deal with. There, uh, there didn't seem like they were very close. So, they're at an impasse. We'll see what happens. Not fun as fans. This kind of stuff, a lot of people just makes you kind of cringe when you're talking about the millions of dollars and stuff. But it is a business, right? Everybody's got to think about the bottom line when it comes down to it. Again, always side on the uh, with the labor in in these situations for the most part. Especially in a situation like this where, you know, the player, the, I, I'm i not sure exactly what some of the specifics are going to be here. We'll see, but there needs to be some changes in this game, no doubt about it. Baseball from the top down needs some major, major changes. And maybe in a weird way, this will end up help, you know, leading to it. College football bowl game schedule is announced 44 bowl games beginning on December the 17th, ending on Monday, January the 10th. Let's go through some of the bowls. I guess we can go through them all. Let's do it. Bahamas Bowl, Middle Tennessee versus Toledo. That's on Friday, December the 17th. You've got the Tail Greeter Cure Bowl, Northern Illinois versus Coastal Carolina, also on the 17th. On the 18th, the RoofClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl. Some of the sponsors are great now. Western Kentucky, Appalachian State, Cricket Celebration Bowl. You got South Carolina State, Jackson State, the PUBG Mobile New Mexico Bowl, UTEP Fresno State. You got the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl, UAB versus BYU, Lending Tree Bowl, Eastern Michigan Liberty, the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl, <laughs> Utah State versus Oregon State, R and L Carriers, New Orleans Bowl. Louisville versus Marshall on the, so those are all on Saturday, December the 18th on Monday, the 20th of December, you got the Myrtle beach bowl presented by tax act old dominion, Tulsa Tuesday, the 21st, you got the famous Idaho potato bowl, Kent state, Wyoming. You got the tropical smoothie cafe Frisco bowl, UTSA versus San Diego state on Wednesday, this the 22nd, you got Missouri versus Army in the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. 
Thursday, December 23rd, you got the Frisco Football Classic, North Texas, Miami. You also got the uh, Union Home Mortgage, Gasparilla Bowl, UCF, Florida, uh, December 24th. On Friday, you got the Easy Post, Hawaii Bowl, Memphis, Hawaii. On Christmas Day, you've got the Camellia Bowl, Georgia State, Ball State. Monday, December 27th, you have the Quick Lane Bowl, Western Michigan, Nevada. You've got the Military Bowl, Boston College, East Carolina. That one's presented by Periton. Tuesday, the 28th, you've got Houston Auburn in a nice Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl. You've got the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl, Air Force Louisville. You got the AutoZone Liberty Bowl, Mississippi State, Texas Tech, San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl, UCLA, North Carolina State. That's on Tuesday, December the 28th. And then uh, the fifth game of that day, West Virginia, Minnesota. That's the guaranteed rate bowl, 10:15 p.m. Then on Wednesday, December the 29th, you've got the Wasabi Fenway Bowl. You've got SMU, Virginia. You've got the New Era Pinstripe Bowl, Maryland, Virginia Tech. You have the Cheez-It Bowl, Clemson, Iowa State. You've got the Valero Alamo Bowl, Oregon, Oklahoma. Thursday, December the 30th, North Carolina, South Carolina in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. You've got the Trans-Perfect Music City Bowl, Tennessee, Purdue. you got the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, Michigan State, Pitt. The SRS Distribution, Las Vegas Bowl, Wisconsin, Arizona State. Friday, December the 31st, the Taxlayer Gator Bowl, Wake Forest, Texas A&M. The Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, Washington State, Miami. The Barstool Sports, Arizona Bowl. Central Michigan versus Boise State. And then the college football playoff semifinals. The Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. You've got the Cincinnati, number four Cincinnati squad versus number one Alabama. And then in the Capital One Orange Bowl, you've got number three Georgia versus number two Michigan. Winners will move on. On January 1st, New Year's Day, you've got the Outback Bowl, Penn State, Arkansas. You've got the VRBO Citrus Bowl, Iowa, Kentucky, the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, the Rose Bowl, Ohio State, Utah, the All-State Sugar Bowl, Ole Miss versus Baylor, and then Tuesday, January the 4th, you've got the Texas Bowl, LSU versus Kansas State, Monday, January the 10th, the National Championship game, winners of those two playoff games will move on to that final so the college football bowl season is upon us I mean things have changed a little bit the last few years you know you have some players that are sitting out it doesn't feel like the bowl game season is quite as big a deal but it is a lot of fun when you've got these games on and uh, a lot of these squads get the opportunity to shine to kind of have a moment in the national spotlight so we'll definitely be getting involved in some of those NXT had war games so this was their first pay-per-view without that wasn't a takeover since they've had the new 2.0 NXT we had a couple TV specials so far but this was the first pay-per-view and it was very very good five matches on the show we're going to break the whole thing down with Chad Cooper later in the week like we always do on the This Week in Wrestling but if you did not watch it on Sunday night go check this thing out the Two war games. There was nothing bad on the show that, in the ring. There was one bad segment that a lot of people did not like, and I would I would agree with them. The uh, hero, one of the hero segments was not great, but 
women's war game match to start. Really good. Star-making performance for Cora Jade. The tag team match was a sleeper. I'm not the hugest fan on Imperium, but I thought it was very good there too. Grimes has been a lot of fun. That hair match, Roderick Strong, Joe Gacy. I mean, it wasn't like a bad match or anything. It was just probably the least intriguing of the night. And then you had the the Team 2.0 versus the Black and Gold NXT match. And we're going to find out the hit, the uh, future for Johnny Gargano, Ciampa, Pete Dunne, LA Knight, all of them. Gargano's going to talk on Tuesday night. So later in the week, we will know more. We'll talk about NXT and we'll talk about everything that's happened in the world of wrestling. WWE with Raw, with SmackDown, with AEW, with Dynamite, with Chad Cooper on the next episode. Just wanted to give you all the heads up. Go check that out if you did not do so yet. Shout out to uh, USC Men's Hoops. I haven't talked a whole lot of college basketball specifically. Myself, we did a hit on it a few times here and there with Jack Fitzpatrick, but 8-0 start for USC. They were ranked... Number 18 and number 20 in a couple different polls coming into the week. They won two games this week. They won on the road at Washington State. Before that win at Washington State in the bracketology, USC was a three seed. And after a lot of the teams in front of them lost this week, they're probably going to be in the top 15. Keep an eye on those Trojans. Playing some good basketball early on. Just a quick look at what has happened now so far in Week 14. We have the Monday Night Football game still to come. Bills versus the Pats. If you can get Bills at under 3, I like it at 2.5. Take the Bills, anything under 3. So far, looking on the NFC side, Cardinals move to 10-2. They are the current 1 seed. Packers are at 9-3. Bucks are at 9-3. Cowboys at 8-4. Rams win. They move up to 8-4. Washington, they win again. They're up to the sixth seed. And the 49ers, they are 6-6. Six and six. They are currently the seventh seed. right? So they're in the playoffs right now. So Arizona, Green Bay, Tampa, Dallas, Rams, Washington, 49ers. If the season ended today, that would be your playoffs in the NFC, your playoff teams. With the Eagles right behind, couple just brutal, brutal weeks for the Vikings. Drop them to 5-7. and seven. Panthers are at 5 and 7. Falcons are at 5 and 7. Saints are at 5 and 7. You'd imagine that's probably everyone that has a legitimate chance in the uh, NFC. And you look at teams like the Panthers, Falcons, and Saints, none of them feel like they're heading in the right direction. All three of those teams feel like they had a legitimate chance earlier in the year. They were they were in great spots where they had to just win one or two more games against teams that were really winnable. I mean, the same thing for the Vikings, right? All these five and seven teams now. It, any one of them could, you know, could flip the switch and win a few games in a row. Sure, it's it's football, but they just feel like the spots that they were in, they may have let their chances really slip away. So we'll see what happens with uh, you know those teams towards the bottom. But looks like Arizona, Green Bay, Tampa, they'll be battling it out towards the top. You've got uh, Dallas. And the Rams right behind them. And then uh, Washington and, and San Francisco at 500. And Washington playing some some really solid football right now. That's on the NFC side. Over on the AFC side. The Patriots and Bills have not played yet for Monday Night Football. So as of right now, the Patriots are actually at 8-4. and four, The number 1 seed. Bills are at 7-4. and four, The number 5 seed. And that game is going to be massive for those two teams. 
The Titans are the two spot at eight and four. Baltimore Ravens, after losing, they are down to eight and four. Chiefs get the win there up to eight and four. So everyone really atop the AFC right now is a four loss team. The Patriots, Titans, Ravens, Chiefs, Bills. Pats and Bills, one of them will, will drop down into the tier of five loss teams. And that is the Chargers. They win. So they're currently the number six seed in the AFC. They're seven and five. The Bengals, after their loss to the Chargers, they are seven and five. And they are a half game ahead of the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are six, five, and one. Colts at seven and six are right behind them. Then you have uh, the six and six teams with the Raiders, Browns, and Broncos. The Miami Dolphins are the hottest. They were one and seven. They're up to six and seven now. They've won five in a row. They might just have too much to do, unfortunately. But what's nice for them is in front of them, they've got the Browns, they've got the Steelers, they've got the Bengals who all play each other. They've got the Raiders and the Broncos, you know, so teams that are in the same division. So if Miami just keeps taking care of business, the teams in front of them are going to fall. They just might have a little bit too much work to do. Both leagues, I mean, both conferences, you've got seven, I mean, for the seven spots, you've got 13 teams, it feels like, 12 to 13 teams legitimately battling towards the uh, the bottom to try to get in. So, the... NFL season getting down to that stretch run right now. And we are going to get into the stretch run. We're going to start talking some horse racing. And first, before we ever talk horse racing, we have to let you know about DRF.com, the place we go to get all the information that we need. Those past performances where we can study what every horse has done in every one of their races. We can watch their races. We can get all their chart work. Let's hear a little more about DRF. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version, and even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view, and any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. 
every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com everything you need to succeed everything you need to get as prepared as you can get one click to race replays one click to the charts one click to trainer information one click to pedigree information drf.com and for me it's always those formulator past performances then i load those uh, uh past performances up i start handicapping each card and then i head on over to stableduel.com i find out what contests they have every single day let's see what's going on at stable duel Download the Stable Duel app and play today. Right now with Gulfstream Park opening up, that's going to be a major focus over at Stable Duel in the coming weeks. Gulfstream Park, and we will be talking Gulfstream probably every single weekend and mainly uh, every show moving forward. I think well, most of them at least because Gulfstream has that big championship meet that just opened up. They're going to have a lot of stakes races each and every weekend, some major, major horses and we end up seeing a lot of these really good two-year-olds right now that'll end up being three-year-olds that we'll see in the Kentucky Derby and, and some of those Triple Crown prep races along the way. couple best bets for you this week at Parks and over at Remington for Tuesday. So we're looking December the 7th. Get those past performances out. And let's flip to race number one. So the three martini twist. She comes out of some pretty good races. In her debut, there were three next out winners. You could see stand-up comic, the winner of that race, came right back to win. Career start number two at Saratoga. This filly ends up running into Echo Zulu and outfoxed, who's a stakes winner. Echo Zulu is four for four and undefeated, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies winner. Then on October the 18th, off a few months, Martini Twist comes back and runs into three next out winners. Now she's going to put two starts together. This is, it doesn't look like it's the strongest group in the world. I mean, compared to what she's faced, this is going to be, to me, a lot of class relief in this field. And and maybe she's not that good, right? We don't really know. 
But if she's anything around five, six to one or over, she at least feels worth a shot to throw into some of your exotics. If she's like eight to one, I'm gonna better to win. That's in the first race at Parks on Tuesday, the number three Martini Twist. Let's get to the fifth race at Parks. We got Maiden forty thousand dollar claimer, six and a half furlongs on the main track. Here we're going to the six La La Lucy. She got action in the debut. And she just didn't fire. It was a good track that day. Now the blinkers add. She gets Lasix for the first time. She drops in for the Maiden 40 tag. Just feel like there are a lot of positives that they're trying to get uh, this horse to show a lot of improvement here. So she might be an exotics type single. If she is in the 3-1 to range, definitely would play her to win. In the ninth race at Parks, it is actually a stakes race. On Tuesday, it is the $200,000 Pennsylvania Nursery for two-year-olds. Seven furlongs, the distance there. I thought there were two horses to include in some of the exotics and maybe keep an eye on which one is the better price and maybe that's who we ended up playing to win or, you know, you key these two on top of some others. The one dance code, pretty simple with, with him, right? Debuts at Parks, then goes over to Saratoga, runs into a little bit tougher and back-to-back. And then comes back to Parks. And what's nice about him is he's a Pennsylvania bred, but he's done all of his running against Open Company. And now you're in with uh, with PA breds. I looked over at Witty also, who debuted at Laurel against Maiden 40 Claimers, but that was Open Company. Then in career start number two, came over here to Parks, won pretty nicely with uh, the state breds. So I thought Witty was one you probably want to include that off of that impressive victory as well. One in six there, at Parks on Tuesday. That is in uh, race number nine. So best of luck over at Parks on Tuesday. Let's head to Remington for a couple plays over at Remington Park for Tuesday, December the 7th. Get those Remington Park past performances out. So we're looking at the fifth race at Remington, December the 7th. I'm I'm in the eight. Uh, this is a group of first-level allowance runners here. I'm the machine. Shout out to uh, Sasha Vujicic. La Machina. Used to call uh, that man the machine. So... Let's go through this Gelding's three career starts. Career start number one in his debut, he has a brutal start. I mean, he just gets crushed right after the start. It was not his fault. He didn't do anything. A couple rival just kind of came over on him. Got He got pushed in. He had no shot that day. Comes back in career start number... That was on the turf also. Comes back in career start number two on, uh, on the main track going six and a half. Pretty impressive winner. He sat sort of nicely just off. And was traveling super well. Comes out of that race and steps up and faced first level allowance company. And he had a terrible start. He was four wide. I mean, just completely stumbled. And then he was four wide towards the back. He was about five lengths off. He was wide all the way around. The winner ended up sitting a perfect trip in second, just off the pace. He kind of flattened out a little bit. Now you're going to cut back. Give me the eight. I'm the machine. Anything around five to one. We're going to make a win wager there as we move along. To Remington Park, race number seven. We've got another uh, allowance race here. Six furlongs on the main track. The number two favorable outcome. It's actually a graded stakes winner. He's now a seven-year-old, but he's got a lot of back class. And he is a lot more... He's probably going to end up being a little more off the pace in here, cutting back from the mile to the six furlong sprint. If you look at some of his more recent sprint races, he has sat a little off the pace. And he's run into some sharp horses a popular kid has won three of four 
and four of six recently. Favorable outcomes approaching a half million in earnings right now. This is a guy who's been around and has won seven times. He usually shows up with a really nice effort. Like the turn back for him. The number two favorable outcome. I'm going to treat like an exotic single in here. If he's anything around five to two, might sprinkle a few bucks to win on him. We move along to race number eight at Remington Park. In some of the rolling exotics, or maybe just you know playing exact as in tries, the two horses I would build around would be the four and the seven. Mega Bond just coming out of those open first level allowance races and feels like he will get a little bit of pace to run at in this spot. And then you've got Oki Standard, who was so impressive last time out. But what's what's kind of tough with him is that you have three or four horses in here who all have maybe one big race on their page where they have a figure that might stand out a little bit. And that's uh, that's one of them with Oki Standard. But he's going to be pretty tough in this spot, uh, I'd imagine, if he runs anything close to what he did last time out. Let's build around the four and the seven there. Mega Bond, who's five to one on the morning line, and then the seven is a uh, seven to two. But we'll include the four, and if we can get around seven to two on Mega Bond, we will play that one to win. So that's Tuesday, over at Remington Park. Let's flip the calendar to Wednesday. We'll start with uh, a couple plays over at Gulfstream. So get those past performances out for Wednesday, December the eighth for Gulfstream Park. Now I couldn't find any real bombs. Um, that I love here, but let's talk about a couple horses that I want to make sure we throw into some of our early exotics. So in race number three, there is not very much speed in here. Left hook lights out might be a horse that I'd be okay singling early on. You're going to add the blinkers. He had a slow start from the rail. He moved to the two path, but then he got stuck in a bad spot. He was in a little traffic, finally got room, angled around nicely, was up for fourth late, get the blinkers on. You get a barn that's 20% first start off the claim over the last five years, nine for 44 the race that uh, this runner exits has also come back live with two next out winners so far. The winner came back to beat winners in a 62-50 non-two by eight and a quarter. And the runner-up came back to win a maiden 12-5 next out. Since there's not that much speed, I thought Left Hook Lights Out and Ziggy might be able to just kind of lope along up front. So those would be the two I would be using in a, a lot of exotics to build around. Anything over 5-2 to two on left hook lights out is okay. We wouldn't want to take uh, much shorter than that, though. We move along to race number 6 at Gulfstream Park. A Florida bred, a first level allowance, optional 12 claimers, mile on the main track here. Ampersand is the one to beat. The sprints are a little short for him. And if you key off the Florida bed race is going long, he's the one they're all going to have to hold off. I do think, you know, he he I would be okay singling him in the exotics. The horse who's honest and really interesting to me is Man of Vision. He's going to try this trip this after sprinting, you know, for all of the recent races. But he likes Gulfstream, and you know what you're going to get with him. His races are really good. He's super honest. So Ampersand, if you're looking for maybe a single, if not, I would throw it along in the exotics with Man of Vision. In the ninth race, one more that we wanted to look at, we're going to move to the synthetic at Gulfstream Park. This one is a first-level allowance, and Sweet Serenade is the one to beat with some of that very good synthetic form up at Woodbine. The one that's intriguing to me, and if... If she's anything around, you know, six to one, I'll probably better and I'll throw her in some of the late exotics is Tatella, who comes in from Kentucky, who has been on the turf in all four and will try the synthetic for the first time. 
She's got some ability. She comes out of a very live race. She's kept nice company. And we'll give her a shot in here, coming into a newborn. Tatella from the inside in race number nine we'll use along with Sweet Serenade. So that is Gulfstream for Wednesday. We have one more Wednesday track to look at. A couple best plays for Tampa Bay Downs. Get those past performances out for Wednesday, December the 8th. Going to look at races 3, 4, and 7 for Wednesday over at Tampa Bay Downs for December the 8th. So in the third, we've got 8,000 claimers, non-winners of 3. There does not look like there's very much speed in this race at all early on. I think the two inside horses should be very much upgraded because of that. The number one, Monique's Daredevil. So... She's lightly raced. She's got some upside. She's coming out of some productive races. She's exiting a sprint last time out where she she faded, but she was at least involved a little bit early on. And she actually has shown legitimate sprint speed. Right next door, you've got Smooth as Glass, who's also exiting a sprint. She's probably the one to catch and beat. And maybe she crosses over, and you got Monique's Daredevil, who's kind of just sitting right there behind him. I'm going to use the two inside horses in a lot of the exotics here. If the one is over three to one, I might bet a few to win on her. I wouldn't be shocked if Smooth as Glass ends up taking a, a good amount of money in here. Those will be the two I'll use in, in some early exotics. In the fourth race, $20,000 claimer, six furlongs on the dirt. You got the seven. Lady Jean is the horse who I'm looking at. She's a four time winner, she's proven at Tampa. She comes out of a race over at Delaware in a eight-starter, which those races come up really tough sometimes. And she was behind a horse named Bess, who's won three of four and five of eight. Lady Jean is drawn well, likes this trip, likes this track, lightly raced with a little bit of upside. The number seven, Lady Jean is six to one on the morning line. If we can get anything around seven to two, we'll make a win wager there. As we flip to Tampa's seventh race, Optional 75, you have a first level allowance here Mile on the turf course The number 2, Sneaky Cheeky Going to be my play in here So she began her career sprinting on the turf And we saw her going 5 furlongs in 2 turf races The first one, she finished 3rd It's a pretty good effort for a debut Slowish start, picked up some pieces late Then came back in career start number 2 And she was behind Diamond Wow who won a stakes race coming out of that $75,000 stakes and then was second in the grade 2 Jessamine and Opalina came out of that race the runner up to win a Florida bed maiden special weight by 12 lengths then was fifth in the grade 2 Jessamine but was only beaten like a length and a half in all in that race so that was a really tough turf race after that goes and breaks her maiden on the slot in the slop at Gulfstream against maiden 35 claimers Tries the dirt, and then three times in a row she runs into the same horse named She's Nasty, who is now four for five. So we know Sneaky Cheeky can run well going long because she did in her last two starts. We know she can run well on the turf because she did in her debut, and then she ran into a really tough group in career start number two. Sneaky Cheeky, the number two, five to one on the morning line. Anything around seven to two or so uh, will make a win wager on the number two, Sneaky Cheeky. That's over at Tampa. On Wednesday So best of luck with your horse racing Early to midweek here We'll be back with more racing Probably some uh, Friday, Saturday racing Later in the week on the next episode Of That's What G Said Before we get into our Hawkeye Full recap of episode 3 
want to remind you about one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, full-service realtor Cindy Carava. Her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, CindyCarava.com. And as a full-service realtor, she can help you out in many different ways. And right now, through December 31st, she's actually offering a Black Friday special where she will provide a discount on services that she will provide up to like $1,000 or so. If you're interested, right now... It might be the time. You can save some money on the services and you can go get in touch with someone who you can really trust, who's going to be honest with you, who's going to let you know whatever you're interested in, how the market will reflect what your needs are. She will not lie to you. She will be honest with you, but she's genuine and she is one of the kindest people you will ever meet. CindyCarava.com, the exact type of person you need when dealing in the world of real estate, relocating, moving. She can help you upgrade your home if you're looking for vendors, you know, gardeners, landscapers, painters, people that she's had a lot of experience with. She can make it easier for you with a home loan by connecting you with the right kind of lenders who have experience with this kind of thing over and over and over again. CindyCarava.com. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. It's time to talk Hawkeye. Episode 3. We are already halfway through this short series, uh, Hawkeye. Only a six-episode stint, and we've uh, we've now finished up with the third. Like always, we're going to go scene by scene everything that happened in the episode of Hawkeye. We also talk about a lot of the other Marvel MCU projects, anything that Hawkeye's been in. We you know reference back to... Eternals, Shang-Chi, a lot of the recent Disney Plus TV shows, so major spoiler alert, Tim Kelly joins us like he always does for anything in the world of Marvel MCU, and we have our deep dive, a deep dive recap and review, we get into everything, and so far, very positive endorsements from Tim Kelly and myself. Kick back and enjoy as we spend a ton of time getting into Hawkeye. We're on to episode three of Hawkeye, the newest Disney plus Marvel Studios MCU show. And I think we have a, a lot of positives to say about this one. Haven't really talked too much to Tim yes. about his uh, his thoughts on this show, TK, but just from kind of getting the feels from you and the some our back and forth, it this this episode really picked up the action. And yeah. I don't I don't say that as uh is in thinking that episodes one and two were negative at all because they did a great job of setting the groundwork, laying a lot of foundation for what we get in this episode. Cause I think again, I, I hate having to keep going back to like what we've seen recently with Eternals and with other projects, but you just feel like at this point, TK, we like, we know Kate Bishop now by episode Mm -hmm. three. Don't you feel like you just know her so well by this point already? Absolutely. Uh, and credit to Haley Steinfeld. Uh, she's just a really um, just compelling a- actress. I-, I really enjoy her performance here. And the character's really well written. Uh, they take uh, the character pretty much right off the page and, and make her real. And uh, I-, I think that it's a it's an absolute 100 um, percent knocked it out of the park kind of a, a thing with her character. And I was surprised about that because. Her character uh, amongst fans is kind of divisive. You know, it has uh, the reputation of being like this kind of like woke, 
um, feminist, you know, version, like replacing the original Hawkeye. Uh, that's and that's what some fans obviously think, not all fans. But um, uh, I don't think that's what this is at all. I think this is a great continuation of the character and a, and a new character. Um, and and uh, I find it really interesting, actually, the, the relationship and the, the dynamic between uh, b- between her and and uh, Clint. I love that mentor um, uh, protege kind of relationship there. And uh, they have sort of an odd couple vibe and it, so far everything is just firing on all, all cylinders and I'm really enjoying the show. It is It's got a good uh, fun feel to it. The pace we've discussed how it's got that ticking time clock. Now everything's been yeah. on basically this week long. Um, it, it's the, the show is going to take place over the period of a week where every episode of the six is, is basically one day and he's got to get home to the family before Christmas. Uh, just all of the little things are really well done, you know, like that. That's just a, kind of an, an overarching theme. And then you, you've got another one where every episode we see all the little uh, the bruises, all the nicks, all the little things starting to add up on Hawkeye. Every time he takes a fall, every time there's a bump, he doesn't have the healing powers. He doesn't have right. magical regeneration, you, you know, he. He feels those bruises. He's got to go in the store. He's got to do that. So it impacts him. And I think at one point to me in this episode in particular, it feels like the moment when he's on the phone with his son and Kate has to basically be his interpreter because he can't even hear he he doesn't even know that it's his son on the phone. He thinks it's his wife because he sees the phone calling. And yeah. Kate's it to me that was sort of the moment when I think Kate realized what's at stake for Hawkeye. I think in her head she yeah. kind of knew. Oh yeah, he's got his family. He's got to get back there. But for her, this is like oh, this is just fun time with my hero. And th- that was a moment where you could see it in her face where she was like, oh, this guy is this guy's a real guy with a family. Yeah, that was a big revelation for her because up till that point, you know, I think she she was just looking at him as this iconic hero, as this Avenger, as a as a superhero. Uh, And that was a moment where it really brought his character down to earth uh, in, in a way that made him feel very just just human. And he saw that that uh, and she saw that that uh, Clint was just a loving father and saw him for that. And that part of his identity, which was just um, something that she was kind of blind to before that. Not that she probably didn't assume that there was something about that, but I think she probably just didn't look that that deep into uh, into him and had this very surface understanding of who he was. A couple other uh, very interesting things to discuss throughout this episode. So we actually begin this episode with the origin story of Maya Lopez. Yeah. And Maya Lopez, who plays the character, or Maya Lopez, who is the character Echo, and Maya has a similar origin story to that of Kate Bishop. It's kind of there are a lot of parallels when we see sure. Maya at I guess I mean second grade, I think it says on the book. So we're you know probably seven or eight or so where we see her pick up at the beginning of this episode, and she's in school. And so we see her Some of the things she has to deal with Early in her life we see the relationship she has With her father we see her actually losing 
her father, similar to what happens with Kate. We see how that impacts her and how she actually becomes a trained fighter from a very, very young age. And, you know, and not only is she deaf, she's also dealing with a prosthetic leg. So this character um, and this woman, Maya Lopez, has some incredible hurdles in her life to deal with and she is a badass man she is so cool like she walks down the there's a moment when she walks down the steps and clint and kate are there in that kb toy store and they're 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 locked up and it's just this ominous it's almost like this moment when you get the dark darth vader walking through she's not that type of character because you actually sort of feel a little bit for her you feel some empathy for her with what she's dealt with but there's I thought they did a really good job just presenting her again in this. And now we know so much about her just one episode in. So true. And uh, I love that that whole parallel uh, way that they uh, introduced her. You know, we we are introduced to Kate Bishop as a young girl uh, in this very formative event for her. And then we get a very similar introduction uh, here with with, uh, with Echo. Uh, Maya Lopez. And uh, yeah, immediately we're drawn to the character. We identify with her. We're we're um, rooting for her. We see her, you know, her disabilities there. We see her her spunk and tenacity from being a little uh, from just uh, as a little girl. And uh, they tell that story, her origin, so deftly, so like uh, it's so smart, so quick. And, uh, I, I felt it every step of the way, but we just get these little snapshots. We get her in the classroom. We see that she's deaf. She's very isolated, but we also see that she's very bright. She's advanced beyond her peers. She surprises the teacher there. We also get this moment where we see the teacher, um, you know, speaking and and Maya is reading her lips, but then the teacher turns away, uh, and she can't, she can't see what's being said anymore. She's kind of lost and left out. And that is, is kind of um, echoed later in the scene with her father who tells her she has to walk between two worlds. And that's sort Mm -hmm. of her challenge there. And that challenge is one of the things I think that kind of inspires her to rise to the occasion and become, you know, the person that she is when we see her later in the, in the series and she's, you know, running this gang uh, the, the, the tracksuit mafia over there. Um, and, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a great, great little piece of storytelling there. Uh, before we know it, we're already seeing, um, Ronan shred through, you know, the gang and kill her father. And we have these, these big moments, these formative experiences that tell us pretty much everything we need to know about the backstory of this character. Plus, we get five a few minutes. great, yeah, and we get a few great Easter eggs there too, which I'm sure we'll we'll be discussing as we break it down a little deeper. Yeah, it was just so well done, and then you get a lot yeah. of the early. You feel just kind of a lot of things that remind you of Shang Chi, even just the, mm-hmm. the bringing up of the dragons and talking about oh, the yes. dragons between the two worlds. Um, how we have this girl now, a female rising. To the sort of towards the top of this organization to to fill in where her father yeah. was, you know how her father was uh, a high ranking tracksuit mafia official, uh, as Kazi even mentions. You know, uh, your dad always thought about the crew and this and that, mm-hmm. um, and that actually leads to probably the biggest talking point coming out of this episode. If 
if you watch recaps or if you you know read or listen to the blogs or any of the the response from this episode is that they have now heavily teased spoiler alert the kingpin character oh who- yeah. In uh, the Daredevil series on Netflix Was played by Vincent D'Onofrio He is referred to yeah. uh, There is a man that is referred to as Uncle, there's a man that's referred to As sort of like the boss um, In prior episodes and the head of the The underworld And there is a distinct Laugh at one point In this episode yes. That is something that Feels like they were tipping their hand a little bit Because that's that Vincent D'Onofrio laugh That he's done, not only with the Kingpin character But with a few different characters mm-hmm. in different roles I mean, that's an iconic Character actor there I mean, going back to Full Metal Jacket uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is An amazing, amazing actor And he really owned that role of Kingpin uh, I thought he absolutely Knocked it out of the park And Daredevil on Netflix is a great series Everyone if uh, if you're watching Hawkeye, you should have already seen Daredevil for sure. They're not directly connected, but it seems like they're going to retroactively make it so. Um, you mentioned Kingpin uh, may have been teased here. I go as far as to say that that was Kingpin for sure. Mm-hmm. I think there's no question about it that we actually saw the first little bit of Kingpin uh, in the MCU. We didn't get to see his face, but you know we saw his cufflink. We you're saw the laugh. Uh, we heard that laugh, and that was a very distinctive laugh. I, I immediately knew who that was, and they were they were uh, tipping their hat like very much uh, towards that being Kingpin, letting us all know about it. There's a lot of little details there too throughout that that um, kind of point you in that direction too. Even little things like um, the auto shop that the that the, the tracksuit. <laughs> yeah, it's called Fat Man. Obviously, that's some kind of allusion to Kingpin. It's probably a front. Uh, for one of his criminal organizations um, So I'm super excited That they're going to be folding the Daredevil characters Into the MCU Everybody wants that I think the the Netflix series are were so good So well done And then they had the rug pulled out from under them I know uh, and that, like was, right that was a Netflix decision excited for them you know? Yeah, and that was that was not Marvel's plan either. No. Marvel did not pull the plug on that. That was a Netflix decision. Uh, they were investing in their own stuff, and they they knew that Marvel had the plans to move to Disney Plus, and Netflix decided it wasn't in their best interest to keep working with Marvel, and they just basically pulled the rug out under a bunch of really good shows that they had going for them. So this is a really cool way to to restore that and keep that legacy going. Uh, TK, I'd imagine that you uh, were also the kind of guy who. Spent a day or two in a, in a KB toy store, huh? Oh, yes. I love <laughs> the, the settings here are so amazing. The fact that they chose a KB toy store, um, the, the setting of New York in general and the way that they use it thus far in this series has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, and that just brought out that sense of the Christmas spirit, yep. a little bit of nostalgia there, absolutely. too. Uh, it reminded it reminded me of a little bit that scene in Big. Obviously, I, I think that's F.A.O. Schwartz, but yep. it had a similar do, vibe do, of that like, two-story two toy do, store. Do, 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 yeah. do, do. And it also <laughs> has uh, – we in just a, a – like we saw a similar setting in Loki. Was it when mm. Sylvie showed up, right? I think for the first time when they're in that – um, like the store. big box store, the, the yeah, big yeah, box yeah. Store, the abandoned store when they're like he, he goes into the future a little bit. So this is another setting that's kind of similar to that. This abandoned yeah. store, the cool scene where Hawkeye's like jumping on the top of the shelves and they fall over. Yeah, and you've got these dumb criminals kind of chasing him through this like abandoned KB toy store warehouse. It is, 
it's a blast. It was a lot of fun there. And just seeing the KB, I was like, I popped hard for that. Like, man, I used to yeah. go there with my mom and be waiting to pick out the newest wrestler that would come out or whatever. You know, I was the, the toy oh, yeah. I was into at that point. So that was a very cool, nostalgic moment uh, there. And gosh, just comparing like the the immediate reception to two different characters that we've seen recently in the MCU that were introduced. Compare what people feel and just what I've been reading and seeing how people seem to have uh, have been uh, responding to their first looks at Echo and Maya in these last two episodes versus what we saw from a character like Taskmaster, right, in Mm. Black Widow, who so many people were really disappointed with the the way Mm. that that character was portrayed. And and this character is actually kind of similar in sort of the most basic sense from – some of the abilities that she has she's she's like a mimic you know right she um she can photographic reflexes absolutely she can just quickly watch something see something and then boom this has helped her throughout her life in fighting it's like she can study the fighting instantly of uh of her opponent and then boom she knows their footwork she knows what's going to happen and she is Kind of what we've seen so far, like a better version of the what people wanted the Taskmaster to be. Yeah, that's a, that's disappointing too because Taskmaster is such a cool villain, mm-hmm. uh, and I hope they do that character justice and kind of adapt him from the comics a little bit more accurately. Um, I think then that would would kind of solve the issue. I don't mind if there's uh, you know changes made from from the comics to the screen. That's that's going to happen. It needs to happen. And in fact, this episode. Um, makes fun of that a little bit. There's a scene later in in, in the diner where um, where Kate is is showing uh, Hawkeye a, a comics accurate version of his costume, and it kind of looks ridiculous. Uh, so they they poke fun at the idea of like translating directly from page to screen. But still, there is a line where you take it maybe too far and you lose the sense of like what makes the character cool or what makes the character the character. And I think that's a little bit of what happened with Taskmaster and Black Widow. But what we're seeing here is, I think, a more true um, adaptation uh, from page to screen, a little bit closer to uh, the the core elements of the characters. And even though they're not doing it an exact one to one, you can never do a one to one um adaptation uh they they got the most important elements right so uh, i loved again so many little things the trust a bro moving company is like yeah. what a great name for these dudes we see it on the yeah. days like smile you're moving and it's like the big yeah. man goes by bro bro and uh just kate the excitement that she has getting to use the trick arrows. We got some awesome yes. trick arrows here, TK. Absolutely. Oh, man. So, and, um, yeah, go ahead. That, just, just, that, that was just a ball of fun. I loved it. We were having as much fun as, like, the character was having. Mm-hmm. We're living through her as she's just, like, finding out, discovering all these, like, new, um, uh, amazing, fun more trick arrows. More dangerous than that one? You know, she's right. like, it's great. We get a, a putty arrow. There's one that's basically, like, an explosion, like, a just explosive yeah. tip. That's like, whoa, she blows, she blows one van up. Uh, there's one yeah. that's the plunger, and she's like, what the hell is this for? But it does help that's, save that's it. That's a great, that's a great, uh, I, I believe it's um, referencing the comics, too, where, like, there's literally 
an image of Hawkeye shooting like an actual plunger arrow, <laughs> like a toilet plunger. I'm, I'm fairly certain that's a thing. Uh, so that's what I, what I immediately thought of. I had this image of it. So I, I have to look it up to see where that's from. But I'm almost positive that came directly from the comics and uh, as a, one of the more silly things that uh, Hawkeye shot from an arrow. Or it might have been Green Arrow. Who knows? There's one that's like a, a grappler. That's like a wire mm-hmm. release. It, it, it looks very similar to something you'd see from Batman. Right. You know, right. Where the he releases yeah. it and it just kind of like wires come out and and they – they were able to attach to whatever uh, they're shot at. Then there's one that's the, I mean, in my opinion, the best of them, the pin. Yeah, I know. Arrow. Oh yes. Oh yes. Tech <laughs> arrow. Oh my gosh. To where it's got that pin tech yeah. technology to where it can expand. So he shoots this arrow. Uh, he has actually Kate shoot one arrow and then he shoots an arrow into it. It expands and this thing drops out of the sky like a freaking torpedo. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've talked about like the whole reason when we watch any of this, this content is we we're looking for those moments. We're looking to be moved and, and to just be kind of wowed. This episode had a lot of those moments and that was probably the big one for me. Uh, when I think back, you know, to all the recent MCU properties, I can't think of a moment in Eternals, for instance, that, that got me like that moment did that just made me smile and surprised me and and uh and just got me into the into the scene like that moment did like I, when i think back on hawkeye th- that image is going to flash in my head and there's a lot of that in the, in this episode we had a, a lot of really good moments um you mentioned the kb toys there's a lot of uh funny lines in this episode all those things that stand out there's that great one-shot chase uh sequence glad you mentioned it yep we we're gonna go there right absolutely now absolutely yep. blew me away and um yeah the the pim arrow stands out as being one of the more creative fun and just uh just uh wow inducing kind of uh moments in in recent action history i gotta say on the big screen on the small screen that really stood out to me I thought you were you said you stopped for a second where you were saying he actually blew me. I was like, TK, I don't know what, what rating you want me to put on this uh, podcast episode, but I, I don't know where we're going here. <laughs> As, well, uh, I, I certainly felt blown. I'll say that. <laughs> As, uh, yeah, this was a just a blast. That that shot, that scene, it's like the panoramic one one yeah. shot in the in Children the of car. Men. Where mm-hmm. oh my gosh, and then it goes from like the panoramic shot, and then as Kate leans out the Anhel. window, yeah, yep, yeah. exactly. You could see it like transition. It was just awesome, like beautifully done here. And uh, Bert just and like, Birdie, I believe, were the directors yep. on this episode. I had to. I, I noticed that at the end, the the names stood out to me. I hadn't heard of them before. They're a directing duo. I will be looking out for anything that they do from here because. Those big moments were were great, but even a lot of the, the shots and the way they put together scenes, that diner scene, phenomenal. I think the way it was shot and the way it was orchestrated, uh, this is a really talented uh, pair of directors right here. So I'll be looking out for what they do next. Let's jump on into our uh, scene-by-scene deep dive recap as we get into Hawkeye Episode 3. And we kick things off with the previously on, what happened last week. And then we get the... Right off the bat, actually, we get the Marvel Studios intro, and we see young Maya in class, 2007, the second grade workbook that she's looking at. She actually looks younger than a lot of the kids in her class, which 
almost leads you to believe that she's probably skipped a grade or two. You know, she's advanced. We see that she's really smart because she has these kind of heightened abilities and senses due to being deaf. This is something that's very, you know, true with a lot of people who have some sort of a disability, whether it's they, they're blind, so their hearing's a little bit stronger, they're deaf, so their sight's a little bit stronger, whatever it is, you kind of yeah. adapt and your other uh, senses are uh, are heightened a bit. So she has to, which is really sad, she's basically pretending here not to be deaf. She's mm-hmm. like trying to fit in with this class and the teacher in in that's teaching her kind of thinks she's ignoring her. Like yeah. Maya, you know, can't respond that well. She's got to read lips, and it, you hit this too. If if she's not able to look at someone, she doesn't know what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a huge. Um, it's a disability, obviously, and it puts you right into that mode, and you get right into um, kind of her perspective, Maya's perspective. Yep. Uh, when she's in, when we're introduced to her, they shoot her. Very close up, uh, tightly framed for the most part, and uh, the edges are very um, soft focus. It almost gets the sense that uh, she's very isolated visually, um, and they almost play the the deafness uh, out in a visual sense with that with that blurriness. You get the sense that the world around this this girl is is a little bit confusing, and it's yep. hard for her to kind of penetrate and understand what's going on we get that not only from uh the sounds that we're hearing which is very muffled or or muted entirely but we also get that in the visual sense which i thought was really uh remarkable uh and yeah immediately we're just engaged on this young little girl we're we're rooting for her and absolutely we're we're sympathizing and empathizing with her and understanding that she has this disability and we want her to overcome Mm -hmm. it and we immediately we have this like Goal and this like uh, we're, we're behind her and we want to see her Rise to be whatever she is Even if for a little bit maybe that's a little bit of a, a Villain yeah it's there's No doubt about it the way that they present Her with this origin story That she's very mm-hmm. quickly going to be a, Someone we're rooting for Someone who's mm-hmm. going to be fighting on the side of good You know yeah, uh, ultimately Yeah because she you You just don't put a story like this You don't show scenes like this where you make the Audience Want to root for her so much Right We want her to succeed in seeing this Uh, Her teacher walks over to her Getting ready to kind of yell at her And she looks down And Maya's worksheet's already complete She's already done all of her work And she's filled out And answered all the questions The the games And and they're really kind of sad things When you look at the worksheet too Mm -hmm. One of the questions that says you know, What games would you like to play and she writes down, I spy in solitaire. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's super sad. sad. A little like eight year old girl <laughs> not talking about, you know, playing with her friends or dolls or anything. She's talking about solitaire. Because that's yeah. a game that she's probably played many times in her life. And she doesn't have to, she doesn't have to feel left out in solitaire, TK. You know, right. there's no, t- nobody talking. There aren't instructions. There's no back and forth. It's just her focusing on the cards. Yeah. Right, and that's it's an advanced game too for a young girl to be yep. playing. I mean, like you, you don't think of like a second grader playing solitaire. No, it's a good point. And then uh, I Spy also kind of uh, clues us in that that uh, she's perceptive, you know, maybe abnormally so. Maybe that's one of her strengths early on. 
She also has written down that she wants to run as fast as a dragon One of the uh, multiple dragon references that we have early on with Maya mm-hmm. And she, what she wants to learn um, She writes down capoeira Which is a Brazilian right. martial art Which uh, yeah, It's like dance fighting Yep, yeah it, So she's obviously smart, advanced And this is what You know, you'd see most people put something like I, You know, I you want to learn or you want to grow up to be a baseball player or a movie star. And she's talking about this Brazilian martial arts. So she's just a different girl that we can find out right, right away early on. And then we see her relationship with her father. She is signing with her father and she asks her dad, what sound does the sky make? And her dad says, it's quiet like you And they're doing shadow puppets And they're laughing and you could see they have a good relationship yeah. it, it, It's kind of similar To the what we saw with Kate In episode one where her, when her dad comes in And you can tell the dad is sort of the calming presence And the yeah. She has this unique relationship with him And it also kind of reminds me A little bit of the uh, just I, I'm not sure exactly what Here and maybe it's this and maybe It's a little bit of the car scene too but I got some For sure Black Widow feels at different points throughout this, like just the relationship with the girl and the dad. That kind of reminded me a little bit, maybe of Alexi, and and then the and then they're driving sure. away with the Russian shooting at them a little bit later on. Um, even oh yeah, so even so much when you know Clint's mentioning Black Widow uh, at points throughout the episode. Um, yeah. she asks Pops, "What sound does a dragon make?" And the dad growls, and she laughs, and. She asks him, are dragons real? He says, no, maybe they are, but dragons live in a different world. She asks, what if they learn to come into our world? He said, that would make them stronger. And she kind of smiles. But then she gets serious. She asks her dad, "Um, dad, I thought I was going to go to the school with kids like me. She says, uh, he is her. Uh, what a sad moment, man. You're a father now, yeah. and I'm I am too, Oof. a new father of a couple years, and it's just this like broke my heart when yeah when the dad had to tell her, no, it's not possible. Like we we don't have the money to send you to the deaf school. She said, but you said that we could pay for the deaf school. Oh, it's like yeah, I'm that sorry. In the end, it's better for you. And she even asks, will I have to stop signing? He says, no. But you will have to jump between two worlds just by watching. Oh, TK, what a what a yeah. sad scene here for this little girl who just is like, hey, dad, I, I've kind of done what you've asked. Uh, can we like put me in that deaf school so I can like learn more now? Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and it, it was set up so beautifully too with that previous scene. So we see how she's not quite fitting in and how she feels so isolated and 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 uh, you know, so solitary really in the middle of a, a, a normal classroom. So it's it's just it hurts that much more because we know that it's it's affecting her. And then that line about walking between two worlds that really stood out to me because I think that's something that will carry with the character throughout you know her existence uh, and then even till today, maybe in the future of the character. Uh, it's setting her up as an anti-hero, right? Walking amongst these villain characters, but she's a good person. So it works on multiple levels like that. We now get a look at Maya at karate. And she is 
in studying the footwork of a fellow student in this karate class. And this is still young Maya, seven, eight years old, right in that range. The class takes a break and her dad comes to let her know, uh, you know, I've got to go. And he gets her prepped for her fight. Be good in class. Remember, it's more about speed than size. And he tells her that uncle is going to take her home after class. And we get the reference. Uh, First off, what's what's very important, Maya's dad is in a tracksuit. So he's part of the tracksuit mafia. And then Uncle comes up and he laughs. Ha ha ha. And he grabs Maya by the cheek. And this is the moment when we are very much led to believe. I mean, if there if this is not Vincent D'Onofrio, this is one of those Ralph Boner moments that we're gonna be pretty frustrated <laughs> about, right? Like afterwards, we're gonna oh, be like, yeah. no, don't do this to us. Don't do this to us. <laughs> oh yeah, it, this would be way worse than what Ralph Boner and Ralph Boner was pretty bad if you ask yeah, me. That was a really big letdown. Especially looking huge back at, at a lot of the good that they do, they don't really yeah. try to like they will steer you in the wrong direction for like an episode or two. You know, mm-hmm. they'll do something to throw you off for a scene or two, but generally they come back to the thing that they've teased and that we all feel is coming and when they don't, it's like, oh, really? Yeah. Damn, you know, I think the that the teases thus far though have been so overt and so yeah, specific, so strong that there's no possible way that they go back. That I would bet, you know, I would bet anything I have that this is Vincent D'Onofrio and that it's Kingpin, the, the character. They're setting it up. They're not going to bait and switch this. It's it's just it's too perfect the way they've laid out all these little details there, and that it can't be a coincidence. It's, it's beyond that at this point. So. Now uh, Maya gets called up. It's her turn to have her competition. Now she's uh, she's up next, and she's going to be facing this same boy who's been dominating the class. This boy that's been beating a lot of the other kids, and she's been studying the way that he's been fighting. And he, you know, you could tell when you're young, you got a group of kids like this. He's sort of the bully. You know, I think everybody's been like looking yeah. around, like they've been. He's been kicking their ass. This kid. He's a little bit bigger. He's a little bit stronger. Yeah. And every every time everyone steps up, you know, he knocks them down. And as the karate instructor calls, you know, calls up Maya, um, the boy looks at her. Not only does he see a small girl, he sees a small girl with a prosthetic leg. And he's like, how any boy that's probably 10 years old would react to that? Like this girl? This girl's gonna come up here with that leg Oh my god you know And he's yeah. like scoff- he like rolls his eyes He kind of scoffs at her And boom I mean <laughs> instantly She takes him down She is one move ahead of him Before he can yeah. even do what he wants Boom she's there And the class is pumped They're cheering the bully just got taken down They're all pumped up for her And she just smiles So yeah uh, we got that sense early on, uh, as we did with Kate, um, just kind of looking through Kate's room, seeing her trophies, the medals she won. This girl is a young assassin. She's been trained from a very young age, and she has some incredible abilities. Yeah, and I think story-wise, the way they they set this all up and, and this is told, it's actually really, really well done. I would say, if I'm, if I'm being uh, critical... 
the only thing that kind of took me out of this scene was they didn't quite pull off the the girl doing the martial arts but i can only imagine this is a very young girl probably a new actress mm-hmm. she's uh, a deaf actress uh, uh, she's a deaf girl in real life so she has that disability they cast an authentic deaf girl for for this that limits the pool the idea that they're going to find like a, a deaf girl who's like an amazing actress who can Ooh, also do look. like spinning what? kicks and stuff too and with, looks uh, like oh, a young echo yeah. All, right, all that, that, that's that's got to be impossible. So, given all of that, they pulled it off pretty well with the editing and everything. But uh, if I'm being completely honest, sure. there was that moment there where I kind of went like, "Oh, that 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 looked a little fake." Uh, but like I said, because it was so quick and it was so well told and so well written, I think, and so informative of the character, I'm perfectly fine to just go, whatever, throw my hands up in the air and go out. that. It doesn't stand out. It doesn't ruin it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but if I'm being honest, there that that was something that 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 um, it kind of it was a little red flag there. It was like, oh, that was a little. But but also, I'm I'm a I'm a human being. I'm a dad, like you said. I like I and I got a little bit of a, like warmth in my in my heart just seeing this little girl on screen uh, acting. For, she was mm-hmm. just adorable in her own way, and I was just rooting for the actress behind the scenes. You know, I wanted her to do so. I was like happy for this little girl who got cast in this role on some, on some level too. So that made it enjoyable in another sense to me too. But um, yeah, that was probably the one thing that stood out to me in this episode that was maybe weak and in even still wasn't that weak. Yeah. And, and and what's what I think what's cool about that is that that's even something that's so out of their control. Like you were saying, that's not even something that we can say very much was like a, a storyline or maybe like a hole in the plot or something that's just right. like hey you know what they did the best they can do here and like you said they did such a good job already making us feel for her that we're able mm-hmm. to kind of quickly skip over it but we wouldn't be doing mm-hmm. our jobs if we didn't mention the things that uh, we look at and right. that we we notice that maybe feel a little bit off uh, it doesn't feel as much off to me when they flash to present day Maya grown up Maya right. in the boxing gym and we see kind of a similar it's a quick little scene where she's fighting someone and the guy sort of looks over and notices the prosthetic leg and probably thinks like, oh, okay, this is the girl prosthetic leg. And she just kicks this dude's yeah. ass, man. Um, it, you know, this has got to be something that's been a trend for her throughout her entire life. People taking her lightly. Yeah. She's a female. Yeah, pro- she's deaf. Yeah. And she's got a prosthetic leg. You know, <laughs> there's probably three different True. things that people look at and go, oh, really? Yeah, exactly. And uh, those are things that maybe give her a chip on her shoulder and and, uh, inspire and and push her to uh, achieve the the greatness that she's she's gotten. And I think that's probably a similar uh, trajectory to Kate Bishop on on some levels, although we haven't gotten to see too much of like people doubting Kate Bishop uh, so far. I can I can imagine that that's probably something that they would share along the way. So after her little sparring session. Echo Maya arrives at Fat Man Auto Repair. She arrives on a motorcycle, and as she's pulling up, she can hear something in the garage, and then she can see something in the garage, and it's Ronan. And he's mm-hmm. there, and he is plucking off the tracksuit mafia one at a time. Yeah. She actually sees her dad in the other room get stabbed. Brutal. Yeah. Um, and she's able to rush in there and have a moment with him, her father, who says, please just go, 
She says, I, I won't leave you. And he says, I'm already gone. Fly away from here, little dragon. Ugh. And as he passes away, he puts his hand on her face. And mm-hmm. this is a this is an important shot and moment because this is from the comic. And it's yeah. she actually in the comic, his hand kind of slides down her face with uh, with blood on it. And so she's kind of marked on her face and she actually in the comic continues to wear kind of a, a paint on her face like that to sort yeah. of represent it. So this was man again, we're at this point five minutes into the episode, not even. Mm-hmm. And we've got this incredible story of Maya who she was introduced yep. to us at the very, very, very last moment of episode two. We didn't see anything about her in episode two until the the, the last one minute. And and all that we saw with her was just what she looked like. We didn't even get mm-hmm. anything about her. And then, boom, they go right into this story, which is sometimes a little bit tricky because for two episodes now, we've been with Kate and with Clint. Yeah. And, and now you're going to this entire other character that we don't know anything about. This is one of those things that people will sometimes like, am I watching the right show and kind of change the channel? Yeah. You know, but yeah. but it did great. It did great. And now at this point, you're like, you're just in on this character all, all the way quickly. I'm 100% with you. Yeah, I, I think it was a testament to the writing there and the, and the direction, the editing. Everything uh, laid out these important beats for the character uh, so well. And this sequence uh, that you described at the, um, the auto shop. It, it was another one of those standout moments. You know, these images are, are burned in my head of, of Ronan just slicing and dicing through there, of of um, Maya's father getting stabbed, you know, through the chest, full, you know, full on with that sword, uh, being impaled with it. And uh, it, it was brutal. And it was also done in uh, a way from Maya's perspective, where you're only seeing little glimpses of it through the window, uh, and you're not hearing it, too. So you're, you're getting... Um, very much just her raw perspective on it. And it's a really interesting way to, you know, kind of go through that scene and see that scene. It also has this air of mystery too. Is that for sure Clint? Is there another uh, uh, identity to this Ronin character? You know, mm-hmm. who, who actually is the guy killing all these people there? Cause so brutal. You almost think like, would, would, would Clint kill a guy like Maya Lopez's dad who seemed like a, uh, a decent like good-hearted person, even though yep. he was a member of the the tracksuit mafia, mm-hmm. uh, you gotta wonder. And um, I mean, it was brutal. I, I, it yeah, was brutal. I don't put it past him because it was. It, it could have been during that period um, after Infinity War where he was Ronan and he w- was just doing that tearing through the criminal underworld very mercilessly. Uh, but you get the sense that like, yeah. uh, why I would you so. do that? To, yeah, it was a little too um, indiscriminate. And like you said, this is a different guy now than he was then, but this is also the same guy who's got yeah. he's got who's obviously like when he gets free in the warehouse. I mean, and he's obviously not trying to kill people. Yeah. Like yeah. he has arrows and he has he does everything he can to not hurt people or really seriously injure or kill them. He just likes to get out of the situation. Um, you know, a lot of his arrows are that way too. So this is a guy mm-hmm. who like you said, there's something to that scene where is that really Clint? Is that yeah. really Clint um, as Ronan there, or is it somebody else? And we we don't we don't really know. And that's what is cool. Yeah. One of the mysteries right now, uh, early on uh, of this 
of this show and of this episode as we now get to the present day. And we are back at KB Toy Stores, where uh, the tracksuit mafia's abandoned warehouse, where they have Hawkeye, Clint, and Kate taped to these carousel animals, and they've been they've been putting like these these carousel animals. You know, you put the quarter in, and, and they move, and yeah. you know you're, and they've been doing this all night to to Kate and and Clint, and they're like laughing. The tracksuit mob, they're like, they think it's so yeah. funny that they've been forcing them to be on these little animals <laughs> all night. They are like duct taped to them. And the look through a lot of this and through a lot of this episode, Clint has that, I'm too old for this shit look yep. on his face. You know, that's like, it. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And you can feel him where he's like turning his hearing aid off at points to ignore yep. Kate. It's just yep. this guy wants to be home with his family, man. He and, yeah. he and he's just frustrated that it keeps everything keeps taking him on this this journey that's farther and farther away from his family. Yes, yeah, so much so that you almost wonder as if you were like, what's motivating this guy? Like, why does he even still have uh, the the desire to to be there and see this thing through and finish it out? Uh, and I think that's touched on a little bit with a conversation that. Exactly. He has with Kate later in the yeah. episode, uh, yeah. but you wonder as a viewer, like you know, his family's so important. It's like, come on, that's too much. You're good now. Wait? Get out of there. Yeah. You know, you can come back exactly. later. Get get out of there. But the 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 tracksuit guys, they're just laughing. Like they're just these stupid criminals. They're laughing. I love it, bro. Look at Hawkeye. Where are your arrows now? Boo, 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 <laughs> boo. They're, they're like a pony. <laughs> <laughs> pony pony bro uh, They should smile more Oh this is fun for us too uh, <laughs> and They're just laughing So Kate Who has just fallen through the roof And totally spoiled Hawkeye's plan She looks over and she can realize He's ignoring her he's mad And she even says so it seems like you're mad at me uh, I know it doesn't look like that but you'd be Lost without me you've realized that Right <laughs> As they're tied up together She's like you know, I, I'm you know I'm the brains of this operation here. <laughs> he's just looking at her. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, these tracksuit guys are are playing cards and they're just kind of messing around here. So the the scene that happens next, I thought was so funny. So one of these guys mm-hmm. is just asking Kate for advice about what's going on with his girlfriend, and <laughs> he tells her, you know, like. I bought my girlfriend Imagine Dragons tickets for an early Christmas <laughs> gift. And she's like, oh, that's really sweet. He says, yeah, but then we had a fight. And you know what she said? She said the tickets were a gift, so she wants to take her sister. <laughs> and <laughs> she's like, well, I mean, look on the bright side. At least you don't have to go see Imagine Dragons. <laughs> and he goes, I love Imagine Dragons. He's like offended. I love Imagine yeah. Dragons. And he's all pit. He doesn't even like. Take that in after to it's a quickly Mad and then she doesn't even like them you know She's doing this on purpose to hurt me it, It's one of those things where it's Like somebody is so fixated On their own relationship that That yeah. they can't tell that ever like It's like dude nobody cares right now Nobody needs to hear this just keep this to Yourself but right. she even says Something along the lines afterwards Okay I think you both Owe apologies tell her she hurt Your feelings but apologize for pretending That that was a gift for her Oh let me get hold on let me get a pen Let me write this down you know And (laughs) she's so proud of herself She looks over to Hawkeye to Clint Look 
a little trust, a little communicating, a little listening. And he's so frustrated. He's like, what? What are you, what are you talking about here? So I, I, those are just tiny things that that kind of humor. Um, like, I don't, there were so few moments like that in Eternals. Even just yeah. like a funny little goofy interaction that was like 10 seconds. But it's like, I remember, I'm going to remember her and this dude, this random guy talking to her about Imagine Dragons now. Like, Imagine Dragons That's, is going to be like yeah. a thing in the MCU now just for like the way that she responded and that back and forth. So, I mean, it, I got so many warm, fuzzy feels watching this episode too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's what we we keep going back to, right? We want those fuzzy feels. We want we want something. We want a reaction from this. We're not just watching to kind of get through the episode and know what happened. We want to be moved along the way, and uh, it does a great job of doing that. It makes this show a fun ride. There's great uh, charisma and uh, performances from the characters that have a lot of uh, or result in a lot of. Uh, fun banter that doesn't seem forced you know it seems uh, it seems like it comes from the characters and the motivations of the characters so uh it doesn't just feel tacked on like oh we need a we need a joke here let's let's get something to make the audience laugh so they're not bored it's not that it's it's all kind of coming naturally from uh the stakes that have been raised and and the 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 characters that have been drawn and developed so far uh and it's a lot of fun and also i think it's just interesting and of note that imagine dragons is the new nickelback (laughs) exactly that pinata that like that that band that got so popular and kind of like past their peak and uh the backlash just became stronger than the fandom i i think And we now get introduced to Ivan. He's one of the tracksuit guys. Now, this dude may be more than just a random tracksuit mafia guy because mm-hmm. he is massive. And yeah. y- you get these real Alexi vibes from him because uh, he's kind of stupid sure. and he's, he's saying stupid stuff. But there's a point not long after this where... Kate shoots an arrow into him And now it's a USB arrow So it's not supposed to be one that blows him up But it like just kind of Pings right off him This guy yeah. from He he might be on some sort of a serum Or there, there's something maybe mm-hmm. like Enhanced about this guy's strength Yeah you know and we've seen Super soldiers in the MCU so far So it could be that We've seen the extremist program from Iron Man 3 And that recently popped up again kind of in the background uh, during the fight fighting um, tournament kind of scene in Shang-Chi. Uh, and yeah, so this could be some kind of a super soldier and en- enhanced uh, individual. I didn't get that from my initial view though, if I'm perfectly yeah, maybe, honest. Maybe it's not, uh, but he's a big yeah, my, freaking dude. He's a massive he is, yeah. dude. He stands out where he's probably going to be featured later. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if maybe he does something like brutal at some point that shows, oh man, this, these tracksuit mafia guys aren't just a joke. Like they, they can be, um, a, a real threat too, uh, and maybe cause some serious damage to somebody that we know. Um, I'm, I'm anticipating that they're going to kind of flip the script on it, on us like that, uh, and kind of, um, you know, make them a little more serious at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, subvert our expectations that these are just goofballs. I mean, they all have guns and they're firing. And at, at some point, someone's going to die. An innocent person is going to die or be gravely injured, or have something really bad happen, I think, from them. Because 
that's what would happen. I mean, it's a criminal organization. I, I mean, they're bad guys at the end of the day. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I could definitely see it going that route. I just you know, what? I, I didn't see that individual, that big dude as necessarily somebody that was a super soldier. I could see them kind of revealing that later, though. But uh, honestly, I didn't think about that till I saw some blogs mention it. Yeah, yeah, that was something that popped up in some of the reviews yeah. too. So something to keep an eye on because those are the things that it's like anything like stuff with TK and I here. We are guessing, making some predictions, you know, taking some yeah. swings at what we think is going to come, and like any, we'll be right on some and we'll be wrong on on many. As he even says to her, uh, to Kate, you know, you talk too much, blah blah blah. She always liked this. Mm-hmm. Maybe I rip out your throat. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe <laughs> she will And here comes Echo And uh, Echo Comes walking down these steps And she ah, She's got a She just looks badass when she comes down yeah. She's got a great presence to her And she immediately Walks over and Kate asks Who is she? She walks over to Clint And she cuts Clint loose As he's duct taped you know, from the back And she, as She begins to sign Clint doesn't understand He tells her you know I'm hard of hearing I'm not deaf and she's Signing things and he's like oh, I don't, I don't. It's like if somebody's speaking a language that you Don't know how are you yeah. supposed to respond She at one point He says to her more cookie please Thank you yeah. <laughs> And um yeah. and, It's like uh, my Spanish like yeah, I, oh, yeah. I, I know I know Spanish as much as Like I can order from a Mexican restaurant <laughs> like, <laughs> I know menu Spanish and uh, he knows no like queso, menu ASL. Uh, extra queso, please. <laughs> right. As, uh, she. Um, so I thought the way that they do this is really cool. Now, they have Kazi basically be her interpreter in some of these scenes. So she, uh, Echo, will sign something and then Kazi will say it to Clint and then Clint will respond back. Kazi will sign back like any interpreter would. So. They're able to communicate here as, you know, Kazi asks, what are you doing here, Clint Barton? And uh, uh, Kazi says, you rely too much on technology. Clint actually scoffs at that and says, my go-to weapon is two sticks and a string. So (laughs) uh, Kazi interrupts, no. But that was in reference to the hearing aid, I think, which comes back around later. He says, it means your hearing aid. And she and you might find you're better off without it. Yeah. As Clint actually looks over at Kate and he he answers, you know, I agree. And I think <laughs> I think the very same thing, but he's talking about how you know Kate's annoying him with this rambling. Yeah. Um, but he's got a he's got like he's here, he had a plan, he just wants to let everybody know about the suit. Hey, look. She mm-hmm. put it on by accident. She didn't know what it means. She's not Ronin. Look at her. She's nine and she's spoiled yeah. rotten. And uh, so he's just telling Echo, look, here's what it is. Kazi interprets. He signs to Echo, but she is not wanting this. Remember, she mm-hmm. is associating the Ronin suit with killing her father. Yeah. So yeah. to her, this isn't fun and games. This is not a joke. She, uh, Signs and Kazi says she beat up a few of my guys and she came and then came running when you were in trouble. Seems like she's got something to do with it. And just because she's not the Ronin doesn't mean that the Ronin's not back. Clint says it's just a rumor because he's dead. When they ask who killed him, Clint says 
And I love two little things oh. where the, yes. the moments when yes. the deaf um, one of the deaf characters can't hear, and it's just like this mm-hmm. muffled, but you can just barely make out the, the the tiny semblance of a word or a a sound or a noise, and you hear him kind of say yeah. like, and then Kazi actually signs Black Widow. He had said Natasha Romanoff. Yeah, that sequence, that shot there. So cool. Uh, that stood out to me as one of the first things in this episode. Uh, those moments we keep talking about of like that that just kind of move you. And it was so smart the way they did it. You mentioned that they, you know, they cut to when she asked the question uh, of like, how do you know that uh, that that Ronan's dead? Uh, they cut to um, to Maya's perspective in that. And that's why we we don't hear the answer, but we see him mouth it. And then the camera within that same shot just uh, pans to the right, and we just see the the sign language with the subtitle on the screen say Black Widow. And we know from looking at the way he mouths it, he says Natasha Romanoff, and then uh, it's signed Black Widow. So I love that moment for a lot of reasons. The way the way it gets revealed to us um, is is uh, we, we know what he's going to answer. I think before he says it, we're suspecting it. It's a smart answer. You know, obviously she's dead. So blame it on the, the dead person. Everything can go away. Uh, but just the way that they heighten that moment a little bit by, by cutting out the audio, the audio and going to Maya's perspective, I thought it made it land so much heavier. Uh, and it, it just had so much more, um, impact to it and you also get the sense too that like oh the, the, these you're reminded these are avengers who everybody knows them so he says natasha romanoff this name and then um the guy signing i, I apologies i forgot his name but he he says uh Hot, black, right? black widow so it's yeah yes it's just understood that uh, black widow is natasha romanoff they're probably very famous in the in this world you know it's, everybody, knows, everybody knows who black widow was yep. they, they saved the world for crying out loud so uh, it was just a really cool moment, I thought, um, overall. And she doesn't, like anybody, she's, Maya at this point is so emotional. Her father's mm-hmm. been killed. She's trying to, you know, uh, uh, give justice in her mind for, for her father. And we actually get a flashback of of that moment when Ronan kills her father. And, mm-hmm. and she's, you no. Know, she thinks you're, she thinks they're lying. She goes right up to choke Kate in this yeah. really serious moment. So much that Kazi, her guy, her right hand man, has to like pull her off of him. And and Kate is like, for someone who likes to puff her chest out and likes to act like she's you know she's got this bravado and she's you know she's so confident. She's freaking out here. Mm-hmm. She's like. I put the suit on because I didn't want anybody to know I was at the auction. I didn't know what it was what it was when I put it on. I swear, please, please. She's like coughing. She's choking to where Kazi yeah. has to pull Maya off and and ask Maya, "What are you doing?" And he looks at her. It would be like, you know, you and I are somewhere and I'm getting out of hand and you got to calm me down. Like, what are you doing? Hey, look, I know, I know this is a, a big deal, but we're gonna get ourselves into even more trouble right now if you keep going here. Yeah, and I I wonder why uh, what that trouble is exactly, or is he more maybe even motivated by just we haven't got enough information out of them yet. Uh, but yeah, that that was very he, interesting that that yeah, he, he just, held her back in that sense. And we just, see later on 
Oh, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say, yeah, that, and that's what it was. At this point, we don't know. We do find out later that he just says we don't want to upset Uncle. Right. Right. You know, we're we're trying to keep a low profile right now. We have a job to do, and this is not part of it. So whatever they're supposed to be tasked with doing, finding Ronin is like is off of that path, and that's something that Maya is ordering them to do now in order to try to to you know get that justice for her father. So right. that's like her major motivation in the story, right? It's that's mm-hmm. her glorious purpose, as we've been saying throughout these series. But like, uh, it, it's it's vengeance at this point, vengeance for her father, and that's a, a theme that you know permeates throughout the MCU so far. I mean, hell, the first big team up movie is called The Avengers. That's the name yeah. of the team. So vengeance is a major theme that they explore uh, throughout Marvel in general, and uh, it's a very common uh, motivating factor, especially for for villains or antiheroes. So as Kazi has pulled Maya off, he is talking with Maya a few feet away from where Clint and Kate are still tied up. And Clint is whispering to Kate because he notices Kate's scared now and he wants to kind of settle her down a little bit. So he says, listen to me. Now's not the time to be scared. We're going to get out of this. You're going to go back to living your life. I'm going to go back to my family. You're going to harness that overconfidence of yours. Okay. That ridiculous <laughs> overconfidence. You remember that one? Okay. Wait for my signal. And he goes, boom. And Clint busts, uh, um, he busts out and uh, he's able to break through the tape and he runs off as the tracksuit guys follow after him. And yeah. Kate's just kind of still sitting there taped to her carousel animal. And she's like, uh, hey, how'd you do that, Clint? It'd be, it'd be really nice. Uh, yeah. And this is where we get that sort of chase through the KB toy store. Ivan and Kazi and Maya and all the tracksuit mafia, they go looking for Clint. And it, I just the like the vibe and the feel of this is so cool. It's like abandoned yes. toy store. He's jumping like we see this big stuffed dog in the background, which looks a lot like Lucky, the pizza dog. Um, right. And he actually ends up like using the the stuffed animal in to kind of hit one of the tracksuit guys in a very Shang Chi was it Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee using the weapons around me to fight kind of a right. way. Um, and then he and then he looks like Aladdin. He's like leaping from the top of each shelf, like like a rooftop to rooftop yeah. here as he's going like and these shelves are falling over. And then as he leaps off the back shelf, he he like falls through these this wooden this little wooden uh, bookshelf. And it's again this moment mm-hmm. where like he busts through, but you could see it on his face where it's like, ow, that hurt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, they're always bringing him back down to reality and reminding us that he's a a human in this superhero world and that he's going to have all these human real world uh, consequences to and everything that he does. And I absolutely love this sequence. Again, it was filled with those moments we talk about uh, that one shot where he kind of does a a twirl. At one point, he gets the, the bow, I should say. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but he gets his bow back. Uh, by doing this really cool jump off of like a mattress that's positioned against the wall and he bounces through the glass and breaks in there. Um, and it, it was reminded me, especially in that moment, of this great, great film uh, called The Protector by Tony Jaa. It's a, it's a martial arts film, a Muay Thai centric film with amazing stunts. I mean, uh, as good as it gets as far as stunts are concerned. And there's this great warehouse 
sequence where there, uh, it, the the action here very much reminded me of that. So definitely look out for that movie. If, if you're a fan of this, check out uh, Tony Jaa in The Protector. Um, uh, really, really good movie. It's actually called Tom Young Goon. That's the better version of it if you watch the, the Thai version of it. But I digress. So many great move, uh, moments in this sequence. Uh, I mentioned he grabs his arrow, bow and arrow at one point, and then he does this great move like off the balcony where he does this spin and the camera follows him with the spin and lines him up and it's just perfect way where he's kind of uh perpendicular to the frame and it's slow mo and we see the wind kind of like rippling the his cheeks as he just lets this arrow fly with this perfect shot that whizzes cozy's face and frees kate from the uh from her her uh, the the tape that has she's um He's bound by. Yeah. Yeah. She's bound with his tape. It was such a cool moment there. And then we got the ball, the ball pit uh, sequence too, which I thought was really good use of the space and location. The the, the settings just were used to full effect in this whole thing. I love this sequence. What's great about it too, is that, you know, Hawkeye, when he, as a fighter and as someone like, he's a good fighter and he's a trained assassin and everything. But for Hawkeye, what makes him, Different what elevates him is when that bow is in his hands when he gets that bow and arrow in his hands He is just like that is him At his greatest that that is what he does and when when that happens when he grabs that and he This is like one of the most his most badass scenes in in all of the mcu like he looks really badass here and it is a so much fun as we we and this is actually the first time now in Sort of almost the middle point of episode three This is the first time that we see him in this series With his bow and arrow um, Yeah that's a good point Yeah, and, We've seen um, more of, of Kate using her bow and arrow Yeah because that's so sort of far. the story it's, it's sort of like Kate learning Whereas we already know mm-hmm. Hawkeye's skills And he, he right. reminds us right here And busts them out The fight stuff with Maya is great They square off mm-hmm. She kicks him in the side of the head So she knocks his hearing aid out and then she walks yeah. right over and stomps on it, you know, just as like a yeah. screw you, you know, like, you don't need this yeah. hearing aid. I, I don't need that. I can do this without that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another great moment too that they, they slow it down to, to show the impact of that kick and you see the, the hearing aid fly out. I mean, visually, this is an incredibly dynamic sequence and overall the whole episode is just filled with moments like this. And it's, it's great too, because there's that dual motivation of, you know, she's, Kicking and stopping this uh, hearing aid because it's going to disable her opponent, li- quite literally. Uh, but also, it's because she has this like moral and ethical like belief that that thing is is kind of making him weak. So I, I love that that duality there. Clint, when he gets the bow and arrow, he pins Maya's hair against the wall at this moment, oh, where yeah. she's like stuck for a second, and he's able to gain a little bit of an advantage. And then he does that incredible jump twist move that we see a few times yeah. in this episode. And he releases an arrow that you you just referenced. It goes right by Kazi's ear. It hits the tape around Kate's wrist and it frees her. Kate yeah. and Kazi have been battling this whole point. They seem to have a little bit of like a, a something like a crush on each other or mm-hmm. some some chemistry between the two of them as Kate slightly gains an advantage on him. Um, and so we're getting flash like kind of cuts back and forth till we see Kate and Kazi, and then we see Clint, who's disappeared into the ball pit. 
and then he pops out. He stabs a couple of these guys right in the feet with the with these arrows, and yeah. he is just plucking off these tracksuit guys one at a time. Like the, one of my favorite things about Clint, and and this is like a Lego loss thing too. You see, is yeah. the the really good like archers how quickly they reload, or how quickly they just oh, yeah. like. Because that's their gun, right? This isn't like an automatic weapon right. where they just keep pressing. They got to be able to go, boom, cock that next one, load that next one. And he just, it's like he grabs these arrows out of, you know, and boom, and they're just in. And how yeah. quick he gets the next person. It's so impressive. Yeah, there's that great little sequence where he's just pinning guys down. And he's hitting them in like the shoulder and everything. And it's just one after another, like semi-automatic fire from a bow and arrow. And, it, and I think the last one's like a no look. He shoots behind his back and, and nails the guy, pins his shoulder to like a <laughs> yep. wall or whatever. So good. I, I, I thought it would, it really sells uh, his skills. And let's be honest, that it's it's preposterous. There's no it, such thing absurd. as – <laughs> yeah, it's absurd, but they sell it on the screen, and that's what matters. So we buy it in this world. We buy this heightened reality where there's this archer who can do all this stuff. Uh, in reality, we know he would have taken a bullet, and he's he's long dead by now. <laughs> it's that's, what that's... somebody would do, like if they were playing laser tag, you know, right. or like when, <laughs> right. you're, when you're when you're playing duck hunt, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you're like, I'm about to pass this level, and you're standing next to your buddy, and you like shoot through the underarm of your like underarm, you know, or like yeah. under your legs, and you're like. Whoo. You know, you blow the smoking gun afterwards. Like this, it was that kind of a thing with Clint just pew, 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 you know, and then he yeah. comes over. And as Kate and Kazi are battling, and Kate's, you know, kind of struggling a little bit with Kazi, but she's got the upper hand. And uh, he just comes over and then instantly just takes him out. Yeah. And, and she's like, hey, I was doing fine. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> okay. And they just, they're on the move. And another thing, the pace doesn't stop really. Even when they, yeah. when they have moments of clear, like where they sit down and they're eating, or where they're, mm-hmm. you know, getting taking a shower and getting ready to to do what's next, it it doesn't. In this particular episode, it doesn't feel slow because we know there's that clock moving. Yeah, so true. There's that ticking clock uh, frame of reference there, and they remind us of that in a really good way. In this episode, you touched on it earlier, and I'm sure we'll get to it later when his son calls. Uh, and that's what a standout moment uh, in the in the episode, you know, another standout moment. And it's so different from these action sequences and the comedy and the light stuff. Uh, but but uh, they're able to to pull it off. Uh, and it's just a testament to the direction and the writing and the performers involved. Uh, they, they all nail it at, at every turn. Um and uh, yeah, similarly, I felt uh, that way about the diner scene. One of my favorite scenes in the uh, in the episode and in recent memory for especially mm-hmm. in the MCU. Uh, but I just uh, I'm not bored or bothered by that diversion from, you know, the action. It's it's an as important part as the action is to me. So they run out of the warehouse and they have they need a car. So they're looking between a couple different cars to pick to, to, you know, steal hot wire and get on their way, take one of the tracksuits cars. And she's Kate stops next to this 72 challenger and she's Mm -hmm. marveling at this car. Man, can we take this one? It's beautiful. Clint looks, I'm not smashing a 72 challenger. Come on, let's go. And he just, just blasts in the window of this Chrysler and then they're on their way. 
as uh, great reference to the comics too because it's a subversion of of what they do they completely flip the script on what they do in the comics because uh there's a sequence in the comics where they take that challenger and mm-hmm. that's the car that they're rocking but in this case they, they they set it up like we're we're gonna get that and then he's like oh, i'm not gonna damage that but they they end up paying that off too at the end of the sequence so really well done this is the point when kate and clint can't communicate with each other because yeah. clint Clint doesn't have his hearing aid anymore. It got smashed just a few minutes ago by Maya. And so it's like you're it's it's like the first time maybe probably close to the first time you and I did a show like this, right? Like I talk for mm-hmm. a second, then you talk and we kind of jump on mm-hmm. each other for a second, and then it's like you don't know the other yeah. person's flow quite yet. You right. know, right. you don't right. know when they're starting, when they're stopping. And that's they keep talking over each other. They both are sick thinking the same things, but they're like they they can't. Get their point yeah. across to one another. He he's telling her, "Look, you you got to drive," and she says, "I don't know how to drive," and and he's trying to hotwire this car, and and she's, "No, you drive, I shoot," and we get so another good. one of those scenes where it's like really muffled, and, and yeah. Clint Clint can't really hear. It's like I'm not hearing you. Can you drive? <laughs> you can drive. You drive, okay? <laughs> such a good, <laughs> such a good scene. And they they just are like frozen. And all of a sudden, here come the tracksuit mafia people running after them. So they have to get in the car quickly. So Clint has to start driving. And Kate mm-hmm. is in the passenger seat. Um, and this this is that scene that we were talking about, that car scene where you get that one kind of shot mm-hmm. all the way around the panoramic. And this is actually the scene that reminded me a lot of the very beginning of Black Widow when they're in that you know chase. Yeah. And they're shooting after them, and they were singing my. <laughs> Any chance I can get to do that, I will. I will take it as a the the bros. Now, um, this is a great chase. This is an awesome yeah. chase. As we see them so in good. their trust of bro moving company van, and it's yeah. on the side, like smile, you're moving. As yeah. Kate and. Clint are in the car and the tracksuit Mafia surrounds Them we see you know like three or Four of these cars that are following them And uh, The 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 shot this is where it is Right here that panoramic you know and and Mm -hmm. It is it goes from the panoramic to the Handheld Kate grabs the Arrows that are in the back seat And and Clint's like wait 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 Those aren't regular arrows and she's Like No way! These are tri- <laughs> trick arrows. Oh yeah. my! She is geeking out, man. She's so excited, and Clint's looking at him like, "Oh, not this one! No, you can't use that one! Nope, yeah. nope!" And he's like taking them out one at a time, and she's like, "No, you know what? Screw this! I'm using this one!" And she just takes, <laughs> just grabs arrow, and she starts shooting, and he's like, "Hey, be careful!" And she's all pumped. I was born careful. Danger is my middle name. You know, she's given us these. And so what I like about this is that, gosh, that pep talk Clint gave her work. She was tied up a few minutes ago and she was like almost Mm. in tears, like scared. And Clint just said, hey, you're going to be fine. We're going to do this. You're going to be get that confidence back. And boom, you know, it's it's kind of like a a little pick me up from your hero, a little pep talk from the guy. Of course, you're going to. You're going to have a little more bounce in your step afterwards. And this was great. This is where this is the scene where Clint gets sold on Kate with her yeah. abilities. 
with absolutely with what she's able to do with her pinpoint accuracy here and how she's able to to do deliver under pressure. So she's hanging out the passenger window now. She's Ace Ventura here, you know, and <laughs> she's shooting. And first up, it's a putty arrow. Yeah. And she says Play-Doh, and this is putt wiper. <laughs> and so this arrow hits the windshield of the one of the cars chasing her. And it sort of expands all over the windshield and the guys driving can't see. And so they lose control and they yeah. run out like they run, you know, into another car. What I like about this too, is it's all very, the stakes are high in that mm-hmm. they're, you know, there's this chase going on. The bad guys are following them, but every they're shooting like, out windows and stuff. Yeah. Like, they're shooting out windows. Done to great effect. But she's not killing people. Right. Mm-hmm. Like right, right. every time. That she shoots an arrow, it's like, oh no, they're like the putty goes in and they go knock and they crash into another car. Or they yeah. she drops the grappler arrow and like all these Christmas trees get brought up. They're not just yeah. brutally murdering and blasting people. So it, there is even some levity to mm-hmm. what you're seeing happening here. Uh, you throw the tracksuit mafia and these stupid guys and they're like, bro, bro, bro. You know, it's like the, the scenes are going on and they don't know what they're No, 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 no. Like every time they're crashing. Yeah. Um, so this is, yeah, this is so cool. We get to see all these different trick arrows here, TK. I think, I think we yeah. see six of them. You know, I, I, I didn't count, but man, they were just, they were so fun. Uh, just dropping one after another, that, that first one, uh, it reminded me of like a flubber. Kind of a deal, like the, the, the CG on it, it kind of reminded it, me of Flubber, like a like flubber. purple Flubber. Yeah, and it, 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 I like that it was purple too. It's just very on brand for Hawkeye. They made it that signature purple color. Uh, obviously, not a coincidence there. Then she's got that RPG one. Uh, she fired the, the plunger one, which was a, a fun like subversion of expectations, where you're like, "What's this one do?" And then it does nothing. She's like, what, "Why would you shoot a plunger arrow?" And then, and then they subvert that by having it <laughs> come in handy at the end of the scene. Uh, but it, they, they just keep making it more and more clever with each arrow. The, the one that grabs all the trees. Again, we're, we're reminded of the setting and the time that it's Christmas. It's fun and fu- uh, and funny in a little uh, in some ways. Like you said, it's not too heavy. We're not like, oh, my God, that guy just got cut in half or something like that. Yeah. But it also feels like, oh, man, maybe that guy just got messed up a little bit. It does. <laughs> like, yeah. They're, yeah. They're, yeah. So it, it walks that line pretty nicely. And then – that it just has this incredible coda, the, you know the, that the the pim arrow that you mentioned earlier, it, it, the, the special effects and the way that they so set good. it up, uh, the, the the pacing of that, the way that they reveal it with this rack focus. You see him draw back the arrow. He's already told her to shoot up in the air. As an audience member, you're going, well, well what's going on here? Like, what what's it going to be? And then when you see the pim logo at the tip of the arrow immediately it you clicks know, and then uh-uh. they pay it off a moment later and it just turns into this missile that drops straight down on top of the car blow the the, the, the truck it just blows up uh and it's, it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant and inspired that would have absolutely blown the doors off of the theater i mean I, I, like that's that's a big like stand up and clap kind of a moment in the theater and we got to see it from the comfort of our own uh, living room in this great series that you know, gave us a really rich episode from beginning to end so far. Uh, but we get great action moments like that that honestly feel uh, first rate. So, they, you know, they can't hear each other. They're of a hard, having yeah. a hard time understanding each other. He says, "Hit the putty, uh, hit the wheels with a putty arrow." 
She's like, oh, go, great idea. And she said, uh, uh, I'll do that as soon as you label these damn things. You know, yeah. he, he tries to say something back to her. And she goes, like, at the same time, they say, you know, it'd be a lot easier if you were facing the other way. Right. And then they both kind of stop, and she she's so excited. She's like, hey, we're communicating. And it's just like <laughs> a, you get the, again, you, like, smile at that moment when she looks back and says yeah. that to him. It's not like yeah. a corny, like, oh, yeah, they're trying to get us to laugh there. It's a genuine, like, oh, yeah, you, you want to smile there. And so he yeah. does. He, he flips the car around. Now he's driving in reverse while she's yeah. shooting because it gives her the better uh, the better shot. So she continues to go through these arrows for the next one is an explosive arrow and she just yeah. shoots it at the van and like this van just blows up and it's flaming and, and it's like, Oh, she screams, Holy, sh- yeah. there are four more arrows dangerous than that one. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and that guy probably died too. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, say, he got, his car got hit with an RPG. We, we joked about the levity here, but that guy might've been, uh, he's play- <laughs> yeah. at the very least he's, yeah, he's burning. He, he's crisping up yeah. right now as, yeah. uh, she shoots the plunger arrow next and she's, what the hell is that? That's useless. Now we notice Maya is right on their tail and um, Clint has to drive into a Christmas tree lot again, which is just cool. Like it lets right. us know where we are, right? This yeah. is Christmas time. We see the trees here. Now the next arrow that Kate shoots is that grappler sort of releasing a wire and she shoots it to the, the car right behind her. And this truck ends up like attaching itself to a bunch of Christmas trees. And so it becomes yeah. like overwhelmed and surrounded and it, it just like blocked by trees. She gets to the number five, the Pimtech arrow, which is awesome. So they're on this bridge now, and they're driving on the bridge, and it's they're both um, on one side of the the road. You've got Clint and Kate's kind of hanging out the window. On the other side, it's Maya and one of the tracksuit guys, and Clint is is driving while like fighting out the driver's side window. He's like punching the tracksuit yeah. dude. The guy's got a gun. He's trying to shoot it at him. All while Kate notices that in the back of that car, it's her bow. So she's able to snag her bow right back, which is her favorite weapon. So, uh, I mean, this even though the look of this, it's cool. They're, they're on this uh, bridge. They have to stop and come to a halt because the bridge is basically blocked up on the other side. And now Clint and Kate are forced to get out of their car with... Maya and the rest of the tracksuit guys coming right at them. They're basically pinned yeah. in. They got nowhere to go here. They're stuck. And a- another great shot there too. What when they screech, you know, the tires and they, they kind of um, hit the e brake or something like that to, to turn the car, and it, it just like slides, almost hitting the the, the traffic there, uh, kind of perpendicular to the traffic. It's a great shot and just another great moment there. And then yeah, it kind of the the, it, the sequence kind of breathes there for a second because. There's this little gap between them and the the approaching uh, tracksuit mafia, and so th- we have this moment of like resetting and like oh oh shit what are we gonna do now? Uh, and then they pay it off so well with what we mentioned already that that this Pim arrow here, uh, which was just it, so so well done. It goes right through the Challenger, the the <laughs> Pim arrow, and so Clint's like oh man the Challenger gets totaled anyways. <laughs> it, it just reminds me of a torpedo. This thing was right. awesome. Like it was so freaking cool. And yeah. um so 
Clint and Kate They're kind of locked down um, This is uh, When she He asks her to You know they, they, do, they do the pimp thing She has to cover him And Kate asks this is a USB arrow. What am I supposed to do with this? Oh yes, that's right. She so she shoots. He's she actually says, "God, I hope he's got a dongle arrow to make this useful." <laughs> <laughs> and and then she she's like holding it. She she's like got her her bow and arrow cocked, and she's pointing it right at Ivan and the other tracksuit guys. And she's don't move. You do not want to see what this arrow does. Trust me. Yeah. And she shoots the USB arrow, and it just like boink. It just like hits him in the chest. It just <laughs> bounces down. It does nothing. It's so nothing. And she is this moment where she's like, oh, crap. But don't worry. Clint is one step ahead of her. He says, follow me. And they both do his little run, jump, backwards, twist maneuver off the bridge. And yep. as they're falling back, Kate has to grab onto his bow. And then they swing under the bridge that's when they use the plunger arrow to sort of help them swing all the way mm-hmm. through and it's just this cool moment like the easter egg they just gave us for this thing a few minutes before they pay it right off quickly yeah and it looks awesome visually as they go under the bridge and then they like land right on top of the train that's passing by and kate even does this like anakin skywalker woohoo you know <laughs> Like yeah. really like childlike yell when they're going through. That's just great. And it's a great um, moment symbolically too. You get this visual moment of the two of them doing that iconic leap of faith thing that that that, uh, that Hawkeye did famously in Avengers that was harkened back to uh, in the opening sequence of uh, of this series in episode one. Um, but now they're doing it together. So it's like symbolizing that they're finally in sync and we get a lot of cues to that. I mean, we get that moment that you mentioned in the car, uh, where they both say it would be a lot easier if, uh, we were facing the other way. And she says, ah, we're communicating. And obviously there weren't actually communicating there really. They were just coincidentally on the same page in that moment, but it's, it's pointing us in that direction that, you know, where these two, where this odd couple was kind of at at odds before uh now they are more more so in sync uh and they're on the same page uh in a lot of ways and then you get the 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 following uh scene which kind of reminds me of that uh the shawarma vibe from the the, the avengers mm-hmm. post-credit scene you yep. get the kind of afterglow of well, like the, the next three of the action really. when they go from mm-hmm. the subway then they go to her aunt's house yeah. and then they're sitting down having their they're sitting down at the, ca- the cafeteria they're all kind of like one ongoing, you know, conversation feel that mm-hmm. these that these two have, and um, True. it is yeah, it's really really well done. Like you, you, there's so much heart in it. And what I thought was so impressive about this particular ap- uh, episode is this episode was by far the most action that we've had of the three, but by yeah. far the most like emotional too. Mm-hmm. Like the, through through the yeah. stuff that you get. You know, introduced to with Maya right off the bat, and then the scene that yeah. we're about to come up on with Clint and his son in a minute, and um, you you get both the action but the heart at the same time, which is not easy to do. You know, it, it's yeah. like that's a that's sometimes a tough line to to straddle and to be able to to serve both of those. As well, I I think honestly, for something to be good, it needs both. You know, you're right. When, you're right. It has to have when both. it's just good action. It's 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 a B movie. 
mm-hmm. at the end of the day. It, it's blow not, it up, need, flash, and yeah, no substance. Yeah. And you need you need that substance to care about the action in a way. Otherwise, it's just a fireworks show. And fi- you know, fireworks are fun. You know, drink a beer, sit there, watch, watch the fireworks. You know, if if you're with loved ones, it's it's going to be a really good time. But uh, you know, just to, if you're just sitting there watching a fireworks show by yourself, it could be kind of empty. Uh, and I think that's a an, a good anal- analogy here. Like in an action movie, you just you there. What separates a, a, a good film uh, or a fun film from like a great film or something that really moves you is that those human motions and the, and the actual drama and relatable stakes uh, and things like that, things that make a good drama in general uh, will make a good action movie. So now they're sitting on the subway and they're both exhausted, both looking a little beat up and Kate, but Kate's got this, like, like her, you know, her energy, her, um, she's, it's adrenaline running through her right now after this battle. She hasn't been, for Clint, he's been through how many of these types of things, right? Like for him, this is low level compared to fighting Thanos yeah. and some of the stuff that he's been through. Yeah. So he he's like done with this battle and he's able to sort of just like turn himself off a little bit and just mm-hmm. gotta sit. She's just man, oh my god. Is it <laughs> she's like she just played a, a late night, you know, music show and she's just feeling right. it. She can't go down. She's on this high and she, she doesn't have all the bumps and bruises from fighting Thanos. No, uh, either too. So she's still got that energy, and her, her body is fresh. Whereas, whereas Clint, you see it; he's wearing it all. You know, he, like it's all accumulated, accumulated uh, for him. And uh, even though this was a little thing, where he, you know it's not going to like get his blood pumping too much, he feels it uh, in like the, the compounded effects of all those previous battles. The Conversation uh, starts with the dog She says we gotta walk the dog But remember Clint can't hear her And So the side that he's sitting on I mean he can't hear her at all and he's kind of staring Straight ahead so he doesn't even know she's talking (laughs) uh, I love that He he says You're not wrong So I think initially she She thinks he said he's responding To her comment about the dog She's like oh he's been cooped up all day And not not sure how long a dog can But Clint goes on Call yourself one of the world's greatest Archers and she's like oh my god You think so I wasn't sure how I do All of this pressure (laughs) But then Clint like like, This is Clint it's like hey look I complimented You that's it we don't have to follow up on it Like that's all right (laughs) like I told you I gave you your 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 praise Now hey you know we should Probably walk the dog don't you think he's been Cooped up all day (laughs) <laughs> and I love and that moment. Kate just smiles when she realizes, you know, yeah. um, and and it's it is it's really just genuine. It's a genuine moment as they they're uh, peers. They're peers now. Yeah. Uh, there's there's that shift to he sees her a little bit more. She's still um, got a lot to learn. For a sure, protege, but, yeah, and yeah. he's the mentor figure. But now they're in the same realm as peers. Whereas before, he, she was nine to him. Literally, that's what he said at the beginning of the episode. She's nine. Uh, but now he sees her as one of the world's greatest archers. That is a great arc for just one episode right there. So they're back at Kate's aunt's apartment now getting cleaned up. Uh, Clint comes out of the shower and you know he's really having a tough time. He can't hear anything. He doesn't have his hearing aids. But he does see a phone call from his wife's number. So he picks up the phone and he starts talking. Hey, babe, you know, I can't really talk right now. Look, but he can you can you text? So he thinks it's his wife, you know, you see your wife's phone calling, it's it's your wife. 
Actually, it was his son, Nathaniel, calling yeah. from his mom's phone. And we we actually get Kate, who comes in from the other room, to let him know. I thought this scene was really sad. And yeah. also kind yeah. of beautiful, you know, in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Like, just the fact that Kate was like, I got you. Like, they, mm-hmm. she, he didn't have to tell her, hey, write this down for me, you know. She just knew huh. what to do she in that situation. Yeah. And yeah. so... She's now his interpreter um, yeah. You know she is As as He doesn't know anything that's being said On the phone but she's writing it down For him she says it's your little boy And uh, And he goes oh okay uh, Nathaniel what are you doing Buddy is everything okay yeah. Where's mom And Nathaniel responds she's still Asleep so Kate jots that down And holds it up on the pad so it Gives Hawkeye who's smart Clint here he goes hey look There's a a little bit of a delay buddy It's kind of a bad connection Says you're bored I know you're the early bird I miss you buddy go get some breakfast Read a book till mama wakes up But you can see his son Like anyone he's missing dad Dad what's the point of reading a book Are you coming home tonight dad It's Christmas marathon movies marathon Yeah And it's like oh so now Now we're seeing We're kind of remembering the beginning of episode one when Clint's there sitting down to dinner with his kids and they're going through all yep. of the things they want to do. And now in our head, we're seeing them each episode get sort of, Oh, he missed that. Well, he missed the gingerbread one house. One. Oh, well, yep. he missed, he missed this. We'd imagine that the sweaters are coming up soon. I had Milo was wearing an ugly Christmas sweater yep. last night. We went to the temple city, uh, Christmas tree nice. lighting. He was rocking his Grinch, ugly sweater. So love we got it. The, Ugly sweater party coming up soon We'd imagine and this was just Man yeah this was powerful But Mm -hmm. this to me Was the moment when You know Clint says to his son Oh yeah tonight's movie marathon Night Uh, I wish I could be there with you buddy You know how much I love that But I'm not gonna make it but I'll I'll be Back in the next day or two and we'll be in Time for our ugly Christmas sweater party you ready For that buddy buddy And takes a while But the the kid like any kid I know dad I know you can't make it to the Soccer game you've got to work I understand yeah. I, st- I still love you though Dad it's just oh Like he tries to be understanding you get the uh, The sense that you know his kid Gets that his dad has important uh, Priorities And things and that he's a very important Person a hero a real Hero not just like how you think of your father uh, as a hero, but like the world thinks of his father as a hero too. And he, th- I think his kids recognize that uh, to a degree, but still you're going to be di- just disappointed and brokenhearted and you get the sense and it breaks your heart even a little bit more. So that the kids trying to like, let, you know, let his dad off the hook here. Yeah. And that, I, that, I know, that just dad. breaks your heart. It's okay. Um, if you can't come home for Christmas, daddy, we understand. Yeah. And Kate's like realizing right now, Oh, what is, she thinks she's having fun with her her hero and she's like, "Oh my gosh, he's he's like away from his family right now and yeah. And like he's taking time to help me when he should be with them." And Clint tumbling. Yeah, Clint's really sad too. He says, "Uh oh boy, uh I, I miss you, buddy. I'm going to be there. You know I'm going to be there, right? Like I said, I'm so happy to hear your voice. Daddy's got to go. I love you." And uh, the little There's a man lie there that. too, right? Yeah, it's an interesting lie. I'm so happy yeah. to hear your voice. He didn't hear his voice once at really. all. Yeah. Yeah. And I love you, Daddy. I love you more. 
the and then he he at that right afterwards he just kind of looks over at Kate and Clint like says thank you in this yeah. very like hey that meant a lot to me way he's a man of few words but that that said a lot okay. that look and the way he said it I think said yeah. quite a bit um, great scene great scene uh, it's again like you like you mentioned earlier that ticking clock and it's a great reminder of that ticking clock and what's at stake for Clint here a reminder that it's it's about more than this you know story with his past and resolving the the missing suit and all that and saving kate but what's really important to him is that thing going back to you know avengers age of ultron and the farmhouse and this sequence really reminded me of that i even felt like the way that they shot it and the color grading reminded me of his farmhouse and his home life um and it's that again that resetting and grounding of his character and reminding us as the audience of like what's really important to him and what is at stake here is those plans that were so you know beautifully laid out in that first episode in that scene in the in the uh, Chinese restaurant where the kids were making all those plans and suggesting everything that they were going to do for for Christmas and one by one they're going away and his his relationship with his kids are going away and think about also that he's been away from his family for so long uh, you know just think about you know his role as an avenger and how that would probably take him away his role as a soldier before that and how that would take him away and a spy uh but then that five-year gap of that his family was just blipped yeah, out of blip. existence and what that would have done to him mentally so he's carrying the weight of all of that so every moment with his family is so precious and every moment that he has to be away and again we talked about this we're both dads you get it like when you're when you yeah. have to be away from from your kid everybody always says that but you really start to understand it when you, mm-hmm. when you feel that just every moment that you're away is just this missed opportunity uh, yeah. And you don't, and when those stack up too much, I mean, uh, that's there's, one there's of the only worst so many the of them. There's only right. so many yeah. of them. It's right. Finite. You close your eyes, you flash, and all of a sudden, like, like we said, it goes My, so Milo's talking now. You know what I mean? And yeah. we think about where we were the last Christmas, the last time we mm-hmm. had him in these clothes and got all set up for this. It's just, it's incredible. And um, we go back to. The Trust the Bro headquarters, aka the abandoned <laughs> KV Toy Store, they're packing everything up because they're uh, they're this is it place has been compromised now. They you know Hawkeye knew where they were and and Kate knew where they were, so mm-hmm. Kazi and Maya are going back and forth, and he actually mentions that nobody else besides him knows how to sign. Um, he's the only one who kind of respects her and has learned how to interact with her, and he tells her. Look, this got too dangerous this morning. If thing if they keep going after Ronan, it's going to be bad. They're supposed to be keeping a low profile. Quote, I just hope Uncle won't find out. And she doesn't care. She asks Kazi, would you be questioning my father if he was in charge? No, you're questioning me because I'm the young girl in charge right now. So Kazi responds and said, hey, your dad always put the crew first. But Maya reminds him who's in charge. And she tells him to go look for Clint. So, uh, just uh, reestablishing that dynamic over there. That is, uh, as Cl- uh, Kate even references in a minute. There's there's something now between there's there's some animosity between Kate or between Kazi and Maya because mm-hmm. Kazi's like, hey, this isn't what we're supposed to be doing. Like this is off of yeah. the plan here. Boss is not going to like this. I know you're frustrated. I know. You have this personal vendetta, but we are going to get ourselves into trouble when you you let emotions creep into your work. 
that's what ends up happening, right? You, you're mm-hmm. you're too wrapped up in something, and you and you end up uh, leaving a, a loose, uh, you know, a string untied, you know, a loose string there. So right. we uh, okay. Now we're we're outside, and Kate and Clint just took the dog for a walk, and she texts Clint. They're sitting right next to each other, but she <laughs> texts him. Lucky they call you Hawkeye and not Hawk Ear, which is just that is something yeah. that Kate would text, knowing the character. Yeah, she's like corny but funny. She thinks she's kind of cool, and he looks at it. He goes, "Block, delete." This <laughs> 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 is great. It's like uh, as uh, they are actually waiting outside of a uh, a repair shop. And uh, they they went to go get his hearing aid fixed So Kate's pretty excited This woman said yeah five minutes cash only No problem we'll get it fixed So quickly they're able to get the uh, the Hearing aid fixed so she feels like Okay I helped him out too I'm pulling my weight around here as they go to eat And they sit down at this cafe And again it's She is very similar to the beginning of that uh, when they sat down on the on the the subway, she's just got this energy. She's jazzed. Okay, what's what's amazing? You know, uh, that that was better than anything we do in the middle of that crazy battle. And she's going that little, and she's talking about this and that. And she realizes yeah. that Clint's got his hearing aid turned down. He's just completely ignoring right. this conversation with her. <laughs> she's just rambling, right. talking, and. All of a sudden he turns it up for a second And he and the waiter comes over He goes, uh, more coffee please Yeah, sure, no problem <laughs> And she's like, hey, was that turned down the whole time? And, and uh, it's just cool, it's funny You know, there, there are all these Like you see, you hit it Sometimes we get the sense of Okay, they're setting us up for like a, a funny line But this that's not mm-hmm. what this is This is just a lot of Characters in situations that are are kind of funny, and we know about Clint, and we know about his past, and we know about Kate now, and so when they're in these, you know, um, awkward situations, it's comical. As uh, and it's authentic too. It feels it feels authentic. I I just gotta say that, and I know I mentioned it in the last podcast. Genuine, not phony whatsoever. Yeah, 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 and it just honestly rings so true. Uh, to to me, because my dad will just straight up ignore <laughs> ignore you, you know. Like a lot of people will think of him as like kind of um, almost rude standoffish or something. sometimes yeah. or, or rude, but he, he's just kind of matter of fact. And uh, I think that his hearing plays plays into that because he can so easily just ignore you. And also, he it's it's tough for for them to hear anyway. So it's like you kind of give up at a yeah. certain point. If it's if it's tough to hear, it's a struggle to hear. And the person's maybe not got so much important, uh, word, nothing important then- to say. And then you're, you're missing another few words, and then you're catching words, yeah. and there's you're not you're not getting the nuance of a conversation, and so it's like yeah. I'm done, you know, I'm packing it in. I'm not. It's not even worth my time. Let's just turn this thing down. Exactly. As, as, and uh, then what what he can make out is probably he's like, oh, what is she talking about I here? Like, I don't have to listen to this right now. It, it just makes sense with the dynamic of the character. It seems uh, inc- just perfectly plausible and and natural. So. Kate says, look, I know this may sound weird, but I've dreamed of this for as long as I can remember. My dad was fearless. His whole life was about helping people. When I put that suit on, I thought, this is it. This is the moment I become who I'm supposed to be. That's a really cool little little speech from Kate here is Clint says, I remember the day I thought that same thing. But, you know, it comes with a price. 
and she's what what does Clint responds that life that you want to live to really help people. I mean, to try to help people anyways, it comes with a lot of sacrifices and some things you'll lose forever. And she does understand for a minute, but she she wants to light, lighten the mood a little bit. She says, well, there's also things you gain, you know, trick arrows and cool costumes. Speaking of which, she's she's dude, she's just on one right now. You know, she's not going to be calmed down. She's not slowing down. She's got all this energy. You need a more recognizable costume, Clint. Uh, you know, he's you realize my job for the last 20 years was to not be recognizable. Well, you know, you've officially failed at that. So she starts she starts drawing. And remember, we know she's not the most talented artist in the world from uh, her sketches in the uh, the last episode. Okay. And she draws the comic book Hawkeye yeah. and uh, she shows him. OK, here you go. There's a big H on his head. And she says, picture this in purple. Yeah. And he's like, oh, wow. Um, <laughs> what's that on his head? It's your head. It's it's wings. It's like a hawk. You know, that's an H on your forehead. That's for Hawkeye. <laughs> He's like, that's not happening. And she's uh, like, okay, um, okay, let, you know, let's go for. What if it's all black, all black with a mask, maybe a hood? And she she's realizing, you know, you you can't say who Ronan is because it's someone close to you, right? It's your job to keep their secret. Uh, so it's one of these situations where. She keeps saying so many things and she's talking so fast and she's like she's having a conversation with herself, you know, while Clint's right. kind of just watching, you know, the conversation. It's she's oh yeah, yeah, yep. Oh yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. Yep, you know what? Maybe I'm not gonna do that. You know, no, I won't do that. No, maybe I will do that. And he's just <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. As he um this I thought this was hilarious too, what he says next. There are several reasons why I'll never wear a flashy costume. My mm-hmm. job is to number one, be a ghost. Number two, my wife would divorce me if I put something like this on. <laughs> <laughs> and number three, I'm not a role model. I'm sorry, Kate. I'm not a role model to anyone. Never have been. She stops and wait. That's something. Yes, you are. But no, you're right. That is a big deal because he is to her, but he does mm-hmm. not want to be. And and maybe it's sort of in this. Kind of reminds me of what Yelena said to to Natasha in Black Widow. You know, all these young girls that love you and that look up to you, and you're just mm-hmm. do they know about your ledger? Do they know about all the red that you right. got on your ledger? The same thing with Clint. I think he's, hey, look, I don't want to be that because people don't really know what I've got to hide. Right, and it speaks, I think, also to his motivations. Maybe his subconscious motivations for why he's not with his family right now. Maybe he doesn't feel that he deserves to be this role model that he, he is to his family because he knows he's a killer. He knows That's he's been pretty brutal point. in his past. It's a great point. And he, it's, we hear this. It's something you, you see when people go to therapy in movies and shows. You hear the therapist say, like, you're sabotaging yourself, right? Why won't you let yourself right. be happy? Why won't you? It's kind of like he's. He still wants to punish himself for his his past wrongdoings yeah. here, as, and for letting that die too. I think there's yeah. something about that that really sticks with him. Mm-hmm. I think he him. feels like it should have been the other way, right? That, that survivor's remorse, they call it. Yeah, yeah, that should have been him sacrificing himself for her. As mm-hmm. Kate reminds him, no, look, you came here. 
You left your family at Christmas because you thought some stranger was going to get hurt. You stuck around even though I screwed up and now you're stuck. Whether you like it or not, the tracksuits have connected us both to Ronan, and it's pretty clear they're not just going to drop this. Clint says you're right. And then again, so he agrees with her, but now she's off on another tangent. Not to mention the right. fact that my mom might be marrying a murderer. He's, right. he's And then there's that. Like He doesn't even know. What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, where did this come from? Uh, so then the, the waiter comes up, drops the bill. And she's like, uh, I'm going to need you to get that. You know, my mom canceled my credit card and <laughs> he's like, no, no problem from Clint. He uh, then lets her know, look, you, you got to name the dog here. And as he walks away to pay the bill, she starts naming, throwing out names of pizza food, of, of fast food pizza chains. She's yeah. like, uh, hey, mm, little old Caesar, uh, <laughs> dog father, sir, dog of pizza. Pizza dog and he That's the one that he kind yeah. of smiles at. He like, smiles oh, I love that moment yeah. He likes that that's that's the right one That's the name you got it that's me Pizza dog as um, Clint and Kate now Are walking the dog through the park And oh real quick real quick uh, yeah. Before we move on from that sequence There I just wanted to point out Again the direction here and Why this is one of my favorite uh, scenes uh, In the, the diner specifically uh, you'll notice if you if you rewatch it that there the angle of the camera is um, is either like perpendicular to them in like a two shot or it's this over the shoulder uh, angled uh, uh, shot shot reverse kind of setup uh, for most of the beginning and as they converse with each other and get kind of more direct with each other the camera starts to line up to where there's this it's just a close-up dead on and their camera and they're looking into the camera speaking to each other back and forth as we're cutting between them and i just thought this was such a like a powerful uh use of editing here and the way that they um they they designed this sequence to really have the characters and the trajectory of the scene have them kind of meet at the end to where they're they're almost having this conversation in the periphery of each other. I mean, they're literally at, at the beginning of the scene, uh, Kate's talking and he's not listening at all to her, ignoring. And then little by little, they start to kind of face each other as the scene goes on. And as they face each other, they get more honest and direct with with the, the line of questioning and the conversation with each other. And I just thought that, that, that it was just a great example of why this was a really well done uh, episode and why I'm really interested in this directing uh, duo of Bert and Bertie. So they're walking through the park and Kate, they're just, you know, talking, getting, getting, you know, prepped. Uh, Kate's asking questions. Clint's kind of sharing all the information that he knows about them. Okay. Uh, she asked, did you pick up on any tension between Maya and the hot guy? Which is great. Or, or was it just <laughs> me? He says his name's Kazi. As, uh, she asks, oh, these guys are into some pretty bad stuff. Yeah, bad stuff. They started small, but they grew. Or at least the guy at the top. He'll do anything to grow the operation. She says, I thought Maya was the boss. No, there's someone above Maya, someone you don't want to mess with. So this is who we are being led to believe is... The Vincent D'Onofrio character, Kingpin, you'd imagine. I think mm-hmm. that's who he's uh, he's talking about here. As she even asks, so uh, you know, there's bad blood with Ronan, right? 
Yes, Ronan hit the supplier on the other side, and then he hit the tracksuit upper management. And Kate, it sounds sounds like a lot of drama, but it's funny because the dynamic here, you know, Clint's teaching Kate, so Kate wants to feel like you know she's 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 got something to do. So she looks down to the dog and tells the dog, you know, that don't don't ever get involved in organized crime. You know, and <laughs> and, and it's just funny. It's like she, yeah. you know, she wants to feel like she's. She's got someone to pass on the information to also, but Clint is, is bothered now because he is starting to realize there might be other stuff from Avengers compound floating around on the streets out there. So he asks about Jack. She says, yeah, too many coincidences. He was at the auction the night, uh, that night yesterday, he offered me a butterscotch again, though. Clint has no idea what the butterscotch is referencing. Right. So, no frame so of reference there. None whatsoever. <laughs> so when she mentions that some somebody's giving her a butterscotch, it's like, oh, well, I'll take a so butterscotch. <laughs> Give me yeah. one. Do you got an extra Not one? exactly a crime. Yeah. <laughs> delicious. You know, like yeah. and, butterscotch is good. Great. You know, uh, <laughs> as uh, well, is this what were the uh, the in Falcon and the Winter Soldier? What were the candies? The uh, that that Zemo oh, had Turkish delights, Turkish delights, Turkish right? Delights. Yeah, yeah, so got the Turkish delights there. Some old people candies, mm-hmm. <laughs> all yep. these shows. Yeah, and um, she uh, you know, Clint's like um, that's not exactly a crime. And she yeah. she's she goes, well, I tried to stab him in the face to prove he was lying, and he parried like a pro. He's like, wait. <laughs> yeah. Butterscotch is a big deal, but you're just rambling <laughs> over the fact that you tried to stab your mom's fiance in the face. Like, <laughs> you can't yada yada stabbing your mom's fiance in the face. <laughs> yada yada yada. <laughs> ah, that's great. That was a great poll right there. Yeah, that's uh, what that was. That's exactly what that was. And uh, <laughs> she uh, she says, "Look, I tried to. Um, uh, plus, he's got everything to gain from Armand's death." Clint says, yeah, you know, the Jack thing is weird, but it's not, it's not airtight. We we need more evidence. Kate says, that's why we're going to sneak into my mom's penthouse. Hmm. And Clint's confused. What? Why? Kate lets him know we can get into her company files. Bishop security has a huge criminal database. There's got to be some information on the tracksuits and Jack in there. And Clint agrees. He's like, you know what? That's, that's a good idea. Yeah, you're right. Let's, let's go. And, <laughs> and they're in a cab that's taking them over there We get the music Playing in the background It's the nutcracker But you know what this reminds me the most of That commercial with the M&M's And with Santa I don't know where, Oh yeah of course the, the Santa's, it's, it's Christmas they, music too They do exist yeah. He does exist, he does exist. <laughs> And they both faint and it's a classic. Just, I think uh, they still run that commercial every they year. They do. I, every year That's they do. Classic. I love it. The, the Santa, the, they do exist. <laughs> he just keels over I, every time that uh, that Nutcracker comes on. That's what it reminds me of. I think it's and called. I believe it was a, a, a reprise, too, if I'm not mistaken. Like, they yeah. played that earlier, earlier on the radio. Yep. Uh and then they play they play it again uh, in this scene here coming which up, which has to do, which is really cool. And it's not again, it's not a coincidence when you when you right. take time to look at everything, all of the music, all of the little clips of things that they show, stuff that's going on in the background, bulletin board stuff, poster material, everything yeah. is not ever by ac- done by accident. And this was 
sure. you know, the dance of the sugar plum fairy is mm-hmm. the is like a Russian um uh created piece, and I think it was Tchaikovsky, uh, one of the all-time great composers there. So you've got these Russian tracksuit mafia guys, and it all just kind of plays right. in together. Um, which is and speaking it, of the details too, before we move on to, to the next scene, this scene in the car, uh, I think it's of note that the way Hawkeye kind of refers to Jack by the first name there, I think it might imply familiarity. Maybe I'm looking into it a little bit too Absolutely much. Not. Uh, no, I don't think you're looking into it at all because it's a good point to mm-hmm. hit this. In the comics, right? Jack was like Clint's mentor. Right. Trained he him. was someone who taught him a lot early on and who in the comics, Jack was actually the Ronin at, at mm-hmm. one point before and I think even after maybe Clint and Hawkeye. So they have a, a storied history. They no doubt in the comics know each other, and I, I'm glad you picked up on that because it what it was. It seemed like you know when you're talking like that with someone, Jack has been mentioned to Clint like once or twice by Kate in passing. You would have said your your mom's mother, fiance, right? You wouldn't have right. said Jack. You would have said so. Like, what's up with that guy that your mom's dating or something like that, right? That's yeah. That's how it would have been addressed, not Jack. So mm-hmm. great, great pull there, TK, as we pull up to Kate's home. Uh, actually, Kate's mom's penthouse now, which is a freaking museum. And right. uh, Clint's like, nobody's home, right? Yeah, nobody's home, which she's wrong. <laughs> Somebody is home as he looks around and he's like mesmerized by this place. He's like, yeah, it's almost like he's in a weird way. Familiar or there are things That he's noticing or he's like Like we said there's something more To the him and Jack thing You know Mm -hmm. Eh, because he's looking It's weird he went there With her and then they're Supposed to just be look getting this information and Going but he he seems Kind of interested in in a lot of other things That are happening and then he hears a noise So he goes to Investigate that noise as Kate is kind of rambling Through and she's trying to hack in She's uh yeah, my great grandfather built the building and she points out, look, I tried to swing from that chandelier and I broke my arm. So pretty pretty impressive family all around. <laughs> pretty, pretty big deal here, TK. People know me, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> she, they go sit down. Clint even says, Wow, impressive. <laughs> like just yeah. like that, too. Just so dry. As um Kate realizes, okay, from the home network, we should be able to get the pass encryption, and we should be able able to get past the encryption with my mom's password. As Clint is looking around at everything, he's like, God, I'm in the wrong business, right? Like, um, He asks, how did you say Armand was killed? He's scoping the place out. He's looking all around. She said he was stabbed with a sword. And uh, so they're talking as Kate's continuing to look on. He asks, he tells her, hey, look if there's anything on Kazi. She says, okay, uh, let's see, here we go Okay, the company, Sloan Limited So that's basically the front name for the company That the the, the, the tracksuit guys are in Right, so it's like, what is that? That really stood out it sa- Like, they even say it sounds familiar to them uh, as, as a viewer, it sounded familiar to me I was like, what is that from? Is it Sloan just a familiar sounding name? Or like, 
has that is that from something i i had to look it up and i was like was that kingpin's company or something that that was my first thought but i just wasn't sure and we um we see clint continuing to kind of look around in uh as kate says wait kazi's an employee and then bar uh, will or um will uh clint says you know wait sloan limited he he's just like us wait that triggers something what huh that sounds familiar and as kate is Continuing trying to get into that database Clint hears something he goes to Investigate he walks into a room And as he comes around the corner You know Kate let me see what I can pull up on Jack crap Now there's an embedded hardware authentication I've just been locked out oh no Mm -hmm. And as she has been locked Out Clint walks Into this room and we see that Retractable blade Come right up at his neck the blade that we Saw at the auction earlier the blade that we Know Jack has now I I love the way that that this last part of the episode was done because Clint and Jack don't see each other initially. Clint walks in, Jack has him, you know, with the blade. But Jack can hear Clint talking. Jack can hear Clint and Kate. So Jack probably knows this is Clint. Clint doesn't know that Jack's got him by the the neck there, but at as this the episode ends they turn and look at each other And we don't even really get to see Their response um, We don't even really get to see that At, at all Are you there? Yeah I got you sorry we, we had just a little bit of a technical difficulty But I thought that was yeah, sorry. was Really well done too TK In that you mm-hmm. know the way that they They kind of leave it. Okay how much do these know these guys know each other What's their history does Jack right. eat Clint Does Clint like Jack What is the dynamic here We don't know that's a great cliffhanger to end this episode on. I'm like, I so want to know. It's perfect. And it's it's just it's very well done for a TV show. Cause dude, at this point, we are freaking halfway done now. This is at the end of episode three yeah. in a six episode run. I mean, all that I'm thinking about right now is what is their relationship? And mm-hmm. gosh, this for what I want. When I watch these Marvel movies, when I'm when I'm in the MCU, when I'm in you know this world, I want almost exactly the things that we got in this episode. We've got yeah. action, we got heart, and we got mm-hmm. fun, comedy. Yeah. And now I'm asking all these questions. We we found out more about these great characters in Maya, and now we we ask more questions about Jack. And even the tracksuit guys are funny. Yeah. Like the more we see them and Ivan and those guys, they're goofy. We found out a little bit more about Kazi and kind of he's got a relationship with with Maya. So I I mean of yeah. the three, I thought this was by far the best. And I gotta say this might have been absolutely when I think of all of the TV shows that we've seen, this might have been one of my favorite episodes of any of the TV shows that we've seen so far. Uh, and amazing uh, that we're saying that because we have uh, been pretty glowing about some of these uh, past episodes and these other series. Uh, but I'm right there with you. I, I would go as far as to say this is my favorite um, it, because it's delivering on all those levels that you mentioned. Uh, and uh, I'm glad that you mentioned it's it's six episodes. I think that's part of the formula here, to be quite honest. I think that there's not a lot of bloat. They're just giving us good scenes and good sequences. I guess the exception there is I did point out maybe the, the Central Park LARPing scene in episode two. 
was maybe bloat. But on, honestly, in retrospect, that was a fun little diversion, and it got us part of New York, that setting of New York, Central Park. It, I, I don't know, very, very small complaints throughout this series uh, so far. And this episode was just absolutely topping themselves. It felt like what Marvel is, is like tries to be succeeding at, at doing so. And, and just uh, it didn't feel like it was too familiar. It didn't feel like, oh, we're retreading old plot lines or things, but it, it felt cut from that Marvel cloth, same as like Iron Man, the original Iron Man uh, was. And uh, and it's still incorporating all the lore uh, that we've experienced, uh, you know, all through the Infinity War saga. Uh, and it's even bringing in uh, the Netflix series, too. So it's giving us a lot to chew on and a lot to appreciate here. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I just think that they're really um, they're hitting the nail on the head with this one. I can't say enough. The bullseye, I should say. Right. Oh, the, there we go. The bullseye. Yeah, I mean, I can't say enough positive. There were just a, a few tiny critiques throughout this episode, but I am yeah. it's. It's so nice because it's just it's so forward moving that even if it feels yeah. like there's a moment or a scene where it's like, oh, OK, that but like you're on it's like the train's moving. You can't even yeah. stop for a minute to think about it and go back because you're already on to the next thing. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're here and he's got to get home in two more days, you know, in two days before Christmas or now three days. Like I am mm-hmm. um, good. I, and I've seen very few negative and read very few negative Reports yeah. and with with a lot of these Things now there's always People that just want to be anti For the for the sake yeah. of seeing it right like Oh everybody else likes this I'm gonna say I don't like it just just to be different We're yeah I promise you You're never gonna get that here From us like that, that you'll never Get that I just don't I just like to Be honest I don't think there's ever I don't I don't like the hot take Like BS mm-hmm. just to get Clicks like if I have yeah. a if I have a, an, a, a different opinion, it's because I believe that opinion. It's not because I'm like trying to fish for people to come listen to our shows. You know, if, if you didn't like yeah. something, it's because you genuinely didn't like it. You're not, oh, let's set them up here, Gino, and we'll tease them. It, it's not, you know, and you get that feel a lot of times with others. This is such mm-hmm. a positively uh, received show so far, even in like the ratings and yeah. reviews, you know, um, yeah. that you see. Doing so, great. Awesome. Um, and I think the only the only complaints that I'm hearing are from a small minority of people that are like uber concerned with things being too woke or progressive and like the insertion of progressive politics and, and representation kind of values uh, into, you know, pop culture and their, and their comic stuff uh, that I've heard a little bit of that, you know, and watching some of the blogs and stuff on YouTube and reading. Uh, but I feel like the, those guys are pretty much losers. So we can just say, uh, ignore those them. Are the trolls are, and the people that yeah. go and comment and try to bring tank ratings of movies. And they're the ones that are, right. They're creating bots on Rotten Tomatoes, you know, to like that kind of stuff is so stupid, you know, and yeah, they're idiots. And I feel I feel like the show is genuinely uh, progressive in that it's just it it, it aspires to, you know, have good representation on the show. But that's not the story, Uh, but they don't pander story. Exactly. Like she's Maya's deaf and, and, and she has a prosthetic leg. Those are part of what makes her her, and those are part right. of what tells her story. It's not like, oh, uh, the whole the whole thing is hitting you over with that. 
Right? It's not yeah. like, oh, like even in even in Eternals, what I liked about it, and we talked about it, it's like, oh, look, we've got a, yeah. a gay. Uh, now we have we've been introduced to a gay Eternal now, you know, and he has a family, but it wasn't like showing you him acting really flamboyant or like all these bad gay stereotypes or anything like that, you know. He was just a regular guy who just so happened right. to be gay with his family, like exactly. And they didn't they didn't make a, a point of making that his his sexuality like that wasn't a his motivating story. factor. Ultimately, no. it was just yeah, it was part of the fabric. Great stuff with what they've been doing yeah. recently. Um, and and it it is they know what they're doing too because it's like man, we walked out of Eternals a little bit concerned, mm-hmm. not con- just yeah, you know, not quite on the high that we would have liked. Yeah, yeah. And, and then boom, next thing comes out and they got us right back again. You know, mm-hmm. just a few episodes in, and it's like they know it's like they know the way that they're releasing these or the the, the release order almost. It's like a puzzle. That they're putting together yeah. with some of them Where it's like hey we understand That and you you kind of get the sense That they do hey look we gotta lay some Groundwork here and mm-hmm. no matter What this might be a show or a movie Or an episode that's maybe a little bit More boring but when you Look back at the end and you put all the pieces together It'll make sense or when you watch Them in this order yeah it kind of Makes sense and ah This is great yeah. and it's cool because it's like you said It's Christmas right now I'm When I'm doing my work I'm looking at all the different things to pull up in the background, the Christmas movies that I watch around yeah. this time, and you get, you know, it's like, oh, cool, I'm gonna go watch another episode of Hawkeye again, you know, get in that Christmas yeah. mode. I love it. I love that the streamers now they're they they curate like playlists around They've the different holiday season seasons, greetings. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that's uh, really cool. And I I mentioned it in a previous podcast, but I do predict there that, that will exist on. Disney Plus at one point they're going to have enough Christmas content there that they can just do a Marvel Christmas uh playlist and I, I mark my words that's coming. I don't I don't think they've announced it but they have to do it. Absolutely. Especially with this Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special that's on the way and uh yeah, they're just uh they're they're riding high right now. I, I I'm uh, I'm pretty high on on Marvel and like you said with Eternals uh having just kind of passed and was being a little underwhelming. Uh, I think Marvel needed this little boost mm-hmm. from from Hawkeye, and it was it was a little bit of um, an underdog story too, because I don't know that everybody was looking forward to Hawkeye at, at the top. He was of the a list. very yeah. under. He was uh, in the nicest way possible, and this isn't anything to do with mm-hmm. the actor or mm-hmm. even like some of the scenes and stuff that he he just wasn't ever portrayed as a main character. He was always yeah. a side guy. He was never that big of a deal, you know. Um, and so for a lot of people, it's like, oh, Hawkeye, he's kind of doesn't have a whole lot of personality to him either. Mm-hmm. You know, we it, this is great. This is great. Yeah. Everything makes sense. We're getting everything fleshed out. And now we're getting this dance of action, of comedy, of heart. And I loved episode three of Hawkeye. Same. And every time there's a new episode of Hawkeye, three more to go. Every time there's a new movie, a new TV show in the Marvel universe, in the MCU, we are going to be talking about it right here with you on that's what G said with Tim Kelly. Make sure to give Tim a follow on social media. You can follow him on Twitter and on Instagram at Tim is not funny and check out the music project ice cream fire there that Tim works on with, uh, with his wife and they've uh, got some fantastic, fantastic talent there on the musical side. TK, my friend, this was great, man. This was a blast. 
And uh, I love this episode And I look, I'm look, i in that mode now, man I'm so excited for next week I'm looking forward to what's going to happen next Episode 4, just 3 more left Yeah, I can't believe it uh, I'm looking forward to this back uh, back end of the, uh, the this run here, and uh, yeah, credit again to the pacing of this series so far. We're halfway through it, and it feels like it's just blown right by. And uh, and uh, I think they're they're knock wood here. They're gonna stick this landing. I, I just have a good feeling about what they've set up so far. Uh, that, that, that this seems to be a really well crafted show, and I'm super stoked to uh, to finish it out with you. TK, Tim Kelly will be here with us again in just a few days to talk episode four of Hawkeye. Don't go anywhere, folks. There's still plenty more to come on this episode of That's What She Said. So you want to set the mood. You're looking for something all natural. Soy wax. Non-toxic, baby. Sense for every season. Now don't be afraid, baby. Just spell it out. And don't forget, promo code Gino gets you 10% off. Mm -hmm. SarahCandles.com, C-E-R-A, Candles.com. That promo code G-I-N-O gets you 10% off your purchase. Check them out. All natural soy wax. Perfect for a holiday gift coming up of Christmas and birthdays for any of your friends and family members. You're not quite sure what to get them. A couple candles, a couple different scents for them. Let them know you're thinking about them because they're healthier. No toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants there at sarahcandles.com. Big thanks to Tim for helping us out. We'll get into Hawkeye episode four coming up, uh, not next episode, but two episodes from now. So early next week, again, we'll have that recap and review because Tim usually joins me over the weekend. When uh, gives us a couple days to watch the episode a few different times back, get all of our thoughts, and then we here we go. We spend usually an hour and a half, two hours sometimes talking about a 40, 45 minute episode. So we get real deep into the weeds, and uh, we usually need a few days to get that all prepped out. So we'll have that for you via uh, early next week again, Hawkeye episode four. Heading into the final segment of this. Episode of That's What She Said Podcast. We're going to go back to WCW 1993 to Halloween Havoc. Darren Zocali joins Andrew Champagne was off for this episode. So just me and DZ talking a little Halloween Havoc 1993 match by match. Kick back and enjoy. Oh yeah. Oh, wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> The old wrestling rewatch heads back to WCW and we're heading to 1993 for Halloween Havoc this week. Uh, it's just, just Darren Zocali. Shout out to our buddy Andrew Champagne. Busy with the lots of work stuff. So back with us again very soon. DC, I'm glad you picked this particular show in this in this kind of time period because this is actually, I'd say like 90 post, like 90 to about 94. Before Hogan gets to WCW and after basically like WCW after it's NWA that's this is kind of a blind spot for me these are shows that I've maybe watched once but I wasn't really watching the stuff live during this time and then later on I was watching all the, the you know 94 on WCW stuff till the very end and then a lot of the early NWA stuff I've gone back and watched and kind of like historically I'm into but this period is is sort of a dead spot for me this was a 
a good show. There's a lot of really good wrestling, but man, do they get too cute and overbook so many of these finishes. Yeah, it's it's an interesting show because this is a true transition period for WCW because we are a month removed from them leaving the NWA territory, which is why you have this WCW International World Championship, which kind of resembles the NWA Championship because it is the exact same belt. And they kind of don't know what to do with that for about the next seven or eight months before eventually they unify the titles. And they've created this mythical WCW international company as if this belt is going to travel the world, which it does. And it gets defended in places like New Japan Wrestling. And they do some cool things with it. But it's really a, a transitional period. It's the bridge from Flair being the guy to bringing in Hogan, Sting being the franchise. And in the not too distant future, we're going to see his character start to undergo changes. And the other thing that you, and while I enjoyed WCW and I watched it all these years and, and I enjoyed some of the, a lot of the characters and I got a kick out of a lot of the things they did. When you look at a show in late 1993, a major pay-per-view like this in WCW, and you compare the production quality of a show like this to what's going on in WWE, WWF at the time, which at this time, you're talking about Survivor Series 93 heading to World Lex Express. The Lex yeah, Express, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, Yoko is the is the big heel, Lex Express, Bret Hart going towards the Royal Rumble next year, the stuff that they were doing with Bret and Owen. You can't compare the two. This WCW is, feels like uh the, the show that you watch feels like, it feels like it's 89. Baseball. It feels yeah. like it's 88, 89, right? It feels like it's just five years ago. Yes, that it's it never really moved forward. That's correct. And you really can see it from the beginning where WCW, they like to do these little kind of mini movie. The movie. (laughs) And some of them are interesting. Having this one begin with Tony Schiavone trying to entice some children into his home (laughs) by offering them cookies. It was hilarious. Does not age very well. (laughs) You know, and it goes, but Gino, it goes to show you, I mean, listen, you know, for me, 1993 is not that long ago because it's my, I, for some reason, I still don't feel like I'm 38 years old. So 1993 to me, feels when like it still feels like it just right? happened, even me though too. I recognize it's 20, you know, it's 28 years ago. But to think what would happen if this were the lead in, the lead in to a wrestling pay-per-view in 2021. (laughs) Twitter would have some fun with this, huh? (laughs) It is so crazy to realize how much of a different place we are in as a society than we were when I was, you know, 10, 11 years old. So it's, there's a lot of interesting things that we'll talk about. You talked about the overbooking. That's evident in a lot of things. And there's some really good wrestling, though, at times in some spots that you really wouldn't expect really completely agree and we'll talk about that completely agree and you know you go through there are eight matches on the card and just a couple of funky things like they don't they don't even really talk a whole lot about how vader is the champ because of all that wcw international title stuff right. 
and because Vader's not defending the title, which again is weird. It's like yep. if he's if they do what, that a lot back then. I know, and, and they and they did it a lot. It it happened with Cactus Jack in particular again, a couple times. He he would yep. never like get the title shot, which well, that doesn't was make thing. That was kind of like the thing about Jack. He doesn't care about titles. Yeah, he's in it. He's in it for the love of the wrestling, the passion the, of the wrestling, the, that yeah, and the fight or the the, the yep. brawl. He likes the pain, which yep. was always like, if the guy's not gonna win, who the hell cares anyways. Just have him before the title. Like, he lost a lot of these matches. He always he, he was never going to win him anyway. It'd be different if you were going to have him win this street fight, and you don't want him to be your champ. Okay, I get it, and and you can say he you know you can build an out to say okay he won because it, that's his type type of match, right? A brawl, like he can't win a wrestling match, and but it doesn't make sense to me when you have these non-title matches when the champion's going to win anyways. Just have him have it be for the title, have him win. Um. But all that being said, the in-ring work was very good, and and you'll see from you know the difference between what WCW was doing at this time and and WWE was, you know, just apparent in like the length of the matches. Like every one of these matches got all the time they would want. In fact, a few of them to a detriment. Probably could have shaved a few minutes off and been a little bit better, but they got the opportunity to breathe. To go really, really long. We got we got to see some pretty big stars on this show. I, you know, you go up and down. There's no five star match on the show. There's probably one. I'd, I'd say that's four. But then you've got a bunch that are in like the three to three plus range, and nothing that's really bad on the show. I think the the opening match, it, the six man tag, isn't good or great or, or spectacular or anything. But it is it is kind of fun to see a really young Booker T in there. It is, it, you know, it, it's interesting to see him so poorly received by the fans as well mm-hmm. because of his his character at the time. You know, it, it's it's a strange match, and and we'll talk about you know the whole Shockmaster thing, uh, which is one of the more infamous <laughs> moments in racing and racing history. Racing, yeah. Oh my goodness, in <laughs> wrestling history. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it, it's is it offensively bad or anything like that? No. no. Um, and like you said, there's there's some inter- as you go through this card, there's some really entertaining stuff and some good wrestling. The first match is more about talking about the Shockmaster stuff and <laughs> a little bit about a young Booker T, though, than anything else. And we will get into Halloween Havoc '93 that begins with the mini movie, and so really corny as Darren was saying you watch this now and it's like it kind of you know you kind of cringe a little bit but it I will say for WCW which was not very good at production and stuff this actually wasn't bad for them like the way it looked it sort of looked like a TV movie you know it sort of it looked like something you might see on like a monday night on abc you know like this the, the the way it was it wasn't really poorly produced it was just bizarre it just was like bizarre for it to show up at the beginning of a pay-per-view especially when it, it, i you know if you're just trying to think of it from a like a logical standpoint this show is a week before halloween and the kids are out trick or treating no, no, a week before, you know, it's like, uh, if you're tri- if this is Halloween, you're late for the pay per view, kids, unfortunately. But, um, so we got these these kids, they're trick or treating, they look like they're finishing up their night. One kid says he wants to pick the, the, the last house they go to before they, they go back and watch Halloween Havoc. So he points to this really scary house, fog lifting up all over it. The, 
you're, you're imagine the, the scary house that you're imagining in your head. That's what this looks like, right? The one that you've all, always seen in movies or books and stuff. And the kid, the kids together walk up to the door, and Tony Schiavone answers. You know what? This this reminds me a lot of Goosebumps. Yep. This think Goosebumps. You know yep. that's that's what, exactly what they're going for here. You know, because this is in the early '90s when those R.L. Stein books were big, and you know those were those. They were some, cheese and die. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're starting to to come out with those movies and shows, and so this is what that felt a lot like. Um, so the kid wants to see something scary. They ring the doorbell. A big scream. Uh, Tony. You know, Tony seems a little bit off. Girl, the girl says, uh, "You know, shouldn't you be at the pay per view?" He he says, "He's got a helicopter." Waiting to pick me up And I think this is funny Because Tony you know Was gone and and left to WWE WWF and then Came back to WCW And he'd always mentioned that He was really interested in Like producing and a lot of Behind the scenes stuff that he wasn't He he was sort of promised uh, At WWE but never really got the opportunity To do and I think when he came back I guarantee you he was involved with with this kind of thing too Because it felt like something that he would have been um, been pumped to do. He makes a a crack that uh, um, you know, one kid says, "What's that smell?" And he he says, "It's my wife. She's baking <laughs> cookies." <laughs> and, and it, it was just so bad. He invites the kids in. He closes the door. Creepy smile on his face. He looks at the camera. Then somehow he's teleported to the other side of the room, and he, he says, "There's going to be a spin the wheel, make the deal." For Cactus Jack and Vader One of the kids is still not impressed So then Tony removes his face And, and underneath <laughs> his, it's This is great Never would I thought I'd be like We read some crazy stuff on these wrestling recaps Like from promos and stuff But this is right up there With uh, Tony removing his face And underneath there's this Weird sort of bat Werewolf kind of looking creature That's good uh, yeah you know, yeah, and uh, this the kids just get scared. Uh, they want to run off, but they're locked in the house as we cut to Halloween havoc to, from New Orleans. So these poor kids are just locked in the house, and uh, boom, we're right into the pay per view. As this was hilarious, DZ. It was like you said, it wasn't even like this wasn't like thirty seconds or anything either. This thing was like six, five, six minutes to start. Yeah. So this was. I I did forget about these for a while. Like I remember them now, but I had forgot when we were just looking at this, this pay per view on paper that this was one of them that would had a uh, these mini movies to start. What'd you think? Yeah, uh, you know, like I said, I I thought the, my first instinct was, wow, you know, guy in makeup <laughs> luring kids into the house by offering them cookies, uh, you know, and it's just like, wow, like what? <laughs> how far we've come. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it's it's pretty bad. I mean, it's you know, it, it's it's amateur shot. You know, the cutaways are terrible, and you know, it, it, there's a couple of shots where it looks like they're literally filming it at the top of Shivani's actual staircase in his own home. Um, it's there's nothing over the top good about it. It drags on forever. You it don't is really, too long. Yeah, yeah, you don't really know where they're going with it. And they don't um, really have a finish. It's just yeah, and I mean, you could have done this in forty-five seconds if you yeah. wanted to. Uh, but at the time, 
this is what they were trying to do, and uh, God bless them for trying. <laughs> As we get to uh, New Orleans, plenty of whoop. There it is, chance throughout the night. Yeah, people were uh, were loving to get into that, and we. Uh, it was a good time in '93. You had that yeah. new kids on the block were yeah. big. You know, it yeah, was, it's uh, it's true. You know, I said I said horse racing before. This was this was actually the Breeders' Cup in '93. Speaking of new kids on the block, was the juvenile the year that Brocco won and Tom Durkin's call was there's a new kid on the block. There and you his go. name is Brocco. It was uh easy. Tied it all in. 93, 93 was a good time to be a kid. It really was. Tying it all together as uh, Bischoff welcomes us to Halloween Havoc. Dressed He's as I don't know what. Confederate I, General maybe, Bischoff? Um, maybe. Uh, yeah. So he. <laughs> He tosses it to Tony Shavani, who is dressed up like Jesse the Body Ventura. He's Which got a pretty bald, good. Yeah. It is pretty good. Yeah, He's pretty got good. a bald cap and a fake goat and the the boa, the big feather. And the, here comes Jesse to join him. He's wearing a like a a, a spooky doctor costume, and <laughs> he says, he says, yeah. He's dressed up like Bourbon Street's number one gynecologist. <laughs> they, uh, they talk about some of the matches and how they don't know what type of matches uh, with some of the spin the wheel stipulations. So everybody's uh, all in on the the Halloween gimmick, which, you know what? We've said this before. I like the look of the pay-per-view. It's very yeah. simple. It's very easy for the month of October. You, you know, you have this at the end. You, they set up the graves and the smoke. and. Yep. Later into the 90s, it got really good. They'd have that big, like, demon ghoulish thing on the entranceway, and, yep. and it looked great. And even when they fight later uh, over by the graves and Foley and Vader get in it, there's a couple of cool shots of Vader coming up out of the smoke, like, bleeding from his head. I think it's really simple and really easy for a good look. Yeah, it. I think of the things that WWE did after Vince purchased WCW, a lot of the stuff was bad uh, in the whole, you know, uh, takeover or whatever they called it with the WCW guys and Shane leaving out a lot of the big guys and Vince trying to prove a point. One of the things they really dropped the ball in was not bringing over this pay-per-view. And it's, they, it's so weird. This is like right up their alley. You would figure Vince would love something like this. They could go buck wild with the Halloween stuff. I mean, you could have, you know, you had the characters, you know. Hell in I mean, a cell of, every year on this pay-per-view, you know. Yeah, or like, yeah, but think about, I mean, think about the guys at the time, whether it was, you know, the gangrel types and, you know, obviously Undertaker and Kane. And, I mean, you had characters that you could, you know, you could have really built up this pay-per-view nicely. You know, from the minute they bought WCW, they just they never did it. They use the name now for a little NXT show, but it's not it's not the same. And, uh, no. I, you know, I don't what I do don't agree. I don't understand. One of the one of the things WCW did have, they had some good name pay-per-views, man. They really did. Whether it was Starcade, Halloween Havoc, Fall Brawl. They had they had some Bash good at the names. beach. Yeah, Bash at the beach. They had some good names and some good themes for pay per view. And instead, WWE, you got great balls of fire, and you got backlash and insurrections and Armageddon's and no, I mean they just... they could have. And I understand they wanted to be their own company, but you know what? You bought your competition. 
why not bring over the good from the from the competition that you bought? It seems Absolutely. like Absolutely. You own it now. Yeah. You own it now. Do, yeah. do it. Nobody else is going to do it. You know, it's not appeal? like anybody would have said, oh, man, you're bringing over Halloween Havoc. I don't want to be like, that. oh, <laughs> WCW won. Uh, got one up on you. Nope. Vince, nope. you bought them. They don't exist yeah. anymore. Like, nobody's going to say that. Yeah. I very much agree. As um, we get ready for the uh, opening six-man tag, Ice Train, Charlie Norris, and the Shockmaster versus Harlem Heat. Which are Cole and Kane at this time yeah. Booker T yeah. goes by Cole Stevie Ray goes by Kane And uh, the Equalizer So this, this thing is nothing special It goes under 10 minutes Well we uh, have to set the table with People are probably wondering what the hell was a Shockmaster Oh okay so yeah. the Shockmaster Let's talk a little bit about this This is like all time wrestle crap stuff So the Shockmaster was a character That they were Kind of creating as like sort of a play on, you know, uh, it's kind of like a Darth Vader ish sort of character they were going for. With well, he's uh, wearing a glittered stormtrooper helmet when he debuted, so. exactly right, yep. <laughs> exactly. And he was real deep kind of voice, and uh, you you wouldn't know who it was. And he was gonna debut in a really big spot and and be uh, you know the the partner in a in a big six man tag. I think, or it was a, is yeah, it a six yeah, yeah, Sting and, Sting and, uh, Bulldog. and Bulldog, yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, you know, against the big heels in the company, and Sid Vicious yeah. was on the other side, and there's a a moment where he's gonna come busting through the wall and show how powerful he was, and he's got this deep voice in the fine. <laughs> there's a fog set up and everything, and the, the problem with WCW, the problem with a lot of companies. That were not WWE Even WWE and major companies will have mishaps Nobody's perfect But they just didn't kind of double check What they had planned out And when poor Shockmaster Who uh, we know as Typhoon He was Typhoon in uh, <laughs> in, in Tugboat In WWF yeah. he When he comes busting through the wall There's like a 2 by 4 across the bottom That wasn't there when they had Kind of done the, the run through And he trips over it The guy falls and his helmet just falls off Like immediately Right away before he's ever he, he's, he's just done This guy was supposed to be this big You know huge menacing Character that was going to come in and be a big Part of this big team and everything and right off the bat The poor guy and you know, I think they told the story Hearing Dusty tell the story on one of the WWE documentaries and, and different things Was was just hilarious He talks about how they're just laughing And, it, and he actually thought Like they were all like kind of getting mad At each other like did you pull that On purpose like did you try to Screw with me here the, the story This is like legendary stuff DZ oh yeah and To describe What he's wearing when he debuts He's wearing what is a bedazzled, silver, glittered Stormtrooper helmet. He's wearing what appears to be a sleeveless velour robe, unzippered, with blue, like the old 90s-style jeans and boots. (laughs) Can't make it up. No. Can't make it up, the combination. You mentioned he falls, the helmet comes off, and he literally is like, Shaking his head a couple of times after he puts the helmet back on because he almost knocked himself silly. Now, yep. the voice that comes out is not coming out from obviously him, it's a recording. And 
on top of this entire disaster, I don't know if somebody forgets to hit play, but he's just kind of standing there, rubbing his hands, pointing at Sid. And nothing's happening. And nothing's happening for like 15 seconds. Like literally 15 seconds, nothing's happening. And the guy's on the opposite side. Sid is like... Sid finally starts talking. uh, (laughs) He's trying to overact because he doesn't know what to do. So Sid's just kind of looking around, like waiting for something to happen. This is... And hearing Dusty talk about it afterwards, he said that him and Vince used to joke about what was worse, the Shockmaster or the Gobbledygooker. And and they would go... They'd go back and forth over a drink, and he'd say, "Man, that gobbledygooker was worse." And Vince would come back and say, "Oh no, that Shockmaster was way, way worse." No, the it, reason why the reason why it's not worse is because this was actually meant to be an angle to bring a wrestler into a major storyline. The, the gobbledygooker was just was some a, nonsense. A was yeah. a rib. Was, was a, a rib, rib yeah. after they put the egg there. Yeah. They, they, when they were teasing the egg thing, and that was what what it was more about. It was funny. It, Vince was ribbing everyone. Stupid. Don't get me wrong. It was completely oh. ridiculous, but Awful. it wasn't a major storyline like oh, that was, was going to bring five a minutes in a pay per view where you got yeah. Mean Gene doing some crisscrosses with the gobbledygooker. It's nothing. This was actually you're right. This was supposed to be a major player, and even if it, even if the guy doesn't come out and trip immediately and fall it just looks like this, yeah, and look like ass. This wasn't going to work like this was never going to get over like they thought. And this was in the time period of WCW doing things like, was it like RoboCop? Yeah. Right. And like just some really weird, you know, uh, Dusty, God rest his soul, uh, was one of the all time greats and great contributors to wrestling in the ring and and as a booker and for what he did, but he had some big swings and misses too. <laughs> they they all do. He and just then the, the weird thing. The weird thing about this is that after the whole helmet fiasco thing, when he actually comes out to wrestle, he's like a construction worker or something. I know what what is he? He's wearing. You're you're right. Like what is he? Yeah, he's wearing like a sleeveless button-down shirt with a weird-looking hat. Doesn't make just a he's a guy, just a dude. Yeah, he's just a dude with a mustache. (laughs) Like, like, what did you guys do here? Like, what what happened to the guy with the helmet? I know. (laughs) What the hell is going on? Yeah, and And then he ended up becoming what Uncle Fred. I think they turned him into Fred. Yeah, the Shockmaster became Uncle Uncle Fred. (laughs) Because it's just he Dusty even tells it. He said Cody's sitting at home and he sees it. He goes, I think that's Uncle Fred <laughs> when, he, when the helmet falls off like young Cody Rhodes. <laughs> so just if you if you've never seen this, you can look it up on YouTube and you can see all about the Shockmaster and uh, some of the legend about him as one of the worst characters ever created in wrestling history. And uh, and this poor guy. Tugboat, who you know, what as Typhoon as Tugboat for a while, he was Hogan's buddy. He had he had a run where he was pretty over as like a, a lovable. Natural you know, disasters were a major tag team for the early nineties in WWE. Big, major yep, tag team, big deal for a while, and uh, he comes here and he's the Shockmaster, and then Uncle Fred as uh, he's part of this six man tag with Ice Train and Charlie Norris versus Harlem Heat and the Equalizer as. Uh, 
Kane and the Equalizer look at the camera and they say they're going to rip off their opponents' faces. And J- Tony's kind of asking Jesse what he thinks of the costume. Jesse says imitation is maybe the, the most sincere form of flattery, but he's not so sure after looking at Tony. They uh, talk about uh, tag team titles changing hands. We'll get into that a little bit later. They mentioned stuff about Flair Rude. They, this was one of the matches on the show that I think was just, they, there's no build for this or anything. There, there, there wasn't like a storyline feud or anything. And that's, that's also what made this match a little bit difficult. You have, Guys that are not the greatest of workers And a couple that are young And sort of inexperienced And they're all together It wasn't 15 to 20 minutes So at least it didn't drag And when you have a six man tag Nothing was was too long But I mean there's a, one, there's a couple bad spots One where the Shockmaster Nearly drops uh, uh, the Nearly drops the, the equalizer Before slamming him And this is like a really weird ending too, where yep. sort of like it's spine buster for the win, Ish. but just everybody chaos. else is like fighting all around. So, yep. um, and the best part is the Shockmaster goes over. <laughs> he gets over. The Shockmaster gets the W over freaking Booker, Booker T. T. Shockmaster <laughs> gets the pin on Booker T to get things now, started. Now, by the way, this is a very young green, you know. When you watch Booker T, this is not the Booker T that you're no. going to be seeing two, three, four, five years down the line. There's there's a lot. You can see that he's got some athletic ability. There's a lot of rough around the edges here with Booker T and a lot of work to be done. Yeah, he misses a, like a flying headbutt, and that's when the sh- uh, Shockmaster comes in, cleans house, and he gets the, uh, the bear hug and then just a really bad-looking spine buster. But I will say... The crowd was pretty into it. It was sloppy. There wasn't much build or anything, but it wasn't that long. Six-man tag under 10 minutes. We got to see a young Booker T. And this was the the weakest spot on the show by far. I think everything else throughout the show is to average to good in, in ring quality. Whether or not the endings are great or things could have been better, there's nothing else after this that's really bad. No, I, I would I would agree with that. This is what it is. Um... You know, you're not, you know, if you fast forward through this at 2x and just watch the last couple of minutes, you're not going to be missing much. Yep. yep. Um, you know, you have the equalizer in here who I believe, didn't they turn that angle? Didn't he become like Kevin Sullivan's dyslexic brother the following year or something like yes. that? Yeah. 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 So, you know, the that's the equalizer. You know, some of the weird stories. Uh, and, and these things are always fun to kind of spot the guys and see what they would become. But yeah, there's not much to this. The 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 ending, the finish is messy. Uh, Shockmaster somehow goes over, and uh, we're off to the races at Halloween Havoc. <laughs> we go back to Eric Bischoff. Uh, so like after the match, they keep brawling. Shockmaster and Equalizer, and, uh, and then we go backstage. It's Bischoff with Terry Taylor, who the fans boo as soon as he shows up. And, Red Rooster for you WWF nuts And who he's always <laughs> sort of been a Like kind of universally Like universally disliked person For some reason yeah. you know you kind of just hear him and People go oh Terry Taylor one of the You know yeah. I don't know if it's like a phony Kind of thing or maybe he's a little slimy or something But he's kind of And, and he was kind of playing into the character here That nobody really liked him But he said he uh, Bischoff asked why did he want to be the referee Here he says you know, I took the job because of the magnitude of the match. 
Flair and Rude hate each other They want to prove they're the man And I want to redeem myself for all the bad things I've done in the past I might have to make an unpopular decision But I'm going to call the match down the middle He calls uh, Bischoff General Custer And uh, Yeah so he's part of What's amazing is that Terry Taylor at this point Is already nearly 40 years old Wow At this point Shows you how long he's been around He made his debut in the NWA Mid-South in, in 1981 And there's always that legendary story Where who knows if it was true But uh, I think it was Mick Foley who said That they were deciding on the same day What they were going to do with Terry Taylor And with Kurt Hennig yeah. And one guy became Mr. Perfect And the other guy became the Red Rooster and yeah. <laughs> You know, it's not not as if Terry Taylor would have ever been Mr. Perfect That was That character was created for Kurt Hennig I mean, that was him, he embraced it But it is amazing that you just You never know sometimes where you get, and, you get... and while I'm not going to go so far As to say that Terry Taylor couldn't work in the ring Because he could work, but mm-hmm. Let's not compare Terry Taylor to Kurt Henning no. in terms of in-ring ability. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. No way. As we get to Paul Orndorff versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Paul Orndorff with the Assassin. Now, this was supposed to be uh, Steamboat versus Yoshi Kwan, but Kwan uh, Kwan ended up costing Steamboat a match against Vader, but then he got hurt, so they ended up uh, maneuvering over to Orndorff. Who comes out and uh, the commentators are kind of surprised to see the assassin with him. Uh, Tony asks uh, why Orndorff is with him. So Jesse says, "You hang out with people in masks on Halloween." <laughs> and uh, the fans are chanting Paula for Paul. And this is, you know, a, a pretty good match. Ricky comes out first. He's got the torch with the fire, and he's got the like the scales on him. So. The look is cool, you know. He, he's added little things to it. Very his, uh, ninety-one SummerSlam, the dragon, the dragon, when, yeah. which is funny because he hated that, and yep. and then he's doing it on his own. I always think that's great. Um, the the match took a bit to get going. When it did, I thought it got good, but it was the the booking of this match was really weird. Like Steamboat is working and coming off like a heel. Um. It's it's kind of bizarre. Like he's very intense and intense babyface. I love when he works this way and he's you know he's going at it and he but he's like pushing away the referee at times mm-hmm. throughout the match. The story is about how you know can steamboat and you know get along with the ref, which is so much more like a heel storyline. And and he's he, also the one working on the body part of yeah, the shoulder, exactly. Which is normally the heel move. So yeah, it's, absolutely. It's so really backwards. It's not. It's a good match. I I think I have it in the like three, just mm-hmm. over three range. Um, yep. but it, it just did seem a little bit weird. You get a, a fight to the floor and uh, Orndorff slammed to Steamboat, fly, flying crossbody back into the ring. But Paul moves. He hits a suplex. Uh, Ricky catches him and then he uh crossbody and he starts working on the arm here. This is he's really working on the arm, the shoulder, ramming it into the guardrail. He's arguing with Nick Patrick, the referee. Ricky's kind of threatening him, like, you know, getting right in his face. Then another arm bar. He's trying to break Paul's fingers. Uh Orndorf breaks free. Then Nick Patrick actually has to grab Ricky Steamboat, which uh kind of it enables Orndorff to come and get the advantage So he tosses Ricky over And he starts working on uh, On his head and we get a double cross Body 
Orndorff tries to cheat to pin using the ropes But Rick, uh, Nick Patrick stops him And then Ricky's back in control They're outside of the ring fighting We get a pile driver attempt And then some counters back and forth The assassin is distracting the referee Ricky and Nick Patrick start arguing again He actually pushes him And and this again gives Orndorff an opportunity to come up And he throws Ricky outside the, the ring The assassin comes over and headbutt Steamboat Which uh, creates a countout So Paul Orndorff wins by countout The work was good Like it just It was weird because this wasn't A real blood feud or anything And Ricky was going nuts Like working the body Working heelish going after the ref It just didn't I don't know it didn't add up to me With some of those things But I didn't have a problem with a lot of the match This thing went 18, I think it was the longest, close to the longest match on the show 18 minutes and 30 seconds And, you know, a lot of it was very good Just seemed, some some of the, the dynamics seemed a little off Yeah, and, and you got two guys here also that, that are pretty well past their prime at this point You know, Steamboat is 40 Orndorf Especially Orndorff He's got all yeah. that atrophy stuff already starting yeah. to happen with his month You know, it got bad yeah. for him It did, it did Very unfortunate the last 20 years of his life as well uh, God rest his soul. But, um, but yeah, I mean, they went 18 and change. Uh, the in-ring work is fine. It is a little bit weird. It, it took a little while to get going. You know, there's some, there's some, I won't even call them rest holds, but deliberate, you know, deliberate work on body parts, which is fine. Uh, you're going to get that in 18 minute long matches with two guys that are age 40 plus. Uh, but at times things really ramp up. The action gets pretty intense. Steamboat seems to be really into it. Um, you know, I don't love the finish by any stretch of the imagination, putting a foreign object into your mask and delivering a headbutt so that nobody can see and you end up with a count out, yeah. uh, which unfortunately we're going to see more of later on. But uh, it, it's a weird finish to a good, to what I would call probably about nearly as good as a match as these two could have had at this point mm-hmm. in their careers together. Um, but yeah, it's, it's 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 a fun match to watch. It tells a, a pretty good story um, for something that wasn't necessarily, like you said, a blood feud, which, you know, they did a, a really good job of building something out of nothing pretty yep. quickly here. Yep. At one point, Jesse asks why Tony is uh, isn't talking about how Steamboat is cheating. And Tony says, well, because because you are. are why, why be redundant? And he mm-hmm. says, "You are, you're all, you're always redundant, Tony. It never stopped you before, you know." And, and so I thought that made me chuckle. As Je- Jesse, I loved. That's like one of Jesse's staples, right? Calling out the baby faces for cheating. He he loved pointing out when Hogan would cheat or any of those. Oh, baby- but when Hogan does oh, it, it's okay. It's okay. He could, so you're telling me that you could murder somebody outside of the ring, and that's okay, Tony? <laughs> that was always good. That was what another thing that's a plus. About this period in WCW and just about this show, you know, you get Jesse, which you, you kind of forget about that you're going to get some of those Jesse lines that pop up here and there that you make you kind of raise your eyebrows or you kind of make you laugh or maybe even cringe nowadays because some of them don't hold up all as well. But this was not bad at all, just the weirdish ending and sort of weird dynamics. But I, I love aggressive Ricky when he's working with this sort of pace and intensity sure. as, uh, Tony talks to Jesse He says he looks pretty good tonight And Jesse jokes that Tony looks the best He has in years because of the costume And he's messing around with him They also uh, keep plugging The European tour 
And this is where they talk about that international title And it is a recognized world title Tonight's match is for they, they you know, Both belts, both world flair and rude world titles And so they're really hammering home how important this is And very weird that they don't really throughout the show Mention a lot about the champion Vader um, You know, so they're obviously pushing this international title And that this is a big deal tonight As we get to the TV title match Lord Steven Regal with Sir William Versus Davy Boy Smith Michael Buffer is now announcing And I thought this was really good DZ it ends up in a 15 minute Draw this, is a wrestling match. this, this is was an old school wrestling match Excellent this was I had I had this at three Plus about probably three and a quarter or so We mm-hmm. get you know Regal at the beginning he's like oh, Disgusted by Davy Boy he doesn't want to touch him He's complaining about the baby oil That he's got on which just it's like and he, Regal making those like that those faces with the like the stench like oh like he just caught a whiff of something that's just foul uh, it is you know, Dave Davy clearly uh, didn't get the memo about what he shouldn't be injecting into himself at this point yet, oh either. no he no. is massive and and it's that bloated kind of oh. it's like yeah. the beefy not yeah that was unfortunate so you know someone like, like if you Davey, go to the gym and work out what he looks like right here is if you just did nothing but Drink creatine shakes for like a month straight and nothing else, and, and forgot to drink water with it. <laughs> and for as annoying as he can be at times, and people, you know, get frustrated because Brett will live the gimmick or you know, you know, b- you know, buy into himself a little too much. He he's someone who I think really helped keep that guy's head on straight. You know, oh and, absolutely. And without him being like around and being there to help. Keep him focused it just You know you could see he when he Came in he was at the the Towards the top of the card and he's really dro- Dropped Dramatic like, yeah well at, it's, at this it's point too. Sad. It's kind of sad because If you think about it this is this is October of 93 so this is 14 Months after main eventing One Summer of the biggest pay-per-views At that point You know obviously Wrestlemania 3 and the Wrestlemania's being what they were but at that point in the company in August of 92, you can say that SummerSlam 92 might have been one of the three biggest pay-per-views that WWF had done at the at any point. I agree. That yeah, probably I mean, that was Mania like 3 massive. and, you yeah. know, you could probably pick from a few different others that. Yeah, but be. if you but if you think about it, the size of the show, the going scope, Wembley, going the international. Yeah. Yep. Oh, huge, yeah. huge deal for what and it opened up. And he main evented the show and went over in the main event with the guy who was set, who was literally dropping the belt to become the next, you know, heavyweight champion. Um, And to be in a WCW television championship match 14 months later in the middle of a card on a pay-per-view, it's sad. It 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 really is. And you know what? All that being said, this was a really good match. He did. He this match. Not a, this is not. A, if you think of Bulldogs matches, and you you go and watch this match, this is not a British Bulldog type. Not match. at all. This is a it's total legal style match where he's working the body parts. He's a heel. He's he's doing the the cheap crap. Um, at, right off the bat, they roll. They uh, they're both kind of rolling around and flip. And they're trading arm ringers. Davy doesn't. I didn't know. I didn't know Davy could do that kind of stuff. Me neither. Me neither. I didn't know it. 
And cartwheel cartwheel reversals here. Davy does like this handstand kind of cartwheel. Um, then Regal tries to do one, but he kind of doesn't get around all the way. Davy goes for a surfboard. Regal fights it, but uh, Sir William he, he actually locks it in until Sir William distracts him. So Bulldog locks in a surfboard, and we get uh, shots to the midsection by Regal and. He hits this really great knee strike, right? He's working over Davy for a while, and it looks like Davy's about to come back, and then boom, shot to the knee. He hits a regal roll, somersault sent on. Then he locks Davy in a couple of these crazy looking holds. Bulldog's able to, to break free, sunset flip. We get some nice hard strikes and punches from Regal. And at this point now, we're getting these updates with the time limit three yeah, minutes. So you know where we're headed. Two minutes. So you know we're headed to a, a time limit draw. And he, he so Regal at this point he's just trying to he's the champ so he's just trying to run out the clock you know mm-hmm. and like anyone should do and you know <clears throat> WrestleMania what was it twelve uh, uh, come on come on seriously let's come on Brett Brett I'm still a bit I'm still pissed off about that he he won that thing he won that thing anyways so Bulldog. That's He's when trying Gorilla to get... Monsoon really hit the shit for me. I know, right? <laughs> Gino, Gino Monsoon, Gino, come on. As uh, <laughs> Bulldog's trying to get Regal up on his shoulders, but Regal grabs the ropes. Just a few seconds left. Davey's going for a few pins back and forth. He actually hits his power slam, but it Regal kicks me. out. I didn't get that. This. Was that was weird? I agree. This was, this was backwards. It doesn't Why make sense. Not? Just so, not hit it, or he hits it, and that's when the time he hits it one, yeah. two, so boom. You do, so do the pile driver, have him kick out of the pile driver, hundred percent. Then do the power slam when time runs out. Why do you have the guy kick out of his finish? Makes you don't, no don't sense. protect that move. Makes it, no sense. None. No, and, and this was a fifteen-minute match where I honestly, there were a few spots throughout, like you're going to get in Regal's matches where, like you said. He's working on things, but with Regal, it's different. Like you don't get the sense when he's got a hold in that it's a lazy, just right. he's doing it for to to catch his breath. You sort of watch the way he's like manipulating the holds. It's like Pete Dunne, you know, nowadays with mm-hmm. NXT. He it's like he's he continues to work the hold or the arm or the joint all along. So it just it really does look like he's stretching somebody out and hurting. You know, it's 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 a different feel than when you get. Like even later, like a Rick Rude, you know, he'll slow things down in some of his matches to a crawl, and there'll be times where he's just sitting in a rest hold for a couple minutes. That's not how Regal works. This was really good up until that last few seconds, which bothered me just like it did for you, and that's going to be a, a major theme throughout this ni- this night. And we're going to talk about it in almost every single match that the finish was just off, and unfortunately, it doesn't. Take away from the good work But it does leave you feeling Kind of bad about the endings of a lot of these Matches and I, that's why People probably have some of these Matches rated a little bit lower than they should Because the finish well, is it's, just... it's like a baseball game right if you If you yep. watch a brilliant baseball game maybe It's a 2-1 game or a one nothing game Or a game that's going back and Forth and it's 10-10 in the bottom of the Ninth inning and the game ends On a wild pitch Or a hit batsman you know, it's anticlimactic. Yep. It feels yeah. wrong. You know, and you walk out of the stadium with a bad taste in your mouth. Yep. Where oh, that was so good, but the ending sucked. So we're a movie, we're a show, yep. right? Any movie oh, you yeah. go to the movies, how often yeah. it's like, oh wow, great. Talk about it all the time with a lot of these Marvel Avengers movies. They have a tough time in the third act 
kind of figuring out how to close things out. A lot of great TV shows have a, a hard time yeah, have they don't know figure how to, out end. how to end, you yeah. know? And that's it's it it will it definitely left a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth with this because these guys worked their asses off. They did. This was a lot yeah. of fun for yeah. 15 minutes, like you said. Bulldog was doing some things that I didn't know he could do. Mm-hmm. And shout out to Regal for pulling him out uh, of yeah. Bulldog in this match. They did a they did really good. And this was one of those. This these are the things that I love when we do these shows because I would have never remembered this kind of that's match right. or or a match like this. But it's a really cool three plus star match that afterwards you go, wow, like that was good. That was yeah. a really Absolutely. really solid. Absolutely. And, um, we continue along now and we get to Bischoff. Standing in front of the wheel, Vader and Harley race come out. Uh, Harley tells Vader to spin the wheel. Once he does, uh, fireworks shoot out all over. And we can tell that the wheel is slowing down to land on Texas Deathmatch. As the fireworks are all over the place, Eric lets us know that we will have a Texas Deathmatch a little bit later on. Jesse makes a Bob Barker reference. And the rules for that thing are the most convoluted crap. Oh my god. God, if you thought the Macho Man Crush falls count anywhere in match at Mania was bad, this thing is just oh my gosh. Well, Which I'll is just leave it at this 30 second rest period. And that's an actual thing in this match. It's a Texas death match where you have a 30 second rest period. The rule when we get the one of the rules says pins don't count. But after every pin, there is a 30-second rest period. Why the hell are you pinning someone? It doesn't count. You get get the rest period. It doesn't make sense. And then after the 30 seconds, then you've got 10 more seconds to get up. up. What? It's like a 40-second? It did make me laugh quite a bit as we get to the U.S. championship match. Dustin Rhodes versus Steve Austin. And this was good. It was solid. I think I won't. I think I might have wanted a little bit more from it. And there's nothing bad about it at all. It ends up going 14, almost 14 and a half minutes. And it just felt like it didn't quite get to the next gear. I thought it started pretty good and it was pretty intense right off the bat. Then it, it did slow down a, a little bit for a while. And this was another one where it was kind of backwards, where, you know, Austin's the heel. And he he is selling a knee injury early on, and then Dustin's working over the leg a little bit, and we end up getting you know some good back and forth. Uh, Dustin ends up hitting a, a Larry, a big lariat, and then Austin reverses a bulldog. We get um, trading big punches and kicks, and and there was some good intensity here. Uh, Dustin blocks a stun gun, and they end up going back and forth with a couple pin attempts. Austin. Tries to kind of bait uh, Dustin outside And then he rolls him up With his feet on the ropes When they get back in the ring And they actually count to three And so he thinks he wins But Nick Patrick sees his feet on the ropes And he waves off the pin I hate when they do this too Because so he, he waves it off But as he waves it off He of course is distracting the guy So then the baby face comes in And, and gets you know the victory, I, I, I'm never a fan of that because it's like the referee completely, completely changes the outcome of a match. Sure, was he supposed to win because he cheated? No, but now Austin's arguing there with you, and you, 
you know, you let the baby face come right back up. So Dust, uh, Dustin rolls him up for the win. It was, it was fine. Again, I, I thought I didn't like it quite as much as the two matches prior to it, but it's not mm-hmm. bad. I think it was probably in like the two and a half to just maybe two and three quarters, a little under three. The, the thing that I noticed the most about this, and I loved, as uh, he's walking out to the ring, there's a sign in the audience that says, Stunning Steve, the wrestler of the 90s. There you go. Which was really a little prophecy there. And uh, Jesse even mentions it. Wow, Stunning Steve. Is the... and, then, and then Jesse oh, early on oh, mentions that Janet Reno is trying to censor TV. Oh, I thought you, I thought you were going to do the other one. Which one? Where he says, Tony, what's your wife doing here? Well, no, no, no. That (laughs) one was good too. But he comes out and he goes, What is Dustin Rhodes wearing? Oh, he looks like a gay gay caballero. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) He called him a gay caballero. He did. That is, I mean, with them. And then he said something to the effect of like the bedazzled chaps. Who wears that? Which was funny that he would be. Actually, gold dust too. You know what I mean? <laughs> like he played the character afterward. But is, is this where is this where Tony said to him that the, the, they might turn off his mic again, like they did at the last pay per view? Yes. Yep. Yeah. 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 So Jesse, uh, getting feisty here, and yeah, nothing, nothing really bad up until the ending. It just, I think I wanted it to get to another level, which these guys both could. They were they were both good. Um, and. And maybe I just wanted a little bit more from it Then that ending, the ending bothered the hell out of me Yeah Yeah, it, it, it did, yeah it, it was, there's a lot of lackadaisical Or lackluster endings um, You know, right here Austin is getting to the end Of his Hollywood Blondes run um, Pillman has been injured for a while uh, Eventually I, I believe at Starcade, I think Austin wins The US title From Dustin Rhodes and uh, this is supposed to be kind of a launching point for him. He's being told at this point by the guys in the back uh, and, you know, the management guys that that he's going to get a big run. And uh, it never really happens. You know, he ends up losing uh, the the U.S. title. Um, if I remember correctly, he has, he has it. Doesn't he lose it to like Jim Duggan in a squash match? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yep. they really bury him. He did not and look did, good. No. Yeah. And and he's about a year and a half away from leaving the company uh and heading to ECW prior to his WWE run. But I mean, even back then, I loved Austin. I loved the Hollywood Blondes. I loved, you know, there was something about him. You could just sense it. Yeah. yeah. And and listen, I mean, we were we were kids, so none of us were walking around going, Oh, I'll tell you what, this Steve Austin guy is right. he's gonna be a big deal someday. No, but that but but you were as a as a ten year old kid who watched wrestling, I was drawn to him. There was something about his promos, his attitude in the ring, his work at the time was very good. Um, he just had this look and this feel that there was something there, and mm-hmm. and you felt drawn to him as a fan of wrestling. And it's unbelievable that WCW could not figure out what to do with the guy. And he is literally, forget, you know, I mean, Mount Rushmore, but he's probably one of the three biggest names in wrestling history. And uh, it's 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 pretty incredible to see where he is right now. Where he is. What's, what's to come, yeah. Three to four years from now, as that, that peak of 
like 97 middle of after the Brett match so like middle of 97 to 2000 that 3 years he was hotter than anybody and you know Flair and ever. Flair hotter and than Hogan, anybody ever ever Flair ever. and Hogan are on that list for, it's different this was for their different. long he was different yeah. then and for their longevity and what they've yeah. done and they were the guys that created it all and sure but nobody was ever as hot as that that period of stone cold because everybody and, and had here, the Austin 316 here's why it was different it didn't matter what direction his character went in it didn't matter if he was a face if he was a heel if he if won he or if he lost cleaner, it <laughs> none it did not matter all that mattered was glass shatter pop that's it Nothing he was going to stun some some bitches out there and yep. raise some hell and drink some beer and yeah there have been some fun like endings of SmackDown from early SmackDown that have been popping up on social media lately and there were some great ones in those late ninety early two thousand years as uh, Austin ends up after the match he takes the belt he hits Dustin with it which nice, Jesse nice loves. Blade. Yeah, and we see Dustin <laughs> but literally like see him blading as uh Austin takes the belt and walks away and uh, then we get Tony talking about a new paper vault paper view battle bowl coming up in November and Jesse says uh he's going to be there. Tony Tony's uh, all frustrated and uh, he's going to be there. But we show some clips from WCW Saturday night. I thought this was kind of weird too that we have Scorpio and Bagwell winning the tag team titles And the Nasty Boys Had uh, the match won But Sags lifted Bagwell before the three count Teddy Long prevents Missy From interfering in that match So we got Scorpio help Bagwell Reverse a slam into a pin for the three count And They were showing the clips before And then Jesse's kind of mocking to- uh, Tony for the boa And Tony does a little Im- impersonation they even say this is the third of four title matches on the night with the Nasty Boys. It's Missy Hyatt, and it's Two Cold Scorpio and Marcus Bagwell with uh, Teddy Long. This was probably the match I was most pleasantly surprised with. I think on the whole card, um, you know, Scorp- I, Scorpio can work. And Scorpio can work, and yeah. Young Bagwell can go. I'm just most of the time I see Nasty Boys matches, yeah, and I, I go ah, yeah, you know, I, I go ah, and the 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 type of matches that I'm okay with them. Or like the street fight brawls Where they're just kind of all over the place And they're just, you know, using a bunch of weapons and stuff I thought this was pretty solid For, for them It was like, you know, a pretty basic sort of tag team match But the the crowd was really, really into this I gotta say they Buffer mentions early on in his, uh, in his intro That this is only the second year for Marcus And he is already a tag team champion And we, uh, we see Missy with a, a haircut and when Scorpio and Bagwell are dancing, you see like Missy's like kind of laughing at them. She almost is laughing as they're like grooving here. And Michael Buffer calls her the Nasty Boys escort. <laughs> and Jesse's like joking around about the escort. Oh, that's a great job for her, the escort. That's what she is for them. And um, the Nasty Boys grab the belts early on and pose with them. And that's when Scorpio and Bagwell attack. The crowd's going nuts, man. When Bagwell kisses Missy right off the bat, I always love that too. Like looking back at this nowadays, all the baby faces just forcing themselves on women, right? Yep. That was like and the crowd. The crowd loved Bagwell when he was younger. Loves yeah. Bagwell here. Yeah. Just loves the guy, and he's got he's a good looking dude. He's mm-hmm. young, good looking, and he he's 
Really athletic and he's you know he's kind of Flying around a lot more than most Guys are at WC In WCW at this time And we get a Whoop yeah the whoop there it is Chance um uh, nasty boys double team early on Then Scorpio flying cross body He dives off Bagwell's back And uh, the heels have to regroup We uh, we get the, the baby faces Taken out both of the nasties And then Scorpio ooh, he Almost it's a almost a bad spot With the springboard kind of cross body But him and, him and Bagwell start to Slow things down um, The nasties Healing it up they distract the referee And they toss Bagwell and that's when it started to slow down in the middle So there were, you know, this thing goes 14 and 14 and a half Maybe you cut a couple minutes out of it But I really didn't think it was There were too many spots that were that were all that bad um, for, for a Nasty Boys match They're working over the back for a while um, Then they keep double teaming Cutting off all of the, the comeback So real, real, just old school tag stuff the referee misses a hot tag Then finally uh, Bagwell is able to make the hot tag Here comes Scorpio Cleans house He hits the moonsault And then when when Scorpio tags in It's basically all hell breaks loose The last yeah. couple of minutes were kind of in, But it's it wasn't in like a terrible way I thought it was actually kind of fun Just like sort of reminded me of like a Dudley Boys match At the end Where there's just a lot of stuff happening going on And Missy and Teddy are fighting with each other Out on the ring apron and here comes Buff Bag or Bagwell with a double noggin knocker to Missy and Sags, and they both go flying. Scorpio hits a 450. This dude was legit flying around. But then here comes Sags. He nails Scorpio with the boot, and he sets up knobs on top of him for the win. Chaos at the end. I, I like this match though, DZ, and I was kind of. Like as I was getting to this match on the show, I was like, "Ah, oh, no, I forgot. Oh, nasty boys are probably going to be bad." This one surprised me. I thought it was pretty good. It is. I gave it a three star match. Um, I did the same thing. Exactly yeah, three. Gave yep. it three. Um, I thought, you know, the in ring work was was probably some of the better work that I've seen. You know, nasty boys do. Like you said, if it's not an outside the ring brawl type situation, nasties are usually pretty limited. One of the better matches that I can remember them that wasn't really. It was outside the ring super basic, match. right? Yeah. They were like yeah. just cutting off the ring, doing heel tag stuff, cheating yep. a little bit, working yep. the double team, and that's that's fine, you know. And, and the only thing I will say, I've seen this ending resulting in a nasty boy win every hundreds time. of times. That's like, like the only way they win with the megaphone or the, it's whatever. always the foreign object to the back of the head when the guy's not looking, whether it be WrestleMania seven. Or I mean, there's a million of them. Even even in SummerSlam '91, when they lose, you know, they get the the motorcycle helmet. You know, I mean, it's it's always something. It's what they do. It's what they and I, I get it. It's their shtick. It's it's their mo. But it's all the time. So you know, it's coming here. You know, the boot to the back of the head and go over one, two, three, and we flip the tag belts once again. But that being said, the match itself. One of the better Nasty Boy matches that I can remember. The Nasties, not a bad one for them. As uh, we continue along to Bischoff, he's with Sid Vicious and Colonel Parker. He calls Sting the franchise, and uh, he said he's going to be stepping into the ring with the man who rules the world. Parker says that Halloween Havoc is going to be a scary time for Sting uh, for asking uh, – Sid what time it is for him Then Sid uh, says that Sting's gonna wake up uh, From a nightmare and face reality 
So some people call him Psycho Sid. Hey, we heard that name in uh, in just a few years. And Sid is starting to, he goes from whispering to yelling about lifting Sting seven feet in the air and driving him into the mat. He says he's going to take Sting's soul because he rules the world. So this was a match to see who is the franchise of WCW. And this was actually a match that was was supposed to turn Sid babyface. And at after this match, he was supposed to turn and kind of head as a babyface into the main event. And some legal issues would happen. Sting would get into it. Uh, I think in that when they travel, what it was in the, in the international tour, right? When they go or uh, not Europe, Sting, it was yep. Sid. It was Sid that got in trouble with with Arn when they were in Europe and there was an issue and there was a really really weird stabbing stuff and a knife and with with, with the scissors with scissors that's what it was right yeah Yeah. so and uh, and so Sid ends up not getting the big run that he was you know expecting but this match was was I didn't think it was bad Um, it was ten minutes and forty seconds and we get Sting versus Sid and. Man, Sting at this, at this point, both of these guys are over like crazy. Sting is over like crazy, you know, and babyface, and the fans are like, Sid's getting some heat. But Sid was like, at this point, he he was always gonna get some sort of cool heel cheers because he I was. Really, I always loved him. Right, he was always, always really them. big and really dominant, and I thought this was a a, a pretty solid match. Um, Sid goes after Sting early, uh, right off the bat But then Sting with the body slam and a clothesline First few minutes were really Really ki- uh, quick Like intense Sid's getting a lot of heat They end up brawling into the crowd They do a big loop all the way around They come back into the ring uh, Sting with the flying clothesline But Sid uh, powers out and Then uh, Parker distracts Sting So Sid hits the choke slam And he starts posing He uh, In we get uh, the referee, or he he distracts the referee, and then Parker starts choking Sting with the handkerchief, and then he, I love, I always loved when he wiped his brow. That was one of my favorite. He was annoying his help, but he's like using it to wipe his brow or like dab his neck with the sweat. Uh, I thought I always thought that that was a, a funny moment from him. As, well, he's got a lot of sweat, so he can get away with it, right? Do, 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 do. <laughs> he's dabbing it all over. As uh, th- this is where things slow down a little bit. We got an awful looking chair shot That just looked terrible Really really weak And we get Sid working on Sting's back Sting keeps trying to fight back Sid hits a power power slam Then a bear hug He dropped Sting uh, over the outside of the railing I think right on his larynx uh, So he might have learned that from the Macho Man uh, And and Steamboat from uh, years back As we get a Face buster From Sting And then a couple Stinger splashes as he fights back Parker distracts him, but Sting gets up and attacks. And the, again, you know, things are good start, you know, a couple minutes where it slows down, and then we're getting ready. It's building back up for the finish. And then there's just some crap, like a, an overbooked too much crap spot where you have Parker, he's trying to he's trying to hold Sting's foot down for a pin. But he's not looking He's kind of like hiding below the ring apron So the ref can't see him But he's just grabbing He doesn't even know whose foot he's grabbing And he he grabs Sid's foot So that pisses off Sid Sid looks over, he distracts Sid 
Then Sid of course takes his complete focus Off of the match and is looking At Parker and then Sting Rolls him up for the win I mean I liked a lot of the match I thought the, mm-hmm. the beginning was fun I thought it was pretty cool they they worked Around the outside What you expect from a match like this They didn't go to 15 or 20 minutes Which would have dragged too, and would have been too much They kept it right around 10 which I thought was a good Time for this and And then after the match is even weirder Because Sid Is like he's pissed But he just ignores Parker and walks away he doesn't go after him He doesn't hit him he just kind of walks off I thought it was was Again really weird ending After a pretty good 10 minutes Of the 1040 Yeah I mean why not If if you're going to have the Goal of flipping him babyface Why doesn't he choke slam Parker And walk out of the ring Absolutely Absolutely. This is not not hard You know Um, And and what they were building for From from what I read Was that Sting was supposed to go into a program With Vader um, After Mm -hmm. this And Mm -hmm. Sting being the And and you think about that program I mean that could have been tremendous Because you know uh, Excuse me not Sting Sid Sid, Sid, uh, Obviously Sting had a ton of programs Sid as the baby face Yeah And, and you think about Look, for me, you talk about two guys. Sid, for me, and he had a good career, and, and he main-evented WrestleMania uh, with Hogan, of course. But for me, Sid is always has that what could have been tied to him. Very. I, know he had, I know he had a good run in the mid-'90s in, back in WWE. You know, uh, the, the Survivor Series match for my money, and I know, I know he main-evented a WrestleMania with Hogan, but. For my money, the Survivor Series match with with Sean, where he wins the title, that was awesome. And, and the that crowd night is where who's the face. man? Yep. Who's the man? And the and the fist bumps to the crowd. For me, that night was Sid's night in wrestling. That yep. was that was his crowning his achievement. Crowning achievement. That 100%. was his biggest moment. And he could have had a lot more of those. He was was he the greatest worker in the ring? No, but he didn't have to be. He had the look, he had the big power moves, the crowd loved him, whether he was babyface or heel, they loved to hate him. A lot of the people, even when you were supposed to hate him, liked him. Mm-hmm. You saw him get cheers even here as a heel. When he when he hit that choke slam on Sting, he you know, listen, there's heat, but there's also a pop. Yep. And that's you know, and Sid had that kind of allure to him. And uh for me, it was always what could have been. And, and if you would have put a program together with Sid and Vader, it would have been it, it would have been something to see. It would have been, I think, a lot of fun. We talked about what happens after this. There's the whole thing in Europe, the scissors, the stabbing, and all this weird stuff that you have 52,000 different stories about what happened, and nobody will ever know exactly what happened. But uh, All I yeah, know is that I mean, Arn is... Aren't some been threatening murder in recent months on uh, over on AEW television too? So yeah, yeah, you never know. That. You never know with the with Coming Arn full there. circle. Coming yeah, I was gonna circle. say never know, but gosh, I, I always like I always like like watching a Sid match. Me, when always. he checks all of the boxes for a pro wrestler, right? Oh, yeah. He he's not he's not gonna give you a five star classic, but that's not really what wrestling was supposed to be ever. You know, like it's a fight. He's a big dude. He looks brutal. He looks like what should be a pro wrestler. He he's again, he's not gonna cut you a 20 minute promo that's great, but when he talks, you listen. 
You know, you're yeah, you're like, but you know what? His promo. Listen, is he a is he a phenomenal promo? No, but his promos were unique, and they're funny. They're kind of funny. You know, like some, not... there are some that are funny. Oh yeah, yeah. there are some oh, that yeah. are funny. But it's like a Scott Steiner kind of promo, you know, where I, it's I, like <laughs> I used to love. I used to love when he would do the promo and he would kind of grit his teeth and he would talk and he would say, "Tonight, I am going." To kill Hogan because that's what I do. Like he goes from zero to one hundred and six, talking through the and, teeth part. Yeah, yeah which it, was it great was, for me. Listen, did he say like the most creative, outlandish things? No, he didn't have to. No, the delivery was 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 really. It just kind of gripped you. You know, he was a, a unique character who cut a unique promo, who had the look, who had the big power moves, and like I said. I, I I'll be honest. With you, I watch that Sid Sean match probably three four times a year. It's good because it's good and it's a fun environment. It's a fun crowd, and uh, yeah, I, I was always a big Sid guy. Always. And Sid uh, actually had some some decent matches at the very end of WCW too. That he he was a guy that was put back up on the top around the like some of their dying days. And he had some decent stuff, I think, with Goldberg, I think with Steiner, some stuff that's better than you would think when you, I think even uh, Benoit, a match or two, that were like, wow, he actually was not bad in the ring. And he was he was kind of over at that point again. He was always over, always over. You hit that oh, right yeah. on the head. Always oh, over. Wherever he showed up, he was going to get heat or he was going to get cheers. And, uh, he, you know, again, the guy was not perfect. It wasn't like he, he was, he had, he had his flaws and he made plenty of mistakes and he may have been his own worst enemy, uh, you know, at, at some times and why he didn't get the runs that we think he may have, he, he may have, uh, not deserved or may have been good enough to get, you know, there were a lot less talented guys that got longer runs or bigger, uh, runs on top, but hell he still did main event two WrestleManias. Which is pretty mm-hmm. cool to think about One with Hulk Hogan and one with The Undertaker Two of the all-time greatest wrestlers in the company Had a, had a big feud with Diesel Yeah you know, Had the big stuff I mean, you think Brett, about it he, he beat Brett for the title, he I believe Brett for the title uh, He had Yeah, he did that on the on the, mon- uh, the Monday night after that Final Four He was uh, in, in, that, in that Final Four He was beefing with Austin, Brett, and Undertaker yep. All in Well, uh, well, well look you just look. I mean, you just said it right there You know, look who yeah. he's feuding you know yeah. the big the, the the Hogan stuff, the Sean stuff. Vince saw something in him, gave him the opportunities, and you know he delivered in a lot of spots. But there was you know there was extracurricular stuff, and there was some wild decisions that he made. Like oh, I just main evented WrestleMania eight with the biggest wrestler in the history of the planet. They got me going to a program with Ultimate Warrior, but sh- I don't want to lose to Ultimate Warrior, so I'm going to go play professional softball. <laughs> you know, stuff like that, that would just drive you crazy. We uh, continue on to this next part was just wild. By the way, that was not a joke. No, he, no, he, he didn't really, go to play really professional did, softball. Yeah, he, he left... really did leave wrestling to go play professional, professional softball. Professional softball. Yeah. <laughs> and um, this next part was like, just wow. So we get <laughs> Um, yeah, we get first we get the split screen of Vader working out in his dressing room. Cactus is Cactus is doing his cactus rocking back and forth, mumbling to himself. And he says, He's you know, he's kind of saying, You can't hurt Cactus Jack, going crazy. So he looks good here, he's in great shape at this point, too. Yeah, yeah, he's young, here. he's yeah. young and thin. 
before he starts adding any of the weight. Um, and we get set up for the international world title match, Rick Rude versus Ric Flair with Fifi. So as Jesse says that Fifi looks awfully good for someone who spends her life down on her knees scrubbing floors. Thank God he said scrubbing floors. Right. And Tony says, Well, that's the way beautiful women are, Jesse. They can be on the floor just scrubbing away, but you make them up, take them out on the town, and they look wonderful. Can you imagine? And she looks great, doesn't she? Like, what? Oh, my God. That was so bad. And back then, nobody nobody batted an eye at Oh, my gosh. It wasn't even like. Not even a thing. It wouldn't have been anything even brought up in the Observer or any of the wrestling things about that. It wouldn't even have been like nothing. Like nothing. But now, hear, today, now, today, somebody gets fired for that. It was like uncomfortable. You get uncomfortable when you hear it. You're like, whoa. Yeah, and it's it's wild. So Jesse asks Tony if she scrubbed his floors. And, <laughs> and Tony and Tony says, no, she hasn't. And he says, I'm not asking you if she has. I'm asking you if you'd let her, Tony. <laughs> and Tony says he's not going to answer that. Yeah. I mean, you know, because at that point, that's where you draw the line. That's where you draw the line. <laughs> the best, the best, just how how Jesse was so matter of fact, uh, just about like, no, I'm not asking you if you if she did. I'm asking, would you let her, Tony? You would you let her scrub your floor? It was just, I, oh man, these Jesse man, Jesse the body, uh, no one like Jesse, and and uh, and then we get. <laughs> rude coming out in yeah uh, what i'd like to have right now is for all you fat out of shape louisiana losers to stand up and pay some respect to the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world it seems so tame after after what they were just talking about with fifi <laughs> as uh we uh i mean this was fine i think you just sort of feel like with these two guys you have a higher expectation and and maybe it's because they're both just better heels. And Flair is so much better as a worker, as a heel. To me, the babyface Flair stuff never really caught on as much. I understand why they, they did it a few times. The guy was beloved. And even as a heel, people were always going to love him. But just everything about his character, his gimmick, the way he worked was very heelish. And I thought the first five minutes of this match were were actually really good, mm-hmm. and then it just just slows down to a like a crawl. You get a lot of the rude, you know, rest holds, and like a lot of his matches do really slow down in the middle when he's in control, when he's in charge. We get, uh, you know, rude um, you know, back work in the back, work in the you know, work in the neck, work in the arms. Um, their flair is going after the leg and flair hits a cross body that sends both men to the floor flair hits a flying axe handle this is weird because you're, you're never used to seeing flair actually connect with moves off the top rope right it was like what he hit he hit that move <laughs> he's because he's like playing the baby face role because now he's the baby face yeah. he hit the move yeah he can hit it it's like what what is going on here um rude uh, tries to use a chair, but then Terry Taylor stops him. Jesse's complaining again how uh, Taylor's getting involved. Uh, Rude is in control for a lot of this match. He's working over the back, 
chin locks Sends him into the corner There's this really weird kind of pin Sequence on the mat um, With just kind of some awkward Back and forth covers that didn't look very Smooth They They keep working on the back And then Flair goes for a sleeper He actually even hits the Rude Awakening But Rude uh, Raises his boot um, And reverses a whip Sends Flair crashing into the referee Randy Anderson So remember Terry Taylor is the second referee He's uh, the enforcer, he's outside of the ring He comes in the ring But he gets hit um, And then Rude grabs some brass knuckles Flair ducks He nails a suplex And then he grabs the brass knuckles He doesn't even use them Uh, Then he hits Rude, he pins him And Randy Anderson actually sees him from the outside So he stops Terry Taylor from counting He says he saw Flair use the knuckles And uh, he calls for the bell We get some bullshit chants here In 93 As, again, it's like First five minutes, I'm like, wow, this is going to be good This is going to be really good They're run- they're moving around, it's pretty intense And I think a combination of They slowed it down too much I think they're both better as heels And they may just not have not had chemistry Because I went back and watched Another of their matches And it wasn't that good either And some guys together just don't have it Sometimes you think they will, you expect no. they're going to be awesome They're what they're was both, it? Was they're also both career heels. Yeah, and that, and that, that, to me, that's more. Even it's almost like kind of reminds me a little of Sean and Mister Perfect. You know, in uh, summer was it SummerSlam '93? They were kind of yeah. building up to be like one of the greatest matches ever, and it's yeah. it's not bad, but you just you kind of expect so much from both of the guys more. I think it's mainly the heel thing. I just think it's Flair for me as the baby face has always seemed a little bit weird. Old Flair in WWE with his baby face run to, well, to not retire. That's, yeah, that's different. different, right? Yeah, that's like different. that's th- this guy here. I don't know. It just, this one didn't click for me quite as much either. And this was coming in. It's funny. Cause when I looked at the, I, I didn't remember a lot of these matches, um, I'd, I'd seen the show before, like I said, maybe once or just with some of the matches here and there. And the two that I kind of, oh, Dustin, Steve Austin, and Rude Flair, those are going to be the ones I'm the most pumped for. And those are probably two of the matches I was maybe a little underwhelmed with on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Not that either of them are bad. They're both two and a half to, this is probably a three star match. And, you know, in that like low, like two and a half to three. But, I didn't, uh, yeah, I think I wanted a little bit more from it here. So my, I mean, listen, like I said, this this entire uh, pay-per-view is is solid. And that I, I picked it because it's, it is a good pay-per-view for the era of, of WWE. It is, it's very good. Yeah. yeah. But, but the weird thing about this pay-per-view is that you go through this entire card, there's not a single normal clean finish in the entire card. Not one. Eight matches, eight matches Yeah. The first one was goofy where everybody was in the ring And there was like Almost like a botch spot The Orndorff, Ricky, Steamboat You had the weird count out with the Hitting the mask outside the ring The Regal baby boy goes to a a Time limit draw Dustin and Steve, Steve actually Thinks he wins, gets sort of almost announced As the winner and then you get the weird Roll up pin, the Nasty Boys With the cheap Victory with the the foreign object, yeah. and then the sting Sid with the really weird Colonel Parker involved grabbing St- Sid's foot, and Sid gets rolled up, and then you have this one, another schmoz where 
you know, the crowd wanted Flair to win big time And you, you, you have him use the brass knucks You have the ref outside of the ring come in and stop it That was just weird Every single match And the one we're going to talk about next Had an ending that just was way too cute Why not the, have one or two word, just regular and the, and the word for that is Gino Bullshit well, Bullshit I was going to say overbooked. <laughs> I was going to say, I thought you were, I was overbooked. saying bullshit. The yeah. Overbooked, dusty overbooked. finishes. That's kind of where we got the dusty finish thing from, yep. you know? And this is yep. why. Because you'd have some of these shows where, what? Come on. Like, not everybody needs to be, sometimes you, you think you're protecting everybody with these finishes and you do the opposite. Yep. It yep. ends up backfiring. Yeah, because, I mean, you also have to protect the winner at times. Yeah. And they look, a, guy, a guy's got to win clean at some point. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Nobody on and nobody here did, which that that was that was frustrating. It was it was typical of WCW at the time, though. It was part of and listen, there's a lot of reasons why from you know the NWA late 80s where there was a lot of good stuff, but there's a reason why WCW was you know the the looked at looked at as triple A baseball and WWF Mm -hmm. was looked at as the New York Yankees and. Part of the reason was overbooking, wonking, wonky, cute, attempting to be, you know, witty finishes that you just did too much of this stuff. You know, we talked about production value. There's a lot of different things that built into it, but it's part of the reason why watching WCW, while I enjoyed it and I liked some of the wrestlers and, and there was some cool stuff and I love Sting and I love Sid and Vader and there's there's a lot of cool stuff in WCW at this time. Uh, it's part of the reason why WWF at the time uh, towered over it in a lot of people's eyes. Absolutely, it's just Vince was just a machine with with the details, his attention to detail, and the way he ran his ship. And it was. And by the way, they had an opportunity here because the because at this time the main heel in WWE is your champion Yokozuna. Mm-hmm. So they have guys here. Like Their roster Flair, is excellent. They have Flair, Sid, Vader. I mean, they've Steamboat, got rude. They've got yeah. guys. They've got guys. And they, you know, obviously three, four years down the line, the tide shifts. But they had opportunities in, in 93 uh, to take advantage of a lackluster product at times in WWF, and they couldn't do it. That match ended up going uh, over 19 minutes. After the match, Flair grabs the belt. So then Rude grabs Fifi. He tries to carry her to the back. Flair attacks him. He ends up putting the figure four in on the ramp. Crowd hot for the match. Booed and then bullshit chance after. They were hot for this moment. And then once they realized, like, then once they were starting to walk to the back again, they started to boo. <laughs> they were just pit. Like, they weren't getting any clean finishes. It was a smaz finish after smaz finish oh, yeah. all, all the way through. And, you, you know, you get frustrated there as... Tony then talks about Battle Bowl again And oh my gosh This might have been the worst part of the show next And not the match The Just looking at the rules Of this Texas death match I cannot like So so we're looking at these rules And Okay They, they post the graphic up Rule number one No DQ Okay. Rule number two Falls don't count Stop why are there falls? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Rule, rule number three: thirty-second rest period between falls. That don't count. 
And then number four Falls any place in the building Okay so You I know that is it, is it the Brian McKnight song um, One, one Your lack like of dream, dream come, come true so, here, here, Here's what's great about this one this, this one when you get to number four You don't need steps one through three Right because yeah. like once you get to Four don't need steps one through Three because when go. you have falls Any place in the building Why do the first three matter The no DQ the falls don't count The 30 second rest period between Falls that doesn't matter and then Number five the match continues until One man can't get to his feet before Ten right so What this you is... have here is a Falls count anywhere last Man standing match with the 30 second rest period between falls so it's like a 40 it, it was i mean just but here's the thing falls count because you can't have the 10 second count without the fall so, so they you count. need you need the pinfall to get to the 10 second count of course so they do they do count they, they do just count. don't end the match it's right. so convoluted instead yep. of just saying hey if the opponent cannot answer the 10 count, the match is over. That's all. done that fine. That's it. Boom. And and here and here's the problem. If you if 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 you get rid of all those rules and you simply make this a last man standing 10 count match. It's a good match. It is. It's a great brawl. It great is. Brawl. Fantastic mm-hmm. brawl. Really got, good. Yeah. But uh, you got you have the the black cloud of these rules hanging over the match Who's the flow up of the match exactly Every time does. things get going There's yep. another 30 seconds or It's And it screws up the finish it, It's so the, the finish gets bad It's just so yep. unnecessary yep. And again Why is this non-title We've got Vader here with Harley Race versus Cactus Jack I don't under, And Vader doesn't even have the title out there with him The only thing that The only thing that I can possibly say is that they made a decision, they're a month after leaving NWA, and they made a decision that they really want to push what they're doing with the other belt, and they didn't want to distract from it yep. with the other world title. That's, That's I the think you're only right. thing I can come away with. I think you're right, and because it wasn't a coincidence that they did not talk about it very much at all throughout the night. When they were mentioning yeah. Vader, they were not talking about him as the world champion. No, I was like, by the way, he's got the much. other belt. Yeah, That's yeah. oh yeah, but, yeah. Uh, he's the other, you know, and... um. This was this was great. Um, Tony talks at the beginning about their prior match in April, and they go right at it. Mick was intense early, using weapons all over the place. Vader's mask is off within like a minute. Uh, they're brawling all over the ringside. Cactus got the he's using a chair. He grabs a camera from a fan and uses it, which is great. He grabs this like old rusty chair and and hits him. And they're going, you know, in and out of the ring, fighting all over. We get uh, a big uh, clothesline by Vader, and then some big punches, like right to the head. His blows, I mean, he's just clubbing. It's not like when somebody's pulling their punches in wrestling, you see him just clubbing Mick to the side of the head, just poof, poof, poof. And uh, Vader's bleeding. Pretty early on, I mean, Mick Mick's bleeding. Cactus Jack is bleeding from the punches. They Vader had a great punch. Oh man, he had a great it, that that short arm, stiff looking punch. But it was like a clubbing blow from side to side. It was almost it was almost like a faster 
and tighter George Foreman heavyweight punch. Yeah. It was a great punch. Yeah, it was, man. And they uh, they start fighting into the where the graves are set up down the entranceway. And there's one of the graves that says R.I.P. Vader. And they fight down into this like open grave. And it, it looks actually really, really cool. There's a moment where Vader comes up out of this fog bleeding. It's just a great visual. Great spot. Yep. Um, I, I, again, I just don't understand the the pins and stuff here. A like cactus jack, it's a clothesline, and then he gets a pin. So you pin him. Okay. Then you get a 30 second, 30 rest, second period, rest period. And then we'll see if he can get to his feet. So Vader does get back to his feet. He gets up at three. And then Cactus Jack hits him with a cactus, everybody. Drink. And uh, mm-hmm. then we get another pin. Uh, elbow off the. He does the elbow off the ramp. I actually thought it was funny here. Vader had to move the table out of the way. <laughs> um, and then yeah. he kind of just like fell over. So that way Cactus could do his elbow spot here. And then at, right afterwards he gets up. And he pulls Cactus to the floor. They're fighting all over the place here. He. Uh, uh, we got a failed sunset flip. And then Vader backdrops Jack, uh, Cactus Jack. And hits him with a chair. The cameraman. Looks over and you see Harley Race playing around with a stun gun. Um, mm-hmm. We get Vader and Cactus Jack back inside and uh, a moonsault from Vader, and he gets a pin there. But Cactus Jack gets up at three, so Vader sends him back out onto the ramp. Cactus Jack is on Vader's back here. This spot was nasty. He drops back with uh, all of his weight on top of Cactus Jack, right on the uh, right in the aisleway. And then he hits a DDT on a chair Gets another pin So Cactus ends up getting to his feet Before the period is over He ends up hitting his own DDT But this is where things ended up getting They they missed the spot They missed time some things here Well the guy's uh, still counting down the rest period It's And and Cactus is hitting a move on the guy It doesn't it, And this is why it was just too much yeah. Then Then at the end they didn't really know what to do Because both guys are down And it hardly Basically, he uses a st- so Jack with the DDT to Vader. Both men land on the chair, and Jack gets back to his feet. Harley Race stuns him with the stun gun, so that lets Vader get to his feet, and he gets the win. It was just too much with the stipulation. Like you said, if you took this out, this thing is a four star match for these two guys. If you take this out, these these guys worked their butts off. Yep. They were brawling. Um, it wasn't like slow brawling They move all around at a very quick pace They go almost 16 minutes uh, In here These two guys were in great shape too For being big dudes And you know Mick always delivered In these main event spots that he got Vader was one of the best big men That I don't think gets talked about in that vein As much as he should But damn those just those 30 seconds And then the, the schmozzy Kind of ending is another Again every match where Things are going really, really well, and a crap ending makes you feel a little bit less about this match than you should. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, it could have been, it, it, you know, four stars by itself, just a good brawl outside. Whether you want it to be false count anywhere or you wanted it to be a last man standing, you could have gotten either of those through as as just a straight up four star match. The rules obviously hurt this. The finish hurts it. But these two guys delivered as best they possibly could within these 
crazy guidelines that a Texas death match, because when you think Texas death match, you think 30 second rest periods and pinfalls that don't count. Exactly. Um, rest, rest periods. That's the best you know, part. I mean, you think about some of the things that they did with Halloween Havoc between the Chamber of Horrors and Texas Deathmatch. But this is this is like we talked about. This is some of the stuff that holds back WCW in the early to mid 90s. They want to go they for have, more of the sports like real feel. And they yeah. do give you a lot of that in their matches and their presentation. But then the way they it it just production stuff. They, they try and, they try to do too much. Yeah. They and, have and, a good idea. The, the 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 spinning the wheel is a good idea. Mm-hmm, it is spinning. We don't know what the match is going to be. It, we got these crazy matches on this wheel. Everybody, brace yourself for this insanity that's going to ensue. That's a good idea, but then you got to follow it up with 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 a good idea within the good idea. And having a Halloween Havoc Texas Death Match that includes thirty seconds of rest after a pinfall that does not count is not a good idea. Um, and that's that, like we said, that's what holds back this company at this time. They had, they had plenty of guys, man. You go through this roster, Sting, Flair, Vader, Mick Foley, Sid, uh, you know, uh, young Bagwell, Scorpio, young Booker T up and down, Rick Rude, Steve Austin, you had guys in there that could absolutely work. And there was a ton of talent. At this point in WCW, and and that's why I picked this show, because you look at who's wrestling on this card and you say to yourself, damn, they had some good guys, man. Why were they not? Why were these shows not at the level of WWE, WWF? And it's interesting. It starts at the top. Exactly. Exactly. It's Vinnie Mac for as many flaws as he has nowadays. And he obviously has some blind spots. This is when he was sharp. He was a machine, and uh, even though the WWE product wasn't as hot in 93 as it was a couple years before and as it would be in a couple years after, he was still really good at all the production stuff all the time. Like, those were just the things that they did a really great job. And, uh, you know, we got to give Pat Patterson a lot of credit, too. He was the right-hand man. He was someone who was great with finishes, great with booking things, and they didn't have that – they didn't have that kind of consistency in WCW from, like – 85 on it was Vince and freaking Pat and like Bruce Pritchard was in there and then maybe one or two other people around Vince and that was it they all knew each other they knew what they wanted they knew you know they knew the wrestlers WCW think about from like the late 80s into the time that Bischoff takes over how many different revolving doors of Bookers, people that were making the decisions Dusty in out Flair in out he's making calls Watts, you got all these different It was just, there was no consistency For them at all, it's like you know, It's like any sports team, DZ Think about what happens when you bring in a, an entire New staff and they want to do things their way And that, they do that for a Year or two years and then it doesn't work well You bring someone else in, they change everything Up again, they want to do it th- this way Things are more, a little bit more of this That was, that. it's a noticeable problem For them right here because their roster is good And there's a lot of things on this show that are very Good it's just the endings just make you roll your eyes and get really frustrated. No, for sure. And, and listen, you know, Vince certainly outfoxed him at this point, but Vince does have some bad times coming up. You know, he's he's going to get into these mid to late 90s where he's got these weird characters and mm-hmm. plumbers and dentists and, you know, half man, half 
Home Mantar. <laughs> King Mabel. He pushes King Mabel. <laughs> stuff's going to get wonky in WWF in the not-too-distant future from here, too. But if you, know, if you would have given this roster to Vince... You know he does more with it than what's happening here in WWE. That's a great way of putting it. I That's very cool. much agree. As uh, yeah, we wrap up with uh, Halloween Havoc 1993, and for my next pick for where we're gonna go next is a show that we actually referenced a little earlier. And I know that some of the early WWF Survivor Series shows aren't the greatest in ring work. You have a lot of tag eliminations, but. I do still have a lot of fun watching some of them. I enjoy throwing them on in the background, come sur- close to Survivor Series time. And uh, we're going to go to 1990 for a year that is uh, a couple really important things on the show. First off, we talked about the gobbledygooker a minute ago. So we'll get to check him out on this show. Two, the debut of The Undertaker, which is, uh, you know, the one of the all time, if not, if you wanted to say the greatest WWE wrestler of all time. With the and you said the Undertaker, you're not really wrong. You know, you're you might you might be correct in that statement. And this was the the only year that they really did the ultimate survival match, which I actually thought was a kind of a fun idea. And I enjoyed knowing that in each of the matches, whoever survived was going to come back for that final match at the end, and you'd find out who the ultimate survivor or survivors were. Um, I I really enjoyed the concept of Survivor Series for a long time. Because at this point in 1990, the show we're going to talk about next, DZ, you didn't get TV. There wasn't 10 hours of TV to fill every week, and we didn't get these combinations of guys on teams all too often. So when you saw them teaming up like this, it was a lot of fun. I, I some Survivor Series teams I absolutely love. Um, on this particular show, the Warriors team, I was always a big fan of with. The Ultimate Warrior, the Legion of Doom, and the Texas Tornado, which is a great team. Um, you got yep. the Million Dollar Team, which they seem like they fit him so well because it's DiBiase, the Honky Tonk Man, Greg Valentine, and then you get the Undertaker debuting there. Um, well, the, the Warriors fought the didn't they fight the perfect team? It was perfect, perfect. three man demolition. Perfect in the three man demolition, which is yeah. a, a great team. So this is fun. Um, we get the Natural Disasters, who we just talked a little bit about. Um, we get a uh, we get. Tugboat and Earthquake on opposite sides So we get Hulk Hogan with some of his uh, His babyface buddies His mid-card babyface buddies And this was This was a lot of fun We end up getting in the final Survivor Series match It ends up being a 3-on-5 match Because uh, the babyfaces only had three survivors throughout the show. It's so, so random that one of them is Tito Santana. Right? The oh, guy man. that never, ever, ever wins a match is in the final survivor match. It's hilarious. So um, we probably don't have a five-star classics to talk about on this show. But from a, a historical standpoint... I thought it was a very fun one to to maybe jump into, especially when we're in yeah. the Survivor Series time. So I look you, forward you, to talking about 1990 uh, next you, week. You mentioned an interesting thing. You were talking about there not being 10 hours of TV back then. And I think that's a good point to drive home because back then, when it came to talking about having major talent against major talent, the only time you ever really saw that back then was Saturday Night Main mm-hmm. Event. Yep, and the pay-per-views, and, and that's it. And the pay-per-views. And and back then, in 1990, the pay-per-views is Royal Rumble, Mania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series. Yep. So you're talking about one every three months. You're not talking about a pay-per-view every four to five weeks. 
And, you know, I know, you, you know, yes, there was WWF superstars and there was WWF challenge, but that's where enhancement talents were used to put over your big stars. Mm-hmm. You weren't getting Ultimate Warrior, you know, versus uh, Hercules Hernandez or whomever on a WWF superstar show. What you were getting were those kind of taped promos where these guys would have promos back and forth. And every once in a while, you would get two of them on the same stage at the same time just to kind of build the story. But that's why back then the pay-per-views were were so anticipated because it was months and months of buildup. And, oh, man, these guys had a barn burner of a match three months ago. I can't wait to see it again. Now they fight on on Raw three times before they fight the pay-per-view. And you're already done with it before they even get to the pay-per-views a lot of the times. It's a totally different time, and Mm -hmm. you could argue a better time. Yeah, for 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 the reason of the anticipation and and a lot of these shows back then, you know, when you go through the big four going back to 89, you have a hard time picking out a show where you go, eh, that show kind of stunk. No, they're they're good. They're all they're all very good. Some of the in some of the early Survivor Series matches, uh, you remember, I love the we got to see the jumping bomb angels. We got to see some of the best women's wrestling that we would see for years and years in this company. You kind of forget that that even happened. Um, I always loved those when they would have the the five on five tag matches where you'd have twenty guys standing all around oh, the yeah. ring with all the tags and uh, uh, the rockers. You know, you'd have everybody out there. You'd have the Heart Foundation, the Conquistadors. Yeah, who was the who was the team that was kind of like they were like kind of like strike force they didn't last that long the can am connection the can am connection yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean those are yeah those were yeah. fun man i still get kind of goosebumps going back and watching them a lot of the time cuz i'm sure most wrestling fans are probably a lot of people that do this too anytime like Rumble comes up. I go back and throw on a lot of the old rumbles in the week or weeks leading up to it. You know, before Survivor Series, I'll go back and throw the Survivor Series on. So we'll have some fun watching Survivor Series 1990. Talk about the gobbledygooker. We could talk about the Big Egg. Talk about uh, the debut of the Undertaker and uh, a really fun list of you know big stars through the years that are on this show. We have uh, throughout some of the the matches on the card in the opening. In the opening match, we've got the the Warriors. So you've got the Legion of Doom. You got the Ultimate Warrior. You've got Mister Perfect. You've got Demolition, Bobby Heenan, Mister Fuji, two of the great managers out there. You got DiBiase and the Million Dollar Team. You got the Undertaker. You got Bret Hart and Dusty Rhodes on the show on on a team together. You uh you get the uh, Jake Roberts leading a team with the Rockers, Shawn Michaels, Jimmy Snuka. Um, you get the model on the other team and the visionaries are, they're kind of a funny heel team. Hulk Hogan in the mix here. You get earthquake, you get uh Tito, as we mentioned, Sergeant slaughter and, uh, and then that ultimate survivor match. So yeah, fun, fun show. And uh, I look forward to talking with you and maybe Andrew about this one uh, uh, next week. DZ. Yeah, man. Going to be, going to be fun. This is a fun time in wrestling. Uh, during uh, Ultimate Warriors Championship reign, so that was always a a great time for me as a kid, as he was one of my absolute favorites. When I I think I was seven years old when the show took place, and of course the debut of one of the most influential and uh, you know historic characters in wrestling history. So can't go wrong with this pick, you know. We're going to Survivor Series nineteen ninety. Cut off a little abruptly there at the end Just because we talked for a little bit afterwards But I ended up re- recording that one a few weeks ago So some of the stuff that we talked about afterwards Was 
just way, way in the past. Uh, so, and nonetheless, shout out to DZ, Darren Zocali, thorough crowd. A couple big wins over the weekend, doing excellent early on in that meet at Turfway. And I'm sure it feels great for Darren because talking with him, they loved that Turfway meet. He had sniffed out. That as a meet that they wanted to focus in on and try to pinpoint and uh, and aim for, and so far so good early on. Shout out to DZ, thanks for helping us out there. We head on the next old wrestling rewatch to Survivor Series 1990, and that's gonna do it for this episode. A major thank you. Uh, you've heard a lot more musical sounds recently on That's What She Said podcast. My buddy Joey Cleveland, who does all the those sounds, everything that's a different music sound. That's Joey. In some way, shape, or form, taking care of it. He, I don't tell him anything other than sort of what I want him to do, and maybe one or two little bullet points, and he goes with it. So, really great job, Joey. Thank you so much for helping us out, and uh, a big thank you to Tim for helping us out with the Hawkeye deep dive. A big thank you to DZ for helping us out with the old wrestling rewatch. Hopefully, we led you to some winners on Tuesday and on Wednesday. We'll be back just a little later on. This week wanted to get this one out early because figure you know if we've got the opportunity to to get the uh, the out the show out early to you always will do so so you can have a couple extra days to handicap a couple extra days to listen to those Hawkeye recaps before the next episode comes on out have a great great week folks and we'll be back in just a few here on that's what G said.